Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to the Salt the Streets podcast, the show where we discuss news, government, and culture as and how it pertains to you, the individual, and your natural rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As always, I am that big bird-looking fella they call Colin, and I am, once again, and as always, joined by my co-host, brother-in-arms, the Nero of Neroprene, the original Salt of the Street himself, Donovan. How are you today? I am excellent, sir. Thank you very much. Fantastic. We've got a extra special show coming up today, something we haven't done yet. We're going to have a guest coming in mid-cast for parts three and four today, um, which means we're going to have a little bit different camera setup going on. Yep. But uh, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be new. And uh, yeah, I, I had a little bit of a chance to talk with our guest last night. His name is Jake Lines. Um, is a fellow you knew back in high school and haven't really talked to since then. Yeah, I've so, actually went to school with them starting elementary school. Same uh, as Josh. Yeah, yeah, yeah all the way back. Yes. Um, but yeah, I had a really good chat with him last night just to kind of get all the technical issues worked out and stuff like that. And I can just say I am very, very, very excited for when he comes on. We're going to have an amazing chat about all sorts of stuff. But in that vein, good sir. Yes. Give me time and date. And what are we talking about today? Yes, sir. Today is July, Saturday, July 23rd, 2002, episode 130 of Salt of the Streets. And it is 12.07 p.m. Hot today, dog. We have, of course, we have our local topics uh, right off the top. So I have a couple here, and you sent me one last night. So we have some things that we're going to talk about in part two. We're going to do what I was calling a similar what you have here. I call it kind of our State of the Union. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what yeah. we're going after. You know, so we're I feel like a talk... good way to phrase it, right? Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some when I have some different things here. Um, inflation, Ukraine, January 6th. There was an assault weapons ban that moved from committee into the full house. So we're going to talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that. Um, Oh, shit. I don't think I had a Thomas Massey clip. I was going to queue up for that when he was talking about it. I might be able yeah. to find that. It's pretty good. So, and then in part three, like Colin said, we have our friend Jake Lines, who's going to come in here. He approached us about coming on the show, which is something we're open to. If anybody has anything they want to come on here and talk to us about, feel free. We're open to doing this. Um, so he's someone that listens to the show. And so he reached out to us and asked to come on the show to have some discussions with us. He asked us originally about where our morals came from and mm. like the found the basis of our principles and stuff and it's like well, i'm gonna have to think a lot about that and get back to you um and then just recently he approached us with another topic after he agreed to come on here so we have some big things we're going to talk to him about and then of course part four so it was the grab bag we have many different topics here whether or not we get to that as you can see last time with josh keaton we never get we never got to the actual grab bag mm -hmm. uh, which is fine when it comes to guests and stuff like that the scheduling of the show is a little more fast and loose so yeah. So those are things we're going to run through today. Uh, Donald Trump said that he's going to announce, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um, the the unofficial, officially unofficial announcement yeah. that he's think he's going to announce at some point soon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, before we do that, I want to thank everybody, of course, for joining us. Bilbo, Deborah, you guys are incredible. Thank you for being back here again. Yes. I want to remind you, of course, to like, share this with your friends, comment on everything like you've already done here. You can find all of our other content on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, of course, Patreon, Salt of the Streets. Go there to the Patreon. Subscribe. Help us make more, better content just like this. Right before this, we did what we call the review preview for the book club, the book club book this month was 1776 by david mccullough and next month it is going to be this book here it's called don't hurt people and don't take their stuff by matt keeby so a, li a libertarian manifesto a libertarian manifesto yeah and this was a different review preview it was a written piece mostly written piece that i did which i actually just tweeted the actual document itself out on my twitter at salt of the street on twitter if you want to go read the written portion of the document it is there 
or of the video, it's there. Um, we have our own personal social media. Like I said, I'm at Salt of the Street on Twitter and at Alpaca underscore Donovan on Instagram. And calls it Big Bird Off. You on both those things. Um, beer show, book club, newsletters, all those things. Yeah, newsletter on the last day of the month. So $5 a month. Gates of the newsletter. It's a written piece by Colin and I individually. And um, I do want to remind everybody. I always remind, mean to do this at the beginning. If we had to do it too, evaluate and adjust your relationship with the CCP as much as you can. Amen. Every every episode, I mean to do this in the beginning and always forget to do it. So that's it, right off the top. I like it. Evaluate and adjust your relationship with the CCP. So powerful. Yeah. Uh, with that, Colin, let me ask you this. Okay. Right? right in the vein of what we just did with the review preview. Okay. How likely do you think a national divorce slash a civil war is? Or do you believe that a shift to a new system is possible, a la the Libertarian Party, the Mises Caucus, things of this vein, right? Ooh. And I'll let you think more to provide more context. The Libertarian Party and the Mises Caucus specifically within the Libertarian Party is obviously a third party option within the United States political system. So they obviously see the system itself still as a viable opportunity, but mm. use this party as a means to gain power and shift the system in the way they can that will better benefit the people of America. So initially right off the bat, I think I want to separate it into two categories. I want two different answers really. Yes, um I think the greatest chance we have for changing the current system that we have is via the Libertarian Party and its, you know, astronomic rise in popularity over the last few years. Um, I, I think that's probably the, I don't know if it's the most possible or the most likely scenario to happen, but that is probably the best alternative vein that doesn't involve some kind of you know, separation of the nation, a vulcanization. Or, yeah. Um, but at this point, I don't know. I don't know if it's hard to gauge. It's hard to gauge the, the every man's perspective on a national divorce or, or civil war. I know the concept of a civil war now is way more likely than has ever existed since the last civil war. We'll put it that way. I don't know. Again, I think um, after your review preview um, piece today, um, I've got some other things to think about. And as per the usual, I'm probably going to shift my written piece this week to kind of build <laughs> off of that just because it's, I think it's more in the vein. My, my original written piece is basically going to be stuff we talk about in um, segment two today. So I think I'm going to shift away from that because I'm going to cover everything I want to cover today. Um, and I think that's more topical. Um, but I don't, I don't, at the end of the day, I don't know what is more likely because for a civil war to pop off in some fashion, there needs to be some form of greater organization involved because it needs to be widespread enough. Eventually it can start with one, you know, with two parties and then it, it eventually has to be adopted and spread over a grand scale. And I'm not saying that's not possible. I just haven't really gamed out what that might look like, which hence the piece, I think at the end of the month. Um, but it, it is definitely more possible today than ever. I don't see national divorce being possible. There's a few hard questions in that, that generally evolves, you know, revolves around uh, <laughs> nuclear weapons and the ownership of those. Um, and I don't see like a, a, a USSR style 
Cold War, okay, this is how we're going to split up the nukes. And, you know, a- after that whole era went and, you know, all the nations kind of agreed to just have that nuclear, those nuclear states are just going to stay nuclear. Nobody else really gets them, all that kind of stuff. There could be some treaties like that that might occur, but with the state of society as it is, I don't see that happening without some serious bloodshed going on. And, I, you know, nobody wants that to happen. And if they do, they don't know what they're talking about. But, you know, the irrevocable differences that we find ourselves having today, uh, the ability to agree to disagree has ceased to exist. And states are becoming more hardline every day regarding those types of issues, say, like right. around abortion and things like that. And there are there's no compromise that both sides are willing to have, but the makeup of the people that are willing to compromise, I, I'm not aware of their numbers yet. I, I don't know if it's the vast majority of people or if it's a minority of people. Yeah. Those are the people that are going to matter, uh, mostly because as we've seen, as we saw in like the revolution and in the civil war, you know, the vast majority of people don't participate in the fighting. Right. Most just, of the people. estimated 3% of the people at the time involved in the actual fighting of the Revolutionary War yeah. on the side of the rebels. Yeah. And the Civil War, much different because then you ha- actually had national armies and things like that. So right. it was a lot right. higher number. I don't but know even if I then, said civil. I meant revolutionary. You said revolutionary. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, it's because everybody always likes to think about our previous Civil War. Um, and I, I think we've discussed this. I don't know if we've discussed Civil it. War oh, One. The, I've started to call it. Right. And because that's the way I think of it. And you mentioned it in the piece, and I know we've talked about it off air i don't know if we talked about on the show but if there is going to be another civil war in the united states of america it is not going to even come close to resembling the first civil war right um it'll look a lot more like every other civil war in history around the globe it'll be groups of militia and organizations having guerrilla warfare with essentially against the the state at that point and you know, take a look at Africa and Mogadishu and everywhere in the Middle East and like all these different places where civil wars are essentially constant. Yeah. That's what it would look like in my mind. But and then how do you game that out? You know, there's a lot of things there. But I, I think that chances are higher than ever because people are, are at wit's end. And the major concerning point that makes me think that is um, the economic situation. It is, it is bad. It is worse than anybody has seen. In, most people alive today have not been in a worse economic spot than today. And on that level, too, you combine that with the societal divide, the, the failed, the continual deterioration of the governing bodies from the state level all the way up to the federal level. It's not a good thing when I look at it as a whole, I don't understand how this could end any way but bad, unless there was some kind of a miracle and a third party like a Mises caucus led libertarian party essentially comes in and then starts making changes. Um, Severe changes would need to be required. And even then you will see a rise in violence, but I don't know if it would burst into a nationwide divisional thing like that. So, yeah. That's my answer to that. That's good. Over here, Bilbo Swaggin says, the way the laws are being implemented based on political affiliation has already started the civil war, but not in the traditional way we think of one. And I don't, I don't disagree. Yeah. And that's why I frame this question kind of, I guess not as specifically as possible, but around a, a 
like a proper civil war, national divorce, a separation of of this country into multiple nations, mm-hmm. and that is, as Colin referenced the review preview video that we just did, that is. Um, a lot of what I talked about in there. So, again, for more context on that, you can go to the, to my Twitter, and I just tweeted that out. So it's the first thing at the top of my Twitter is the yeah. the actual document uh, that I used. And I just liked and retweeted. So Look there we go. That. It's the top of Collins as well. So you can go to either one of our Twitters, and you can find that document there. With that, we can break into some local stories. Let's um, do it. Yeah. So can we start with mine? Yes. So this, this story in particular, I wanted to bring up um, – Oh, I don't have it pulled up right now in my tab. Because uh, we've talked about it before. We talked about this one place in our local community called That One Place. Yes. It's a bar and restaurant in Port Orchard, Washington, that when the countywide, statewide COVID lockdowns were mandated back in 2019, uh, I want to say, I'm going to have to pull this up on the bookmarks, but back when that was first happened, they took a stance and said, we're not going to close our doors and stop feeding people. Yes. And so the state and the county began to come after them. And it was a series of fines per infraction. I think it was $11,000 per infraction. Um, I can read you. Actually, this is from the Kitsap Sun article. Yes. That one place was assessed with $132,000 in fines by the state's Department of Labor and Industries for the violations. A citation that was affirmed by the Board of Industries Appeals Judge Jeffrey A. Friedman on July 6th after the restaurant in May appealed the findings. Ellen and I had assessed that one place owned by Richard Craig Kennedy a $12,000 fine for each of the 11 violations that occurred by providing indoor dining between the dates of January 6th and January 18th, 2021, in 12 days. So we got a violation every single day. They just yeah. continued to come back to his restaurant. Yep. And uh, ultimately, this led to them losing the court battle just recently and um there is an appeals process that they are not looking to undergo because um their legal counsel says there's no way you're going to win the the appeal and so they are not in this state yeah so they are going to be closing their doors they're selling their and this is what i find so interesting about it um they're selling their restaurant to a nonprofit organization that specializes in getting it's like a workers or work release type of thing they um, they do work with prison inmates to, um, feel, to fill the need of the local community. And so they're going to be bringing on people from the prison system out here to help get them work experience and life experience and, oh, that's flying away, um, which I think is a powerful thing. And they said that they are still in process of doing that and, but they do refuse to sell to anybody else that's not willing to do the nonprofit work at this point. To sell the restaurant. Yeah. Um, Yeah. They also, I know like my mom. Prior to working for the state, worked with adults with disabilities, and she mm. was a job coach, so she would find jobs for adults with disabilities. And she had multiple clients that worked at that one place. That mm. that's that is an outlet for people who have difficulty finding employment other places. There, which is, so it's, it's a, huge, an amazing you know? community yeah. asset. I mean, it's it's fantastic. You're improving people's lives in an exponential manner at that point. Yes, you know the. I don't think it's new to say anybody that the the prison system essentially ruins your entire life, no matter how small the infraction is. Once you become a felon and you right. get out, your whole life has been has been dragged down in some fashion. It's going to be objectively harder for you to have a normal, successful life than the the non felon. Undoubtedly, even yeah. just in things like like getting a job, yeah, getting, getting an apartment, things like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Every I mean, every aspect that is essential to your life, minus going to the grocery store to buy food. You're not barred from that, though the job that you need to get the income that you need to be able to pay for that 
uh, applying for a mortgage, applying for rent, all that stuff has background checks involved these days. Right. And guns, your ability to defend yourself. Yes, yeah. yeah, you get that right stripped away most of the time. Your ability to vote. Yeah, which yeah, that's a whole other thing right there. But it's a uh, it's not good, and it's a really sad thing to see that uh, just because the state decides to. Uh, you know, take on the uh, role of a dictatorial nation and put out unconstitutional edict because it's down in law in some capacity. There's no way around that in the court system. Yeah. Which I think speaks to when we were going through the anarchist handbook this week, that that really interesting kind of uh, the subjectivity of laws essay. I think it was one of the, the tail end ones. But it, this particular case got me thinking I'm like, that's so fucked up, man. That is so wrong. That these people are run out of town for two years later. We're looking at this thing going like, well, obviously there was really, I mean, there was, what harm did it truly do at this point? For serving people indoors who wanted to eat indoors. Yeah. They were not forcing people or coercing them into their restaurant. No, they they knew full well. They they could make a conscious decision as an adult citizen of the United States and a citizen of the state. And the state says, no. It outlines the coercive nature, not only of the state itself, but of these laws to coerce these people into doing what they want. That these people are not. All they're doing is opening their doors, providing the ability for free market commerce for people to come in if they want to. If they want to spend their money, then they can do that. And instead, the state likes to coerces them out of this. No, 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 no. We're going to fine you $12,000. Every day, we're going to go out of our way to come to your restaurant every single day to ensure that you are still not following the laws that we've set down to get you to do what we want. Yep, $132,000 in fines. Yes. And, and so, yeah, they're uh, they're packing up shop and they're moving. They think they said yeah, Arkansas. And yeah, this, Arkansas. This, this Arkansas. Is, and this is the goal of the state with laws like this is to either get you to submit or to walk away. Yeah. So they, like you said, they have the opportunity. They have the ability to appeal. It is literally not worth their time and effort, in their opinion, to try this because they mm-hmm. have been shown they will not win. They're, they will not receive a fair shake. You yeah. Know the justice system will overlook the blatantly unconstitutional nature of these edicts and just say, yeah, no, sorry. Yep. The state wins. So the reason I really want to talk about this is because this is just a small, I mean, this is in our backyard, but it is something that you know is happening. We've heard anecdotal stories reported over the last couple of years about essentially the same thing happening in a plethora of other states. Everything from Staten Island, the Atlas gym, um, and his owner to refuse to to shut de- his doors down when, you know, he, he made the argument that the most important thing you could do is try to be healthy during COVID and you're closing the one place where people can, you know, to various restaurants. And, uh, you know, there's that gal in California who had to close down her restaurant, including the outdoor eating center while she yes. watched the movie studio set up right the fucking cross the street and the catering come by and, With and just like do their tents. own goddamn thing. Yeah. Rules for thee, but not for me. It's it was a disgusting display of authoritarianism that is unfortunately still we're still feeling the consequences today. And it's why I think for so many people, the pandemic was an eye opening experience because so many of the things that happen behind us every day happened Mm -hmm. out in the open. It was impossible for us to to avoid or to ignore anymore because it was not only happening in front of us but impeding into our own lives impeding yeah. in your ability to run your business your ability to try or go to have, work go to work yeah your ability to do anything to go to the store to do mm-hmm. anything i mean 
I, if depending on what state you are in, you know, there were times here where they were limiting the amount of people that could go into stores at certain times. So if you wanted to go to a certain store, you're having to stand outside and wait to go inside to go to a fucking store. Yeah, dude. Know? I remember the lines at the Home Depot Home just Depot. got me, man. And I tell you, I remember being at Lowe's and having a man at Lowe's stop a manager and say, I want to thank you specifically for not making people wait outside. Even though the lines were miles long indoors of Lowe's, they weren't capping the capacity of the store. Yeah. It was all insane. But, so insane, dude. Yeah, I remember at Sportsman's, people lining up, you know, because the ammo run and shit like that. People oh, yeah. Lining up an hour ahead of time outside of Sportsman's. Yeah, because just they to were go get letting, one box of 223 and 9 yep, mil. Because they were only letting fucking 50 people in the store at a time. Yeah. I can see that happening again, but not for COVID-related reasons, we'll say. It'll just be for lack of fucking stock. It'll be rationing. I, I see the rationing coming on uh, sooner rather than later. Stock up on everything you can. That's man. And I that's don't know. I don't saying. know. I don't know about all that. I just don't. I don't know. Yeah, I think I'll pontificate more about that when we we get into segment two and supply chain and stuff. I, and... I think it's possible. I've heard all kinds of you know Tim Pool talks about the same type of deal all the time. And I don't. It's not like an unfounded thing. I don't hear that and think that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I follow my gut a lot with stuff like this when it comes to big world things of like, I don't know, this is just what I feel is going to happen and that's where I start to go. And when I think about like mass food shortages, I it doesn't tickle my gut the way the other things do. So mm-hmm. that's a not a valid way to be deciding what I think the future will be. Right. But that's how, I, that's how I start down these pathways. Mm-hmm. And so I just don't get that gut feeling of um, – I don't know. And maybe it's because I've not been through anything like that. And so it is what it is. I, yeah. I mean, it, we're all going to suffer some form of normalcy bias at that point. 100%. All of this would be unprecedented. And I think it's important, I should say, too. It's like not to fear monger about mass food shortages, this and that and the other thing. But right. it would be, you know, when you go to the store to pick up your normal round of grocery shopping or, you know, there will be less options. There will be less on the shelves and you know, you might, it'll probably be restocked in a couple days or, but you know, I mean, I experience this with Costco even right now. It's like, if I go there, particularly one specific item, this canned dog food I get, which is the Costco Kirkland brand signature stuff. Um, they run out of it all the time, but then you wait a day or two and you go back, it's restocked again. But the fact that that, it never used to be a thing in America. When a store stocked an item, generally speaking, they kept it in stock. Yeah. And for whatever the reasoning being, I can see more shortages as we go forward for a, a number of reasons. But I don't think it'll be like, well, there's, you know, there's no bread this week, guys. No. And I think we would have to dig into particular products because for me, that type yes. of shit is way is more about supply lines than anything else. Mm-hmm. Because in, when I think about limitations and stuff like that i i feel like we're living that right now in the form of inflation i don't think yeah. we're i i don't because i am not he and it's i'm not digging deep into it so that's partially my own fault because i'm not hearing an in-depth explanation about these are why these products will not be available i don't understand there's a misstep for me mm-hmm. at what point are we just going to have less shit like <laughs> right. why why would we all of a sudden just have less shit when we aren't seeing an issue with with supply chains like we were during covid mm-hmm. by all manner of what we're seeing there those things are figuring themselves out there are other things due to the conflicts outside of the nation that are being limited metals and stuff like that and that's why i would say particular products the canned dog food they probably don't have fucking cans they probably don't have 
all of the cans in the world to can all the dog food. You yeah, know? And that would so, be my that would be my guess for that particular exactly. supply line. Because yeah, I'm probably. It's funny because even though we we consume very very similar things throughout the week and throughout the days, the avenues of you know the rabbit holes that you will find yourself going down. Yes, are different than the totally rabbit holes different. I go down, which yeah. I I really appreciate because it helps both of us i think get better informed because we're splitting the workload i feel right. at that point yeah but yeah i th i think particularly in segment two we'll we'll dig a little bit deeper into that kind of Inflation stuff and stuff like that yeah and somewhere or other i have to put it in here um i saw a i saw an article earlier today about uh nancy pelosi's husband investing in a particular company um for the microprocessing company yes the <laughs> semiconductors and stuff like that and then I saw like it was like I think it was yesterday when they they passed the the funding for that, um, and then all I was like motherfucker he did it again like a week before the bill got through he bought five million dollars in this company and, and she got boom. asked about it she got asked did you see that I did she not. got asked about it they're like did you like has your husband ever um, invested have you ever given your husband a tip on investing like, no. no and turned the microphone and went away <laughs> no and just turned it and went away of course not don't be of fucking ridiculous not. yeah that's one so next funny Bill Swaggins wants to know about my tattoo so we'll, we'll oh yeah the Seattle heartbeat. Yeah, how far can you twist? Seattle. There's the space needle. Yep, and then it's, it's this here. So yeah, there's the other side. And I know I've asked you about it before, but I even forget the origins of it at this uh, point. No, this is this is just my first tattoo. Um, and this is not even anybody's. This is just a free-handed EKG. I get asked that all the time. I was 18, so I didn't think <laughs> enough into it to think like, oh, I should get you know someone's fucking heartbeat. That guy just was like just a heartbeat, you know, because. Yeah. Because I live for the Northwest, I I love this place so much, and so that's why it's all connected. You know, as I live for the Northwest is what yeah. this is. So you're feeling the heartbeat of of the of the region, you and know? that's what I've I've heard a million times. Like, oh, like the beat of Seattle. I'm like, no, but that's like better than what I thought of. <laughs> like that's, that isn't why I got it, but that's better than what I said. So, oh my so god, I've I used love it. that. Yeah, but that's not like I said. I was 18. I got this on mm -hmm. my 18th birthday on Christmas Eve of that year so i love um, it i love it yeah no it was from i got it from a guy named tattoo joe who's Ooh. given me most of my tattoos oh, at nice. this point um this is the only well, i only have three this is the only one that i've gotten now from him he gave me the oh and then i have the the sos yeah. one that we got together so he's giving me half my tattoos that's, there you go that's there you go but i have that fucking that gnome on my leg too with the basketball and everything so yeah that's a whole that's a whole deal. Yes. <laughs> it shows you love the city. Yeah, exactly. So I used to love Seattle more than I love it now, but I still... It's I, heartbreaking now. But the the Pacific Northwest itself, um, I was born in Bremerton, and I've lived in this area my entire life. I've never gone anywhere else. I've traveled, but I've never lived anywhere else. So, no, I absolutely live for this area. And even, even when we inevitably move to try and survive the Civil War, I will still yeah, love right. it here. And eventually I will come back and stake my claim in whatever the fuck this leftist country is called. And I'll take that shit back my That's damn That's right. Self, so. I like the green too much, man. I like the salmon. I like the crab. I like all the, the natural resources we have around here. Yes. It's, it's unfortunate that due to a bunch of ill-begotten regulation for you know, nonsensical reasons, the ability to tap our own natural resources out here is incredibly limited but god man if 
if shit hit the fan and all of a sudden you need to survive around here, there are so many, there's so many animals to live off of live deer and bear and tons of fish and yes. crab and oysters. And, you know, if you're, if you're one of them hardcore folks and get in some muscle action, yeah, it, oh man, sea urchin, if you're super adventurous, sea cucumber, if you're even more adventurous, there's a guy in Keyport that when all the COVID shit happened and they, you know, closed down fishing and everything, mm -hmm. he would, he was going out every day. Um, it was fishing off the dock and shit like that. Um, how you gonna catching stop two or three shit. fish and just coming God. in. And now he, he clams out by the bridge all the time. I saw him on my way here, fucking big old Safeway bag full of clams. Yeah. He'd go out there all the time. Hell yeah. Fuck, no, fuck the state. I'd be surprised if he has a license. He didn't give a shit. <laughs> okay. That's the same guy that has the, he, he lives at the top of this hill, right? When you come into keyboard, I don't even know how you get to his house, but you can see part of his fence and it says Trump 2020 spray painted on mm. the fence. <laughs> That's that guy. Yeah. yeah. He don't give a fuck. Not even a little bit. Yeah. I love, um, I had a buddy of mine that, uh, we, we both know, um, who we work with. We'll put it that way. He was out with his buddy doing some clamming the other day and didn't really think about it. His buddy's been doing it forever. And he was out at this one spot and they, you know, were clamming and got all their stuff. And they come back and there's a game warden there. Like, right. Hey, guys, what you doing? I'm like, oh, we're just clamming. He's like, Regulators. You know, dude. the, uh, you know, the beach closed, right? He's like, oh, I, I, uh, I didn't. We, it was open yesterday. He's like, yeah, it was. Not today. God. <laughs> I was like, damn. But I guess I forget how the story totally happened but the way it ended was it was a happy resolution and the game warden was really cool and yeah look at that it's fine man confusion happens unlike my run-ins with game wardens right what do you mean how many how, don't ask me how many shells i can put in this shotgun right now oh that's been that's that's the fascism <sighs> that is inherent within the regulation of hunting is dark, dark. <laughs> i did not realize you're, until I, yeah and you're just yeah. breaking into it i did not realize man you yeah, start you'll... to hear stories, and you're like, bro, you got a ticket for not having a fucking piece of wood in your gun? Like, yeah. what are we talking about yeah. right now? Yeah. Yeah, and then the last time I went, too, I had I had also, I had, didn't check, and I, I thought I had my dowels with me. to Because you can only have a shotgun that holds three rounds, two in the tube and one in the chamber, um, two plus one, for whatever reason. And... Can't have too much of an advantage on the duck. Exactly. And we got to our fight. first spot and I went to go pull the shotgun out and I was like, oh shit, I forgot the dowel. So I went out and I just shaved some fucking branches that I could find and like tried to like put it in the tube and make it work. And it took me like an hour when I finally got it to work. And I was like, okay, <laughs> okay. Even though I'm like 10 miles into the backcountry, I feel comfortable now. Like, yeah. Because that would be just my luck to run into a game warden in the middle of fucking nowhere and he'd be like, hey man. How many shells can you put in here? Yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, man. No. Okay, so I have three quick little stories. Okay. Um, stories that, for me, tie together a little bit, right? So mm. the first one um, has to do with this law that just passed uh, with catalytic converters, right? There's been an enormous, across the country, yeah. um, because there's been multiple laws like this in, in, in different states that have been passed, because people are stealing catalytic converters because of the precious metals that are inside of them and then yeah. selling them to junkyards, right? Yeah, I think it's so, cobalt or something in there. Yeah. Some fancy, fancy joint in there. Yeah. We, at my my last, uh, my old business, um, like it never happened to any of our vehicles, but a bunch of the other businesses in that industrial park got hit one day. They all came in, and all their catalytic converters got stripped out of their cars overnight. What the fuck does a catalytic converter do? It's on the muffler, right? Or it's yeah, in the exhaust system? it's in system. the exhaust system, and I'm not a scientist. So it just but takes it, some of the particles yeah, out Yeah, it re of... re removes the amount of carbon that is put out 
from the exhaust. It's on some green shit. Yeah, it's on some some green stuff. Yeah, yeah it's all, all about right. emissions so, control. So this this article is from KDVR, and mm. that's in Colorado. Platinum. There you go, platinum also. And I remember hearing, uh, hearing a story about it once, mm -hmm. um, and that was a while ago. But we have a law now that has to do with if, if – you own a junkyard or something and you're going to buy a catalytic converter you have to have paperwork that proves that that catalytic converter came out of the car that this person owns oh, okay um, so i would imagine there's a serial number that can be matched to the vin number on mm -hmm. the car but so yeah you have to get this paperwork or else you can be held liable for it so this story is out of lakewood colorado denver police told fox 31 that there were 500 reported catalytic converters stolen in the first three months of this year alone Woo! that's more than five every day Denver police are warning the public that's not just a costly nuisance, but it could be dangerous as well. Thieves are starting to post an armed lookout to intercept anyone who catches them in the act. And I have seen multiple stories in Seattle, New York, big cities of people coming out of their house to confront people who are stealing their catalytic converter and getting into violent altercations with them. I've seen people discharge firearms. Yeah, I've seen violent shit over catalytic converters. And I feel like the... The trope is generally speaking, the people that are doing that are like tweakers. They're like meth heads and they're looking, that's how they fund their, their enterprise. You know, they fund their addiction by stealing this stuff and then finding a chop yes. shop that'll take it. And it is no surprise to me that if you try to um, have a confrontation with somebody that is that desperate to be trying to give you extra gas mileage by stealing your catalytic converter, um, that it's going to turn out bad because they're already in a desperate situation where they're trying to steal that from you by get, i mean yeah. and it's not a simple endeavor it's not like it's it's not something you can just pocket and walk away with right you know what i mean this well, is an in-depth situation it's not too difficult this this story is from toledo toledo washington authorities in washington said they've arrested a man on theft and burglary charges after being caught with dozens of stolen catalytic converters lewis county man or sheriff's office said deputies responded to reports of someone entering a business and stealing 26 catalytic converters off of new trucks during the overnight hours on july 13th Good so he busted Lord. boosted 26 in one night enterprising individual so busting his ass yes according to the sheriff's office uh this guy was taken into custody and search warrant for his vehicle led to the discovery to the recovery of the 26 stolen catalytic converters 38 year old is facing charges of second degree burglary and first degree theft wow so i gotta watch some youtube videos about how you remove a catalytic converter. well it looks like if that's actually the catalytic converter it doesn't look like it's that hard no like it looks like it's just a couple of brackets that you just unbolt and and it also looks like you could just make a a much more theft proof uh endeavor you know some kind of system <laughs> yeah. that you can't just fucking bolt off like that some type of housing yeah yeah. versus passing a law but so it looks like it's just two u-clamps with bolts on either like nuts on either side and you yeah. just unscrew the bolts and pull it out and then you just separate it from the muffler yeah. or from the exhaust system and just pull it off i think bilbo knows so, what he's talking about so depending on the car it's how yeah. easy it is to get off and i that's makes well. sense as as is everything else in a vehicle one thing is right. going to be take two seconds the other one you're going to have to remove half the fucking engine to take yeah it off. so <laughs> yeah yeah no i like that that's so uh, i don't I'm always torn about stuff like this because I don't like the idea of making it more difficult for a business owner to make money. He's mm -hmm. just trying to sell shit, you know? He shouldn't have to worry about whether or not this item is stolen. But it implicates him in the theft and deprivation of someone else of their property. And it inadvertently involves him in this problem that he mm -hmm. now has someone's property that he sold to somebody else. So he doesn't belong to him, but he shouldn't be out money for having sold this to somebody, even though he doesn't own this object. Yeah. You know at, what I'm saying? At what point does his 
you know, where is his responsibility kick in to ensure that the property that this individual is selling him is indeed that person's property? Right. Um, how much due diligence is involved? I know that, uh, like, we have a really big scrapyard um, just out of, you know, in Bremerton, just out of the city proper, essentially, right. that Navy City Metal and stuff like that. And they've had... Um, they already have existing kind of practices at that at that facility where they don't just take whatever it is. They build a relationship with the individual, and and generally speaking, they they have to be like a legitimate business to yeah. do business there. And um, it can it can cause problems, I'm sure, for them. But it also helps their own liability at that point because they don't want to be. You know, right. scrapping a bunch of boosted shit. Nobody... Especially wire, copper wire and stuff yeah. like that. You know, if you There's a lot with... of red flags and shit. Yeah, if you come with not even spools of it, but yeah. like rolls of it, you know. Yeah. It's like, and if where you're do a... you get all of this copper wiring from? Yeah. <laughs> and if you're like a legitimate contractor that has a fucking business license number and you have a reputation in the community and stuff right. like that and you're going there to sell off the scrap from uh, from construction jobs and shit like that, that's a much better, it's a more comfortable situation for that person to be in because he knows he's legitimate versus I've seen it happen before where there are guys that will just swing around to different construction sites and then legitimately just go on and try to talk to the supervisors and be like, hey, if I see you guys got a bunch of scrap metal you guys dug up out there, do you have any plan to get rid of that? I could take it off your hands for you. Right. And a lot of times the contractors are like, yeah, man, fucking take it. But the dude, you know... He looks like he's a fucking sus. D-Gen, yeah. and, you know, he's driving some beat-up little thing, but, you know, he's just scrapping. Right. Does that guy just deserve scrapping. to not, <laughs> you know, does he deserve to not try to make a living by doing it as a, you know, as a as weird as the way that that might be? It's a legitimate it's way legitimate. to make money. Yeah. yeah. It's but, like people who mow someone's lawn. I wouldn't want yeah. to live that way, but if you want to fucking mow lawns for however much you're going to charge per lawn, yep. we should, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get real hesitant when it comes to, like, that... Uh, mercantilism style regulations and stuff like that government control you need fucking 30 different forms to be able to sell your fucking sheep to the butcher shop down the road or something like that and this is why i'd like to think that like insurance would be involved you know if if mm -hmm. someone steals your catalytic converter and they sell it because uh, some of these articles are saying mm -hmm. i don't i don't know enough about cars to decide some yeah. of these articles are saying it can essentially total your vehicle if because of how much it costs for you to replace your catalytic converter oh, yeah. that if your car is not new enough then it's removing you know half the value of your car and it's totaled anyway so your come your insurance company is just going to write you a check for a brand new car so well, yeah, with all the uh, precious metal, there's a reason it's being stolen. Right. The yeah. hang-up on that, obviously, is you can't fucking drive your car without a catalytic converter on it, is what it sounds like to me, you know? Um, generally speaking, you just get more horsepower. So, <laughs> But if generally, you know, I know the reason most most places, most manufacturers are putting those things on and You can stuff, be fined if you don't have one also, which, yes. which makes it depends sense. on where you yeah. live, but most places nowadays have emissions regulations. Yes. And, you know, like in, say, like the state of Massachusetts, yeah. every year when you get your uh, registration and stuff like that, you have to do another emissions test. And here it's based on the county. Like yeah. in King County, if you, you live have in King, to. you have to do an emissions test. I know yep. when my mom was dating a guy whose brother lived in like Burien. He would register his cars over here so he didn't have to do the emissions mm -hmm. test. And then he, would, he just lived in Burien. <laughs> so he would just yeah. drive over here and register his cars and then drive back home. It was worth it to not have to. I don't right. know how much they cost because I've never had to do one. But yeah. I would. There, I can't be cheap if he's willing to drive from Burien over an hour from Burien to yeah. Kitsap County to register <laughs> his car. <laughs> so. It's got to be uh, 
worth the price of admission, though. Yeah. Especially oh, if you think it, if you got to redo it every year or something like that. Yes. That's yes. just that's just another tax on you having a piece of property. Your fucking car. And he had like a he had a big old van, and that's why he did it because he had one just a fucking super old van. Yeah. You can drive it. It actually helps with some cars for miles per gallon and horsepower. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think it has something to do with the recycling of exhaust and all right. that. And, Right. I'm not a mechanic or anything, but I've always heard that if you just have a straight exhaust, the yeah. the engine works more efficiently. I pretty much only know about things that have broken in my vehicle. Right. So that's about <laughs> the extent of my knowledge is the things that have broken. I've researched them yeah. and say, oh, I understand now what this piece does. Yeah. And then I can will replace it <laughs> and move on. So. And eventually, yeah, after a number of years, you yes. just know the your car inside and out. Exactly. I have a I have a rudimentary understanding of the workings of of a combustion engine right. i understand the concept behind what is happening i could not lay out all of the pieces that are involved in no. it i understand the general concept yeah. of the micro explosions held inside of a piece of metal that move the rock i, I yeah. get that but that's about as far as I go. That makes it. sense yeah. to me. You like know? <laughs> I, that's crazy that someone did that, but I'm here for it, and I love the car. Yeah, yeah no, that's about – builds up more carbon. More carbon. Yeah. You know, man, I love all this green talk and stuff lately about removing carbon and lowering carbon emissions and all this stuff. And I'm like, Tim Pool on IRL maybe sometime last week or something like that made the – he was asking Ian, he goes, what are trees made out of? Uh, what are trees made out of? Carbon. Oh yeah. So it's like yeah, because they absorb carbon, right? And you know, produce oxygen. I'm like, yeah, I wonder what like how that works out. I need to talk to some scientists about this shit. Because if you get rid of all the carbon, it, it would make sense that like nothing could grow, because matter doesn't just materialize out of nothing. So I I'd be really interested in that. But it got me thinking about this stuff and like there's just all this we gotta gotta cut back carbon, remove your carbon footstep or footprint and all this stuff. I'm like, well, but then how are the trees gonna grow, man? Like yeah. we, there needs to be some. But I don't I don't I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'd there's real carbon curious. in your in your poop and your farts and all that type of shit. Every, you know, yeah. all the waste and everything. I think everything so, is basically some form of yeah. carbon. I I would be willing to I'd be willing to bet that there is a certain amount of carbon emissions, like uh, artificially made carbon emissions from cars and shit like that, that we benefit from. That yeah. like as a race or as a species, we probably can't make enough carbon to benefit. I don't. I have no fucking idea what I'm <laughs> right. talking about. We probably can't make enough naturally to do whatever needs to be done at this point. So I bet there's, if you had to strike a perfect balance. They'd be like we need you to produce this much. Like you got to produce still a little bit, right. not as much as you're doing. That's too much, but you still some because or else you won't have enough. Yeah, it's like so. That's all. I have no fucking idea what I'm talking about. But don't. <laughs> right. What makes the matter of what makes the matter of a free of a tree of a tree made oh, up? I, I was thinking out. of oh shit. I was thinking of the question. Um. Anything that has the cellular structures makes carbon or turns into carbon. Yeah, that's the type of shit that I can't, I can't conceptualize. I wish I was a that's scientist. That's beyond me. Yeah, when you start talking at the cellular cellular level, um, it's the same deal. I understand the basic function mm -hmm. of what you're saying to me, but it's way beyond. 
I never took chemistry, bro. I don't understand none mm-hmm. of this. No. <laughs> I operate on this plane. The one yeah. that we live on, that's where my brain can yeah, work there you go. That's it. I consider f- the, f- the philosophies of human beings. There you go. That's it. I don't go. I don't even go to the religious or the theocratic. None of that. I don't even involve myself in that. I'm like, I don't know. I'll figure that out when I'm done. I'm not even going to worry about that now because no one person is right. Right. So, yeah. No, I don't even concern myself with those things. Yeah, that's all right, buddy. The world needs philosophers and scientists <laughs> so the second tier of this chain that i'm drawing out here yes. right is is an article that i have from the kitsap sun and it is entitled murders up police staffing down says washington mm-hmm. crime report right the number of murders robberies, serious assaults and other violent crimes rose significantly in washington last year while the number of officers available to respond to them continued to plummet the head of the organization that collects the data said wednesday the washington association is association of sheriffs and police chiefs excuse me released its annual report on crime, finding that violent crime overall increased 12.3% in the state. Although the murder rate for per 100,000 residents was slightly higher in the 1980s and early 90s, the number of murders, 325, was the most since the association started tracking the data in 1980. It was up from 302 in 2020 and 201 before the pandemic in 2019. The national murder rate also soared in 2020. So I would imagine that... The murder rate four per 100,000, because they were also talking about per capita. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, there were 495 fewer police officers employed in the state, which already had the nation's fewest officers per capita, said Stephen Strachan, the association's Strachan. executive director, that left Washington with 10,736 full-time officers, a drop of 4.4% to serve a population that rose 116,000 to more than 7.7 million. We gained over 100,000 people last year Hot as dog. a state. That's a lot of people. I mean, I could see that. You know, we're kind of like California light up here. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that might have been a little too, uh, you know, gotten, saw the governments get a little overzealous. We're like, you know, Washington, you know, Northwest is still pretty progressive, but they're not totally psychotic like, you know, we are here in L.A. Let's go up there. It's pretty. You know, over the last few years, I've seen a lot of people from California move up here. So... Okay, this is stupid. This is stupid. The murder rate, four per 100,000 residents, was slightly higher in the 80s and 90s. The number of murders, 325, was the most since the association started the tracking data in the 1980s. So that's because there's more people here Mm -hmm. than there was in the 1980s and 90s. That murder rate is irrelevant, is what it sounds like. Yeah, because unless you, if you, you do that per capita... Yeah, then it's a it's kind of like saying that it's the two percent increase. Yeah, that doesn't mean random statistic. Because you just said there were more murders, but the murder rate is down. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that means that just means that if the as a on the whole per capita, it seems like the the rate went down, but the the sheer overall numbers went yes. up, probably due to increased population growth. Yes. So we saw over the state, and particularly in in Seattle, we saw an an enormous decline in police officers for multiple different reasons. Right. Huge. There were. Um, let's see here. Sorry, I'm trying to find. The governor just had a uh, a massive increase in funding for additional police officers for, yes. in particular, Seattle too. So I found it. Uh, so George Floyd, right? That was one thing. When the George Floyd riot started, there was an enormous amount of police officers that quit, also retired. And this is, I want to stop here for a second because it's like this weird loophole almost that I've heard to be used in multiple different outlets. And I'm talking about, well, there's been an enormous amount of retirements, you know, in police officers. Okay. Yeah, there was a shitload of people who chose to retire when they could have continued working or yeah. would have continued working. There was a shitload of people who retired early instead of just quitting, right? Yeah. So they retired early. 
that this matters, this context matters. And it's like I said, I think it's a loophole in this discussion to say, well, there's been so many retirements because there was a bunch of people who retired before they had originally planned to mm -hmm. because of these numerous different things, because of George Floyd, the COVID regulations. There was also the vaccine mandate throughout the state. There yeah. was, I don't know, hundreds of officers that quit throughout the state um, because of the vaccine mandates. Yeah. So the and, generalized push to be anti-cop for that particular reason because yeah. just you know it's the a cab stuff you know i have a very you know my take on law enforcement is very uh you know it's very anti-law enforcement but for a completely different reason um what we saw during our our great summer of love as the seattle mayor put it was it was this blatant anti-hate for any kind of authoritarian you know law enforcement um due to misguided misinformed reasons you know because cops are racist and they're all just killing black people or you know they're whatever it is they're bigoted and they're hateful and all this that's what that push was about right you know, like i have a principled stance against it but it has nothing to do with that but right that was not the overall push and it was nationwide and in some states we've seen a for lack of a better term a refunding of police after the massive defund the cops movement yes. went around but we in particular here in Seattle, um, they were one of the first cities to go really hardcore progressive with their policing system. And they have been well before George Floyd and all that stuff happened. And it's, it has, they've never ever been able to recover from that. Well, and it's hilarious because I've told you, I found that new local podcast. I don't remember what it's called, but I was listening to, it's called like morning brew or fucking, Something like that, um, that I don't think you ever followed it or listened to it, but it's one that I've listened to just a few times. And yeah, so, Seattle Now. Seattle Now, yes. By KUOW. And they just did an episode uh, earlier this week that said Seattle's plan to hire 500 police officers. And in this, they said, well, the Seattle never, you know, defunded the police. So mm -hmm. in a matter of five seconds, I found an article after a summer, and this is from NBC News, after a summer of protests, Seattle cuts police department budget by nearly 17%. And if you go into the article, even the Seattle City Council on Monday cuts its police department budget by nearly 17% in a shift that grew out of this past summer's national protest against systemic racism. The panel's 2021 spending plan called for $340 million to be allocated to Seattle's police department, down from $409 million this year, representatives of the council and mayor said Tuesday. So while they did not cut the department, right, they did not hack off a bunch of officers, they cut the budget, which forced them to make cuts. Because we talked about this, that's yeah. part of the reason that Carmen, uh, Best, Carmen Best quit, yeah. was because they were going to make her fire a bunch of minority police officers she had just fucking hired. Yep. And she said, no, I'm not doing that. So now, the new mayor, Bruce Harrell, and the um, the sitting police chief, the interim police chief, that's what I'm looking for, Adrian Diaz, um, are working on a new plan. They're asking for, to what I said, $2 million, I think I told mm -hmm. you yesterday, for 500 additional officers and to shore up declining policing staff, police staffing that he says is at crisis levels. And this is from Axios now. Uh, the latest Herald, joined by interim police chief Adrian Diaz, said at a news conference that he's asking the city council for $1 million to help pay for his plan, which includes hiring bonuses of up to $7,500 for new recruits and $30,000 for officers transferring from other departments, paying $1,000 to city employees who refer officer candidates that are hired and bringing on a recruitment director and other specialists. Um, the plan also widens the officer applicant tool to prioritize hiring more black candidates and other police of color because they just fucking hire, fired a bunch of them. Uh, bilingual recruits and those with other diverse qualities. Yes, but 
Hanner asked for another $1 million for police recruitment on top of $1 million already approved in May. Does not cover a key part of his strategy, a package of pay, vacation, and training incentives aimed at retaining already employed officers. They want to add to the retirements, the pensions, um, and stuff like that. Uh, The cost of such retention bonuses remains unknown and is still being negotiated as part of a new collective bargaining agreement with the Seattle Police Officers Guild. Those negotiations likely won't finalize before the city's next budget process in the fall. So... Um, the SPD has 950 deployable officers, and that's the lowest they've seen since 91. 950. 950 for the entirety of Seattle. I remember. Over 400 officers have exited the department since 2019, including dozens who left in the wake of 2020's tumultuous racial justice protests and calls to defund the police. At the same time, the hiring, the Seattle's department has not, hiring has not kept pace. So far this year, 109 officers have left and 35 have been hired. (laughs) It is fucking July and they've hired 35 people. Dude. Why the fuck would you want to be a cop in Seattle? Yeah. The Seattle Police Department, even prior to this, had a horrific, horrific record of of uh abuse on citizens yeah horrific record yeah especially minorities horrific yep that's why they uh were one of the first to kind of go really really progressive in policing policies yes. because it was a serious problem for a long time and you got to remember too yeah 950 for seattle bro yeah. that's that's not that many and that was their argument in the in the seattle now was well they didn't cut the budget they reallocated that money to different types of policing oh yeah community <laughs> so, community uh, outreach right. programs so you cut and... it from the police department budget and you gave that money to other people and expected them to do community policing which is fine if that's how you want to look at it mm-hmm. but don't tell me you didn't fucking cut the police budget when that's exactly what you did from 409 million to 370 million when you can look at the numbers don't try and fucking gaslight me into telling me that you didn't cut the budget yeah. when we can see the numbers, dog. Yeah, it was... I don't know if I've ever told you this, but back when I was living in Long Island, um, way back in the day, we're probably talking 08, 09, probably somewhere around there, um, I would be driving into uh, into Queens and on the big uh, expressway going in called the LIE, the Long Island Expressway, massive billboards recruiting for seattle pd and in it was new like york? in new york city yes on long island i actually and that's i because that was there and i knew i was eventually going to end up back here i had started the process and interviewed and did the whole nine yards beside before making the best decision ever in my life and saying i'm not doing this yeah but yeah that's and they were offering like ridiculous signing bonuses transfer bonuses to nypd and all grand. these different things yeah and i think that was the number even back then too but it's it has been a serious problem for Seattle for a very long time, and I, I, I question the sanity of the people that are going. Well, I don't understand why, because it's been happening for so long. It begs the question: What are you? What kind of environment are you building for yourself that is yes. making it that that no nobody wants to be a law enforcement officer in your city? And this one, yeah, this is another article that says... Wake the fuck up. It's from the ACLU. Uh, yes, but some... Poli- and this from Axios led to that. Yes, but some police reform advocates and other critics contend that SPD doesn't spend its $363 million budget well and doesn't need more money for hiring. Okay, we also spend millions of dollars in the city of Seattle to deal with homelessness and the problem mm-hmm. only gets worse. Yeah. They don't spend money well on anything in any big city because government, it as, as almost by a rule ineffectively spends money it, yes. it is ineffective by fucking rule by essence of what it is yeah so 
that's not even a legitimate but this links to an aclu washington article um exploring the divestment slash reinvestment approach to policing an aclu washington blog series um, yeah and so this I bet is that's an enthralling series given the start of 2022 budget deliberations at the city of seattle this blog post updates our original follow the money post from 2020 showing how the seattle police department budget remains outsized compared to spending on other critical city departments in 2021 mayor durkin there's also fucking open gunfight that happens in seattle all of the time oh yeah rainier avenue there is there is gunfire all there all, all of the time yeah so we're at the home of the chess shop it's man ludicrous i know my and my point with this whole thing is not is in the vein of you my point is not that we need more police officers that is not my point my point is while all of this is happening it has the weird underpinning of we're also trying to take your ability to defend yourself and your family and your own property all at the same time while we are refusing to do anything that even closely aligns with our original yeah. intent of government to actually fucking protect you and your property. Yeah. We're also going to limit your ability to do the exact same thing. Those are just, they're just civil disputes. They're just civil disputes. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's, it's, uh, what do they call it? It's mutual combat. It's mutual combat. It doesn't matter. Just like the shit in, in Chicago. Yes. Seven people are dead. It doesn't matter. Mutual it's mutual combat. combat. Multiple, they were shooting at each other. It's fine. <laughs> they were shooting at each other. It's mutual combat. We live in a mutual combat oh. state, so it doesn't matter. And Bilbo earlier, he said that um, the early retirement also affected the pilot industry 100%. Yeah. And that's I think that that's a really shady way to be spinning this by talking about, well, how many people retired? Well, if the choice is we're going to fire you, you can get the vaccine or you can choose to retire early. I'm going to choose to retire early. I'll take a slightly lower pension because my pension is guaranteed anyway because I belong to this fucking sick-ass union. Yeah. And I'm going to get the fuck out. I've already done my 15 or whatever. I was going to do 20. I don't need it. I'll stop at 15, and no. I just don't give a fuck. I'd rather right? not have a stroke at 50,000 feet. Uh, yeah, so I'm, not even that. I mean the police, right? All these oh, people yeah. work there for however long. They work there 15 years. I'll do 20, 25 years because you're only 45. If that's the main career that you've had, you nope. can be a cop for a really long time. Oh, yeah. You know? So especially in the Kitsap County, if you're a Kitsap County sheriff, your job is probably relatively chill. You yeah. know what I'm saying? They're, some of those guys are pretty fucking fat. So yes. probably have pretty chill. Even the guys who are on patrol in cars, mm -hmm. the job is probably pretty chill. So there's obviously times where things go crazy because there's a lot of drug use and stuff like that here. But overall, uh, it seems like it's, it's pretty chill. So yeah. And I will say, just to add on to this too, because there's so much, there's so little context behind it. Like, like you said before, like the, the retirements. Yeah, a lot of people retired. Well, why were right. they retiring? Why? And then on top of that, the people that are staying, I guarantee you that with a reduction of officer coverage, there is an increased requirement for hours. So more required overtime for, you know, like the big city events that are happening all the time. And so you're going to get officer burnout for the people that continue to stay anyways. And they're going to get burnt out and either make really bad decisions and their ability to police is going to go down or they're just going to fucking leave because they're burnt to shit and they'll probably get a decent a better job somewhere else where they're not as burnt out i mean it's just a it's a compounding problem yes. when you when you continually attack a force of which you completely rely on due to your other you know reduction of people's rights to defend themselves and you rely exactly. solely on this on the the enforcers of the state exactly. at that point and then all you do is come down on them it should be absolutely no surprise to you that they're gonna fucking walk and it's gonna continue to happen you can't just throw money at that problem and fix it 
And you, there was all kinds of, even in the wake of this 2020, the way that they changed the regulations of the police officers and then had to amend them during the pandemic, right? We talked to Officer Brian about that, about yeah. they changed the way they had to go about like arresting people and the detaining people. The cops could put their hands on people and stuff like that. And hospital workers and mental health workers were upset that the police couldn't do more to intervene. They're like, you literally asked for this. You live in Seattle. You asked for the police department to be cut and changed in this way. And now I cannot assist you in the way that you're asking me to yep. do so. That's he told us that straight out in these DMs I was sharing with him. Yeah. You know, that they have limited my ability to help people <clears throat> to help mental health professionals assist people who are having mental health issues. And now they are upset about the things they have asked us yeah. to do. So that's what happens. You make uh, severe regulatory decisions based off of ideology and emotion. Yeah. So, Shit, you know, choices have consequences, man. That's how that works. And you can't just blame the consequences on uh you have to look at the choices you make yeah and and adjust accordingly but and you don't love to see it you know eventually this is no. going to start to spill into people's private property and people are mm -hmm. going to start to get hurt oh yeah you know? i mean the everything about that when crime increases in a city particularly within cities because they're so packed they're so on top of each other everything is all on top of each other in a tiny tiny little space when you decrease when you increase crime Every aspect of life in that city goes down from your entire economy goes down because businesses goes down because residents don't want to live there because it's fucking dangerous because businesses won't move in there. They'll be moving out of the city. Everything is affected by that increased homelessness at that point. I mean, everything well, your, goes your downhill trust for other people because you don't know who's a criminal and who's not a criminal you, because yeah. the crime is just generally up. Yeah. So you have to be more aware of your surroundings than you. Not that mm -hmm. you shouldn't be in jail. We've talked about that anyway, yeah. but, um, you know, if, regular soccer mom it doesn't like to look, have to look over her shoulder all the time she wants to feel safe when she goes places yeah. she should be able to feel safe when she goes places but when shit like that happens when the town that you grew up in bremerton starts to get fucking sketch you know yep. there's certain stores and areas that you just don't go to yeah and that's if you shouldn't have to avoid certain areas of your small town yeah. because crime is so bad yeah and then that's and it perpetuates crime at that point too because the lack of economic opportunity yeah just increases crime it's it's, it's a it's a what do you call that? Like an increasing problem, just exponentially increases the problem and compounding. continues to spiral down. Yeah, yeah. it's a com compounding issue. We expect cops to be able to do the job of multiple different professions and then demonize them when they make a mistake. Yeah. yeah there's there's little, little grace given, little grace given to, you know, agents of the state and. Again, I have my own issues with that, obviously. But yeah, and part of that goes into an abdication of people's personal responsibility yeah. for their own safety. You should not be depending on someone else for your safety. We talked mm -hmm. about this. The greatest and most recent example is the Uvalde shooting. You should not be relying on somebody else to protect your family. You yeah. should be able to do it yourself. And anybody else's attempt to limit your ability to defend yourself and your family is, is immoral, mm -hmm. is inherently immoral. And so... This type of shit, and that's why my, like I said, my undertone of all of this is that they're also trying to limit your ability to defend yourself because that sh that's at the core of all of this. Yeah, all this crime is happening. Other people are being murdered. Their shit is being stolen from them. You don't even have you don't even have the ability to defend yourself. They're Check. trying to take that away from you. They are actively limiting that ability all at the same time, and that's the real, real message. Yeah, that you, this should be something you should be able to handle your goddamn self. You should be able to walk out of your house. I'm not saying you should shoot people over your car. You should be able to walk out of your house, point a fucking gun at somebody and say, get the fuck away from my car, get your hands off my catalytic converter, and they should have to walk the fuck away or else right? get shot. This, 
I find this to be an acceptable circumstance for you to insert yourself into. The state does not find that. They're limiting your ability to defend yourself and defend your property. That is at the core of everything. Property rights and personal safety, that is the end-all, be-all. Yeah. So while this is important, I would beg everyone listening, do not allow this to distract you, that they are also trying to... I would say the end goal is to take your ability to defend yourself. But right now, all I can all I can factually say is that they are actively limiting your ability to defend yourself. So, right. so you know, all these – we have magazine laws and all that stuff type here. I mean, we're hoping to see these things be challenged under these new decisions that came out under New York and the Supreme Court, Supreme, yeah. Supreme Court and things like that. But we will see. Yeah, yeah, we have no problem with uh, magazine shortages in this household. So. I saw that. I know Just where to go. Remember that. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, look at the mall shooting in Indiana. So just a really quick aside to that. We talked about yes. this earlier today with a buddy of ours. A forty yard shot. Yeah. With uh, somewhere between forty to fifty yeah, yards with, with a pistol. Yeah. Jesus. Good for him. That and to you know, because we we fucked around at the range like yeah. that, doing long distance shooting, and the the way he went about that to post up on a pillar of some kind, try to steady the gun at forty yards, and and accurately put that dude down is fucking impressive. And to yeah. be able to have the mindset of you know controlling you know whatever is going on in your head, to be able to make that those accurate shots at forty yards, that's not an accident. No. That dude was proficient in the firearm that he carried and he knew exactly what to do and how to do it. That dude is a fucking hero. Yes. And and man, highly highly impressive just from a standard marksman uh, you know marksmanship point. Fuck. Yeah, it's not simple. 40 yards with a handgun no. is not simple. Handguns are not as simple as people think they are that don't shoot handguns. They are much more difficult than rifles shit like that. Way harder. Yeah, we're out of Welcome to corn country. Yeah, 100 <laughs> percent Yeah. No, and, and and my end lesson or or takeaway from all that would be the same similar one that I've seen from a lot of different people is carry everywhere. And we've talked about that mm. on this on this show consistently. Unless there is physical infrastructure hindering me from doing so. I have a firearm on me at all times. Unless there is a infrastructure a metal detector or someone stopping me from doing so i have a gun at all times fuck the sign fuck what anybody's saying to you doesn't matter your safety and the safety of your family and the people you love is more important than some fucking law some ticket some fucking bullshit that doesn't matter don't listen to that that is nonsense <laughs> that is absolute nonsense yeah carry the gun that you want Carry the gun that makes you feel comfortable and get comfortable and train with that firearm for this fucking reason. I carry every day and keep my hunting rifle in my truck. Fuck yeah. I love it. Bilbo Weka, welcome to the fucking show. <laughs> welcome to Salt of the Street. Yeah, also, what kind here. of hunting rifle do you have? What yeah, no, 100%. Shooting? Yeah, no, we're out here. And that's I. We've talked about this so many million times before. I'll, I'll lay it out for Bilbo. My intent, right, I have this. I carry Glock 20 every day. It says 10 mil. So I'm where I'm going to get me a nine. Um, and I'm going to put this. Those, one of those micro ronies, that little conversion kit. Ooh. Slap that thing in there. So it's going to be nice. I'm excited about my, my, my little extendo mag that I got on that thing. Yeah. It's really sweet. Yeah. It's, it's good. I, I wouldn't carry that, though. It's too big. If you're, if you're going oh, extended yeah, mag, yeah. it's too big. I've noticed. It's just, it's just not there. Joseph! Joseph! There you are. Late here. How are y'all doing? Hey, Hope you had a good week. Glad to see you here. Bilbo! There it is. I love all of you guys so much. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> do you have any more local stories? Do you want to hit Trump in this first part? I we're think we. All right, I think we one. should. Yeah, we could. So, uh, yeah, we're about an hour. Yeah, we're just over an hour, and we are yeah. an hour and seven minutes in here. So we will do. Um, 
This is the last portion of part one here. Yeah, this is Donald Trump on 2024. Oh, my God. I didn't know you could do that. I would have been sending you these articles the whole time. Now that I know. Part two. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't have my extra webcam on here. No, that's okay. So this was a... uh... This was really interesting. Yes, because for for multiple reasons. But in New York Magazine, um, that's a book. It's a great picture. Donald, yeah, that's <laughs> a great picture. I saw that on a book cover the other day. Really? Uh, yesterday when we were at the fucking bookstore, oh, Port what, Townsend. What book was it? Do you remember? It was a. It was a. You know what? It might have been a copy of New York Magazine. Now that I think about it, yeah, which would make sense. But um, yeah, for some fucking reason, this idiot on July fourteenth gave an interview to New York Magazine of all places who, God, I wish I just would have clipped Tim Pool's version of it because he did like a really quick read of yeah. the very the first paragraph. In his Trump impression? Uh, no, just oh. as he just did it like really, really quick. Made Ben Shapiro seem slow. Oh, it was oh, hilarious, right, okay. right? But they opened up the article because they, they he gave an interview with New York Magazine about his possibility of running for office in 2024 again. And they opened the article up as such donald trump was impeached twice lost the 2020 election by more than 7 million votes is entangled in investigations by federal prosecutors over the capitol insurrection and other mishandling of classified white house documents and over election interference and the district of columbia attorney general over financial fraud and the presidential inaugural committee and the manhattan district attorney over financial fraud at the trump organization and the new york state attorney general over financial fraud at the trump organization and the westchester county district attorney over financial fraud at the trump organization and the fulton county georgia district attorney over criminal election interference in georgia and the securities and exchange commission over rules violations and in plans to take his social media company public through a spac and the house select committee on january 6 whose hearings are underway are the runaway tv rating hit of the summer yet on god yet on monday july 11th he was in a fantastic mood you just gave an interview to an organization you knew was going to open up that piece like that but he goes on you know it's a big long stupid fucking way too many worded piece about this thing and essentially he says he's just waiting at the right for the right time to announce to announce that he will be running because you cannot officially announce without certain legal implications right. and things like this and so you know a lot of politicians do that i think hillary clinton did that when she the ran and the yeah because and the... that's when like your funding mechanisms really get limited right you know when when you just have like a, a pact out there and you're just doing speeches and whatever they can throw as much money they want at you but the minute you become a, a candidate then right. you have certain amounts of money that you can only get from everybody so everybody gets their fat stack in like the clinton foundation and the trump organization or whatever oh like God. that but i but yeah, fucking hate it so much he uh he unofficially announced that he's officially thinking about when to announce just waiting for the right time yeah so which i'm assuming is going to be after midterms probably in like december or something like that that's what we all figured right yeah you know we're just like why would how are you going to not do it who else is going to do it i think the only thing that would bar him from doing it is if he legally can't right and that's what the jan 6 committee is really trying to do and yeah, and we'll um, talk about some Jan Six stuff in, yeah, in, in the, the next, next one. part. Uh, I got a really interesting New York Post um, article that came out yeah. from the editorial staff yesterday, or to, it was either yesterday or or this morning, about how the Jan Six temporary closed out their summer session. Yeah, and it was interesting. The really long story short, the New York Post is 
on board with him never running and not being able to hold office again now, mm. which is an interesting stance from the New York Post. Because as I think we'll discuss in the next segment, um, a lot of uh, older school Republicans, I think, got reasons for it during the last the last portion of the committee hearings. The prime time close out. But what are your thoughts on T Dog running again? What are implications? Assuming he's going to, let's just assume it's going to be the most logical point would be after midterms, so that it doesn't necessarily affect any of the candidates trying to run for primaries now. Yeah. What are your thoughts on what that would look like and what the effects would be? I expect they would. the The mm. worst, the worst thing that I think will happen will be what it was the first term run is this the the social nature of the country will get even more chaotic than it is now. But I don't think even him leaving office you know, quelled things. Even him being kicked off no. of Twitter and not being directly in the public eye, they're still doing everything they can to focus on him all of the time. They're constantly talking about him. So, yeah. <clears throat> so I don't even know how much it could ramp back up, you know, because I don't feel like it has gone down. It feels that the country is just as divisive as it was when he was president yeah if anything Um, it's probably gotten worse for other reasons but it all i mean the the corporate press is they're not they're not hiding the fact that they still blame everything on him every trouble and woe in the world stems from the the trump world or the pro trump the mega crowd you know the movement that he created but even the, the whole coup in january 6th oh, yeah. i mean that's like one of the big notes i have here is this, this entire thing even though they have people in the committee hearings that are testifying that <laughs> yeah. were arrested and spent time in jail everything is donald trump's fault it, it is yeah. almost that he it is almost like he had divine control over everyone at that protest that day and everyone who went to the Capitol, yeah. it, it wasn't until he told them to go that they could go. There wasn't anything anyone else could do. You couldn't have brought in the police. You couldn't have brought in the National Guard. You couldn't have done anything to make them go unless Donald Trump told them to go. And that is which the is, narrative that they Which create. is the craziest yeah. thing I've ever fucking heard. That on one end, we're going to charge hundreds of people with crimes and put hundreds of people in jail. But they don't have any personal responsibility when it comes to the political applications or implications of this situation. They were, oh, they were. It's it's like he was fucking Jim Jones. Yeah. He had them all drinking the Kool Aid. They were poisoned. They had no choice. You know, he forced them to do it. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And this whole one of the articles I was reading. We'll get deeper into it. But one of the articles I was reading earlier was saying that one of the police officers was testifying that she saw people protesters with guns at the capitol Mm -hmm. i don't buy it i don't believe that i don't believe that if people had guns there the only person who got shot would have been ashley babbitt i don't believe that i well it doesn't fit with the narrative that you painted that they were all extra violent and using makeshift weapons and all this other thing because if they had real weapons why would they not use the guns yeah they're using flagpoles they're willing to beat people to death with a fire extinguisher like you said that day and then change the story but never said anything about it they're willing to do all of this Mm -hmm. but they're not willing to actually pull the trigger and try and overthrow they're in the halls of the senate they're in the senate chambers and the most they're going to do is just take pictures take selfies take fucking nancy pelosi's lectern yeah that doesn't, what you're that doesn't seem like doesn't, a violent coup. That just, just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And not allowing any middle 
ground of it you know of this is either the worst thing that's ever happened and it's a direct threat to our entirety government and the entire way that we live mm-hmm. or you don't think that this it happened and you don't think that it's a coup and you don't think the election is real and all of the, it, it's either one or the other you yeah. can't you can't think that this was a bad idea and you can't disagree with it and think donald trump's actions were abhorrible and also not think that it was a violent coup that actually was a threat to our democracy or our government it was a direct attack on our democracy it's impossible to hold those two ideas at the same time and i think that's a real that's going to be the downfall of this is that that's why people aren't watching this yeah and if you if you would have called it what it was which which was a violent riot um capital riots just like we have every time here was if it was if it was a if it was a riot like it was then you don't have that you don't you're not allowed to build a narrative where trump was the sole responsible entity who was responsible for inciting and responsible for for removing it right for letting for telling everybody to go he could call the shots because he was the shot caller and you know, we'll get way more into this stuff in the next segment and stuff when we start talking yeah. about jan six we'll start with and all jan that six. um but yeah i don't uh so let's let's Kind of divert back to the election part of it. If yeah. uh, there's been a lot of talk about Ron DeSantis, obviously, um, possibly taking on the mantle for that. Um, do you, would you think that if, you know, when Trump announces, do you think that will close out the GOP primary possibility and nobody will run against him with any real effectiveness? I think they'll definitely run. I don't think it's going to stop mm-hmm. anyone from trying to challenge him because I think there are probably a lot of Republicans that don't necessarily think that he'll make it. I think there are probably a lot of Republicans that think that they can take him over. Even with yeah. the control he has there, there's enough division and enough concern and question about him as a leader and all these other things happening, that entire paragraph of stuff, that whether it is realistic or not, I think there are people that are going to convince themselves that they can do it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm drinking, the BSB 103. Yeah, yeah. That's the high test. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. I'd be drinking too, but I'm on a sober kick. Not me. Yeah, you know, no, it it, it causes problems. So I'm interested to see it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not... I think things are going to get rocky. And I don't have any way to get a good... I don't trust any of these polls enough to think that they're giving me an accurate look into the mind of the Republican voting base. Yeah. You know, I know that a lot of people fuck with Donald Trump and I know in a good way. And I know mm. the more that this January 6th stuff happened, things like this where everything gets blamed on all Trump, the more people see that. And even the ones who aren't down for him think he couldn't possibly be a fault for all of these things. Yeah. You know, this it just this pumps his true. base up really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty much right there with you, to be honest. I don't, I don't think that when that announcement comes, I, I think there's going to be some really rocky shit that happens. A lot of protests and stuff are going to happen. Some violence is going to come up, but, um, but to be honest, I have to pee really bad. Yeah, and we're getting close, I'm and ready. I want to save a little bit of time for segment two. So I think, yeah, if we can I'm just ready. close this up, I'm ready. Everybody will be back in three minutes for part two. So Donovan. Did you hear that if you buy iron and carbon for the price of just one alloy? Or, oh, fuck, I fucked up the joke. Sorry, Bilbo. Dude, you had me dying in the break. I read that. I just started, I almost pissed myself. Yeah. Dad joke. That's like an upper level dad joke right there. 
Um, so yeah, do, do the intro, yeah. my sir. Thank you, for, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for coming back, everybody. It's Salt of the Streets. My name is Donovan. I am Colin. Thank you again for coming back. I want to thank you for a third time now. Um, obviously, for watching us here on YouTube, we also have our Instagram, our Facebook, fuck Facebook, our Patreon, everything over here at social at Salt of the Streets. Hmm. You can find all of this at saltofthestreets.com, including our personal social media. I'm at Salt of the Street on Twitter and at alpaca underscore Donovan on Instagram. And Colin is at Big Bird Offy on both of those things. Right there. Make sure that you go and you sign up for our Patreon. Help us make more better content just like this, as, long, as well as our newsletter, the book club, things like that. We also have, of course, JP Bakery. Um, yes. My wife, she's just getting back into making cakes. And while we cannot mail the cakes in the mail, she does make the English muffins that mail no problem with no issue. So, and I just had a birthday the other day, and uh, um, the whole fam came by while we were at work on Thursday, and Jordan brought me a whole fucking plate of my own personal fun fetty cupcakes. Yeah, and just I mean, it's been the so long. Fetty, of course. Yes, I had. It's been so long since I had some of her baked goods. I had, you know, you just kind of forget sometimes, and fuck. So I can attest personally, they are the best I've ever had. And I don't get down on sweets that much, but the fucking, the icing, dude. I'm not yeah. a huge icing guy. It's it's too it's much. Buttercream. But it's a, it's a buttercream that is not, it's light. It's fluffy. You know, you see a big old, like, dollop on the top of that cupcake, and you're like, oh, this is going to be diabetes. And you bite into it, and it's light. And it's, oh, it's just fucking perfect she whips the fuck out of that butter it's so good dude yeah. it's a it's a problem so shout out there and i want to i want to shout out one more thing for us um it's starting to grow a little bit and particularly because the our guest that's going to come on a part three is going to be joining via our salt of the streets discord server Ooh. i am i am on there pretty regularly um i post all the clips and the stuff that we do there so if you guys have Discord, you know what it is. If you don't, it's a quick Google, and you'll you can be, download it and just search out our our server right there. And it's like a fun little private forum where we post stuff and people get into chats. Um, yeah. Zeke's on there, and uh, Zeke's brother Ivan, Ivan, who's been on the show before, he gets on there, and all of our guests are on there. So I'm gonna try know, and get into that, that more. Yeah, with the book club and stuff like that. I'd like to try and do mm. more of the discussion in the book club as opposed to the live streams and stuff like that. So it's a fun thing, and you yeah. and it's got a nice phone app too. So. And it okay. makes it convenient for people too. You don't have to jump on the and it's easy on the for computer. To join our Discord server now. You just jump. Right Should, into be. It. Should be. Should <laughs> be. Hey man, our so audience is, is is niche enough right now. If you got a problem, just reach out to me. I'll, yeah. I'll we'll make it happen. Discord, but. salt of the streets, go there. Yeah, because we will, like I said, in part three and four, we will have mm -hmm. buddy Jake there joining us via Discord. So. Yay! <clears throat> so let's get back to T Dog. And uh, Gen 6, yeah, right? let's talk so, about January 6th. So, we're not going to do a full breakdown of all like eight different hearings because yeah. I don't care enough about these things to do it. And we've talked in brief about these things. And my largest concern, and I think it's a little bit abated now with this particular one, mm -hmm. um, but I think the style of hearing is, is kind of what that fear is going to grow into. And my initial fear with this was that this hearing is going to grow and grow and grow and just encapsulate more and more people that are just essentially concerned or considered enemies of the state. Right. Yeah. And I don't, as this has gone on, I don't see this as much happening in this particular hearing, but the more that these hearings and investigations happen within select committees, within a particular branch of the government, and they get to pick who's in it, and it only kind of has to be bipartisan, and they get to choose who leads it, these things 
That is what concerns me. Yeah. Is the 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 political show trial aspect the of the trend it. of that, yeah. Um, that that is what I fear will grow into encapsulating ridiculous political crimes that have nothing to do with reality mm-hmm. um, because this one so already borders on reality so much. So um, much. Yeah. So much. It, it's This seems to be too focused on Donald Trump for me to be concerned about it really reaching outside of anybody else outside of the Capitol that day mm-hmm. um, and Trump's circle. But – this style itself is something that we definitely should keep an eye on because if they can, you know, charge fighting 400 plus people with crimes involved with January 6th and put 200 plus people in jail because of it, then this is something that we need to pay attention to. Yeah. It's most talked about theater events since Abe Lincoln. Yeah, Hot dog. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> So, yeah, l- l- lest, lest we forget that there is an actual producer from what ABC that, yeah. uh, you know, is helping them organize these events to make sure that they are good for television. Yeah. And that's I was hearing on the way here listening to Friday's edition of Start Here. They're like, it's been laid out almost like these new popular TV series where it's like eight episodes, you know, of like, oh, it's it's almost like it was laid out that way. Yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like that. Yeah, so we it? just had the season one finale. Yes. On on. What day was that? It was last week. Thursday, I think. Yeah, political prisoners, 100%. Yeah, they're absolutely political prisoners. And the people that are there testifying about, you know, I was hanging on to his every word. These people pled guilty in exchange for their testimony, and they went there and said what they were told to say, just like Cassidy Hutchinson, is that what her name is? So many of these are people who have lied about shit, perjured themselves, and they're testimonies have been propped up by this committee right and we'll get into some of this stuff and really what we're going to highlight is some of our biggest concerns and the biggest inconsistencies that we've seen with this right so um i told you i had one article that was going to lead us through it and i've lost that article but i have some other shit that we'll use so don't worry about that boom so sorry let me pull up this window here i will say by the on the aspect of political prisoners we did finally you know the select committee got their first um casualty involved with uh in the name of steam bannon he got found guilty of uh contempt of congress contempt of congress and is looking at time and he he knows you know he did a stint on hannity i think last night um i saw a little clip of it on the on the twitter machine and you know he knows exactly what this is he knows he's a political prisoner he's, he knows he's polit- being prosecuted politically and he know he's very willing to to go down this road. He's very open about it, and he totally understands. He's he's very open to going to prison over this because he he knows what this is, right? And he's willing to go down as you know somewhat of a martyr. And I'm not a Steve Bannon fan, we'll put it that way. But and you, you could tell there's a little bit of a sanctimoniousness in his in him in this whole process with him. But yeah, it's it's not good, man. When a political trial is happening right now because this is not a committee hearing this is a trial done this is a public a a court of public opinion trial the house select committee investigating january 6th yeah and it's being treated as if it's like a criminal trial because they know on the back end they have the doj right behind them act you know going to be the enforcement branch of whatever it is that they decide they need to do and you know it's going to be merrick garland of all people that's going to be you know the onus is going to be put on him to to do something about this. It is it is it's very I don't want to just say communist esque, but it's it is very Maoist. 
You know, it is very just political show trials that we saw during every single communist revolution that has ever happened in history. These people that are put up there, and there's a show trial, and then they just get thrown away. Right. And Bannon is their first actual <laughs> victim. You know, because I, what was it, Peter Navarro, or, there was another guy that got hemmed up, but it was for like slightly more legitimate reasons than the fucking contempt of Congress. And I think. I think were all the people, the plebes that testified, right? The people that are involved with the different mm -hmm. <clears throat> oath keepers and all that type of shit, right? Were these guys not such fucking idiots? I think that we might have almost seen some public struggle sessions, you yeah. know, in in the form of their testimony and their uh, their interviews, right? But because they're whatever you want to call it, because they're scared, because they're fucking stupid, whatever, you know, they're like, I'll I'll. Oh, guilty, I don't care. I, you know, I'm willing to do whatever because they were willing, they were talked into it. I, and I feel comfortable saying that um, they're just going to, yeah. they're just going to testify instead. Yeah. Um, don't ask what's going on with Ray Epps, though. Why is he not going on trial yeah. when we have video of him doing the same shit that these people got hemmed up for? Yeah, no, and it seems that the intent we've talked about with Donald Trump is to find to try and tee up some form of charges for the Justice Department to take over, yeah. which would line up with what Bilbo was talking about with the Stalinistic trials to, in in the American form of it, would be to remove their ability to participate in politics, yeah. right? We can't, we can't exile you. We can't kill you, right? We can't hang you for treason because it wasn't actually treason. We can see that. We can't prove that. Mm -hmm. We have to say that you um, solicited a salacious... Uh, coup, you know, uh, solicitous actions, seditious actions that led to an attempted coup of the government. We can't say that it was treason because it wasn't technically, so we can't fucking kill you publicly mm -hmm. like we want to, right? Yeah. All we can do is remove your ability to participate in politics, and just like we removed your ability to be on Twitter, to effectively communicate in public discourse, you have to start your own social media that we're going to try and question and take down anyway. Yep. So, And it's a tactic that they've shown, they've, you know, they've pursued to go after other individuals as well smaller time people in congress like 100%. mtg and stuff like that they they've been trying to not they can't go after them criminally so they go after them in a political manner essentially just to bar them from office so that they are a non-entity anymore in the the political space and if that's what they can convince people to do somehow some way right then that's how they get their victory they just want to take him off the board because he is so dangerous to them you know, especially with midterms coming up, they know they're about to get fucking clocked. And it needs to be done in this odd political manner. I, I have to look more into Ray Epps. I don't know that much about that. I oh, just yeah. started to hear about that kind of like on Tim Pool the other day when I was when I was watching it. So oh. I don't know that much about Ray Epps, um, really only what they were saying. I have not, I've largely written off the Jan 6 trials, these things that are happening. I've, yeah. I've largely written it off because I don't acknowledge the legitimacy of the narrative that they're trying, that they're trying to construct, yeah. right? So... That's part of my own fault. Um, I watched what happened that day, and I I accepted what I saw that day and the details that came afterward for for what they are because yeah. I believe that to be the truth. So, um, what the fuck was I just about to lay out? It was Donald Trump mm, political show trial, um, the narrative they're building. Um, have you noticed? Have you? Well, I guess because it's hard. I, too, like you, have been very uninterested in giving oh. the show trial any validity. Yes. Go ahead. I don't yes. want to steal it. Go. No, no. So, <laughs> no, no, no. What I, 
the thing that I find interesting is this can't be done in any type of legitimate manner. It has to be done in the show trial manner because immediately after it being done, even the corrupt deep state, quote unquote, FBI that we've seen came out with a report that said that there was no deep state or collusion between Donald Trump or orchestrated effort between Donald Trump and these far right groups to take the Capitol. Mm -hmm. The FBI came out with this report days afterwards. Yeah. And it's now two years later and they're trying to craft a narrative that runs directly counter to the FBI narrative the FBI investigation and findings that were released right after that Mm -hmm. so unless and I told you this unless the House Committee of course there are details that they're going to be able to find now that were not available at the time but unless they are more adept at investigating things than supposedly the FBI is Right, and I'm not saying the FBI is. I'm not that. Don't take that as me being like because the FBI is so good, right? Because I do believe the <laughs> FBI is shit. But by this same narrative, the FBI is supposed to be the end all be all investigative body, and supposedly we now are supposed to believe that the House Committee has better investigative abilities than the FBI does because they are finding completely different findings than the FBI did, right? So it's a little bit difficult for me to believe this. Um, the FBI, their findings were that there was a plan for to end up at the Capitol and to do, but there was no long-term plan for a coup or anything to actually happen when they got there. No mm. one knew what they were going to do when they got there. No. And I think that that is pretty evident in the lack of weapons that we saw, the lack of lethal violence that we saw on the part of the protesters themselves outside of the people that died yeah. as a result afterwards. And of course, Ashley Babbitt, who was shot by federal police. Um, it's a little difficult for me to buy this narrative when yeah. we already heard of the opposite. Yes, like we know there was a plan to go from the rally to protest at the Capitol. That was the plan, which is a perfectly legitimate thing to do. Yes. There is nothing wrong with that. That is your right as an American to do that. And it's the right of the president to, if he wants to be involved with that, it is his right to do that as well. But the the addition of the, well, these people had weapons. I don't care. I don't care. That's your Second Amendment right to have fucking weapons. You can you can do that at a protest. There's nothing wrong with that. No. That is your God-given right as an American to do that. Especially if you didn't kill anybody when you were there. Yeah. You just because you carry a weapon doesn't make you a bad guy. If you're if you're carrying a weapon at a political rally, there's zero difference in that right. whatsoever. It is what you do physically with that weapon that makes you a good or a bad guy. And there if there was guns, like they say, there was a bunch of armed protests. They didn't shoot anybody. They didn't do anything with their weapons. They right. were fighting against the against the Capitol Police using, you know, with fucking, you know, flagpoles and, you know, makeshift shit. Right. If there was guns and they wanted to use them, they would have fucking used them. Well, and supposedly the armed protesters were not allowed into the rally that Donald Trump had at whatever this venue is called. I don't remember. Um, the Ellipse. Or, the Ellipse. Yeah. That's what it is. But they were allowed at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Right, the Capitol Police allowed them into the Capitol with their arms, but they weren't allowed at the rally with the president with these guns. Yeah, this one of the things he sense. got he got all worked out. Remove the fucking mags. You heard yeah. that from some of the the testimony and all this. But it's all just, it's all, it's purposely built, and you could see it in every single person they've called to the stand to make testimony, and particularly in the people that they haven't called to the stand to give testimony because they want to build a narrative and so they only allow people to come on there to build the narrative and then further people to come on to collab uh, corroborate, corroborate 
that same narrative, which is why we they saw the uh, after the Cassidy Hutchinson Cassidy Hutchinson you know testimony where it was all just that's the way I heard it I heard right. it from so and so that way they cover her for perjury because she's not lying because she heard everything secondhand and so she gets to put up there and then everybody believes that's fact and then the the corporate press runs with it as fact and then some guy from the Secret Service that was actually there says. No, that's not what happened. That's not how this went down. And they're like, well, right. So well, we're not going to have you testify. So let's pause for a second, Kevin. What you're referring to, Cassidy Hutchinson came on and she she was like the top aide for Mark Meadows, Mark I believe. Meadows, right. Yeah. And supposedly she was the one that had to clean up ketchup off the wall, which yeah. makes no sense why the top aide to what well, like the national security advisor or some shit has to clean ketchup yeah. off the wall. The president does. doesn't make any fucking sense outside of that. She said that Donald Trump, she heard that Donald Trump grabbed the steering wheel of the vehicle that he was in and with his other hand grabbed the throat of a secret service agent yeah. and um while those two secret service agents offered to testify under oath the select committee denied their their bill or their request to testify and it show and instead chose to bring somebody on who also heard about something that happened with the president and that supposedly corroborates yeah her story yeah not the two people who were there who are saying they're willing to testify that it didn't happen because we can't believe them because they're too close to donald trump yeah we can believe these other two people who also worked in donald trump's white house yeah right and they had a uh, a dc one of the capitol police officers come in to corroborate her story as well yes. none of which were the people that were actually there none of them actually who's openly there. publicly stated through social media and and other outlets that that it did not happen but they can't because, and again, because it's not a legal trial, there is no necessity for truth to be had, period. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, these people might be sworn to tell the truth, so on and so forth, but that doesn't actually happen these days. And even if it, even if it does happen, there are so many ways to just offer conjecture and things that you heard and this and that so that they can hear what saying, they want to hear. Yes, they're all saying this yeah. is what they heard, which releases them from liability of perjuring themselves yes. because they aren't testifying to what they saw. They're testifying to what someone else told them. And if that person lied to them, yep. they can't control it. Yeah. That's, that is why they're doing it this way. We can't possibly allow somebody who we can actually charge with perjury in here because then they might actually have a reason not to lie in a federal fucking show trial it's yeah it's horrifically dark it is disgusting and especially because it is it's a due diligence to the people don't want actual answers to why things broke down the way they they did break down because there was a massive breakdown in law enforcement's ability to respond there was a massive jump in the chain of command where um you know just uh, offhand real quick um when nothing was being done by Donald Trump to, say, call the DOD or get the National Guard out or something like that, right. when he failed to respond, Mike Pence stepped in and ordered, like, National Guard to come in, who is not at all in the military chain of command, period, full stop. So there was already a, a jump in the chain of command, and the entire governmental structure of the executive office broke down for a matter of hours. Yes. Which... I don't know how that's not being talked about because that's the bigger problem here is that a number of people in upper echelon, the, high, the highest levels of government broke the chain of command and the, the organization of the executive branch because they 
felt it was the right thing to do when there are actual processes to do that and they did not do that and they've testified they have multiple people who've testified that that they felt like well now is the time for us to take a more involved position in the government now we need to be doing more because yeah. we can't trust what donald trump is doing even though prior to this we'd had discussions about you know invoking the 25th amendment we chose not to do that mm -hmm. we're now deciding it's time for us to just go ahead and take control yeah. even though we don't actually have the constitutional authority to do th to do so right yeah we're just gonna yeah yeah, and it's the way they closed it out. You know, the season finale of uh, season one was was pretty epic, and it got a lot of people. Season two happens around. in the fall. Don't worry, guys. Yeah, I think it's in November when they're coming back, I believe. And which might be a really short process because depending on how the midterms turn out, they're going to shut that fucking committee down real quick, um, depending on who gets in power. But um, you know, it came across. Let me see. Let me just pull this article up. It came out yesterday from. A source that I was not expecting, and this is the New York Post, and it's an editorial by the the Post editorial board. So this is the makeup of the editors of the New York Post, right? Conglomerate of the editors. Yeah. I said, Trump's <laughs> silence on Jan 6 is damning. And mm. they go on. It's a what very, should he it, say? <laughs> it's a very short article, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it real quick. Um, as his followers stormed the Capitol, calling on his vice president to be hanged, President Trump sat in his private dining room watching TV doing nothing for three hours and seven minutes, which was the focus of the last primetime thing. What was minutes. he doing? Yeah, the 187 minutes. <clears throat> um, there has been much debate over whether Trump's rally speech on Jan 6 um, constituted incitement. That's somewhat of a red herring. What matters more and has become crystal clear in the recent days is that Trump didn't lift a finger to stop the violence that followed. And he was the only person who could stop what was happening. He was the only one of the crowd was listening to. It was incitement by silence. Trump only wanted one Inci thing. Silence by is violence. Silence. Oh, Boom, my baby. God. Trump only wanted one thing during the infamous afternoon to pressure Vice President Mike Pence to decertify the election of joe biden he thought the violence was his loyal followers would make pence crack and delay the vote altogether to his eternal shame oh jesus i like Christ. how they put that as a as appalled aides implored him to publicly call on his followers to go home he instead further fanned the flames by tweeting Quote, Mike Pence didn't have to have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution. And the quote, repeat the line. His only focus was to find <laughs> his only focus was to find any means, damn the consequences, to block the peaceful transfer of power. There is no other explanation, just as there is no defense for his uh, refusal to stop the violence. It is up to the Justice Department to decide if this is a crime, but as a matter of principle, as a matter of character, Trump has proven himself unworthy to be the country's chief executive again. So that being said, what they're laying out there and what that last uh, episode of the show trial season one, you know, basically laid out was the fact that during this whole time when it was going down, he literally was just sitting in the dining room watching TV um, multiple people were trying to get him to make statements and he was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do anything about it. And there's people that testified and so on and so forth to corroborate that story. And this has gotten a lot of the, the kind of, I don't want to say, you know, anti-Trump Republicans because the New York post is not anti-Trump. Um, even the editorial staff, because they obviously run pro-Trump articles 
all the time. Right. But it, there was something about his inaction as commander-in-chief that point where, you know, when he refused to call the National Guard and then Mike Pence stepped in and overstepped his bounds and did all that stuff, that they thought at that point Trump should have done something because no matter which way you slice it, no matter which way you look at it, there was a violent riot at the state capitol and the there was a failure of law enforcement at every single chain and at the end of the day it would be the commander in chief's you know it would be his job to then call in the national guard to quell the violence um and they they point to a narrative set that it was only until it was only at the point where trump did make a statement and told everybody to go home that the quote-unquote violence stopped which it did not it there was that's when kind of the exodus slowly began like and then violence all, carried on for another couple hours straight to their phones and they all stopped what they were doing and looked at their phone and said oh okay, yeah now i'm gonna go you now. know and they that's, showed they showed the video of uh you know our, our everybody's favorite q shaman up there getting on a bullhorn saying trump says to go home trump says to go home and they say well that means that he was the sole person that controlled how this went. All he had to do was make a statement and it would have ended. I don't necessarily believe that. And you can't, you can't assume that because that's what went down. It would have gone down the same exact way if it happened earlier. But that's the, that's the narrative they built at the season finale. And there has been a sea change in previous support at this point. And I don't know when the New York Post is saying now they're looking to the DOJ and Merrick Garland and be like, well, now it's up to him to figure out whether that's a crime or not. I don't know if that last bit right there might have swayed enough people to to change to shift the overall narrative now. And I think I think time was going to tell. But I think we don't that's know. fair. I think the approach of regardless of your position now. Now that there's a violent riot, it's your job to do something. I think yeah. that's a. I think that's probably the most valid perspective I've heard at, at that, all. At all, and so I think the I can understand an argument from that point of view of hail Hydra, <laughs> dereliction of duty. You yeah. know, like you didn't do what you're supposed to do, which is defend the Constitution, even if I don't think that that's. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't see those violent riots as a legitimate threat to the governmental workings of the United States, mm -hmm. right? I think that there, I have a, and I have a hard time removing the responsibility of the weirdness that happened with the requests and denials, and then denials and unrequests of you know additional security to, before it all went down, right? Yeah. Because there's all kinds of question, you know, about the. The head of Capitol Police asked for additional National Guard and then was told no. And then yeah. uh, at one point he was asked if he wanted more and he said no. And then he asked for more again and then was told no again. And so yep. I, I don't know. And then, uh, and then on that day he asked for more and it took you know a super long time for them to get there. None of that shit makes any sense. So yeah. I don't. And if that was the if that was the tact from the committee and actually trying to find answers yes. to the actual failures yes. that allowed it to happen, I'd be watching this shit every night. Yes, but it's not. And. Even from, I would even buy from a deeper political perspective, right? Mm -hmm. If if 
this committee actually cared about the chaos that led to this event and not just removing Donald Trump's ability to participate politically. If they actually cared about that, then they would be talking about these other aspects and trying to identify the factors socially and politically that led us up to this point. Yeah. Right. This highlights to me and should highlight for everybody. They don't actually care. Not that anyone here doesn't already know that. Anybody who's coming across this video, because the right. people in the comments right now absolutely know this. But this should further highlight for you that these people don't actually care about you. This is about power. They see Donald Trump and his followers, the people who are devoted to him, the people that were at the Capitol, as a threat to their power. Mm -hmm. They haven't been scared for violence probably ever in their lives. Yeah. That day... There was a potential. There was a chance, no matter how slight, that they were going to come to violence. Not a violent end. I don't think anybody would have died. I don't know. It's possible. I'm not going to. It doesn't matter. Semantics. There was a very small, minute percentage of a possibility of them to meet violence. And even that scared the shit out of them. And though, even though there's a the slightest potential they're going to do everything they can to re-solidify their power recodify that and remove the threat that existed try and cut that fucking cancer out as deep as they can yeah. yeah they do not care about you they do not care about democracy they do not care about the republic they care about power say that it. is all this is about say the line every major institution hates you and wants you to die yes! even down to the legislature they do not care about you none of these people care about you and it is horrific to watch our tax dollars be spent on this to the tune of I don't even know how many fucking millions of dollars outside oh God, of everyone's pay who's there that day. Yeah. Yeah. How much is the, are the networks getting paid to show this on primetime? You know they're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart because you know the ratings don't back that. But, oh, yeah, Bilbo, this is a uh, Heineken 0.0 .0 alcohol free. It's, it's my go-to NA beer that I found for my sober kick. Yeah. If there was some shred of I don't want to say shred of legitimacy but if it wasn't billed from the get go as a totally partisan one sided show trial they might be convincing people and T-Dog might actually have problems Right. I don't know um, and I think it was Joseph said that there's they're vastly outnumbered in office yeah and I, I don't think it's going to change the direction of the midterms now if anything it might change the press's outlook on it you know if they're if they're convincing the new york post editorial board and i know for a fact that you know my neocon commentary boys were all over this fact too and i get the i get the legitimacy of that of that argument yeah of failing to you know uphold your end of the constitution do your job by by putting down this riot you know it's i, I don't want to say it's it's akin to kenosha and all the violent riots that were just refused to, you know, where law enforcement was held back and just let to happen. But in a fashion, it was. It could, and on multiple levels, all the way down the fucking law enforcement chain of command. All the way down from the local, the, the city, the, you know, the actual Capitol Police, you know, every which way. There was so much fuckery with that. It added so much shade to the whole situation, you know. I don't want to say they were asking for it, but it begs the question and it opens it up to the fact that like there was, why did you not, why did you not, you knew this was going to be a fucking thing. 
it was all over the place. You just wanted this to happen. Right. It wasn't just Donald Trump that knew this was going to happen. It no. wasn't just his inner party. It wasn't just Ray Epps or whoever the fuck. It was that there were people throughout different facets of the government that knew that this was at the very least likely to happen, if not definitely going to happen. Yeah. The inability to prepare for that and the resulting riots and insanity is not only the fault of Donald Trump. And to try and build that way is a lie. You're gaslighting people with taxpayer money. Yeah. And it's not okay. Which just adds on to the pile of all the rest of the shit show that's going on in this country right now. Um I don't want to make a hard segue if you have anything else to add, Jan. No, Six, but I, was I, think that was it. I was thinking about what they're saying here. Um, Bill Boswagons, I hope Trump comes back and he keeps his word of firing 5,000 government employees. But earlier they were talking about, so we can go up. Uh, Bill said, I feel like you would turn in my best friend, Joseph. I love your skeptical takes no mind. They're vastly outnumbered in office. Thank you, Bill. I'm just a realist that hates being lied to. Same here, Joseph. Yeah. I just want us to be as one as Americans and to be proud of it. And I think that. I think you guys are really going to like the conversations we're going to have in part three. Um, yes. It's going to lean to a lot of this type of stuff. So it's it's a difficult thing to hang on to. Um, and, you know, we get torn all the time of, I think, oh, we in, uh, we even talked about it. And let me ask you this, you know, mm-hmm. of whether or not this system is can be preserved or whether that's the right thing to do or whether we need to move on to a different type of system that works better for all of us or multiple different uh, groups or communities involved in that and different systems involved in them. And so it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's to, yeah, actually I'll save it for part three. Yep. Yeah. Cause I think it's not that hard to figure out why we have so many problems with the system we have. It's like many problems these days. It's hard to operate at scale. Yeah. Um, so let's, Oh, I forgot to bring it up during logo. There were supposedly some northern lights that you could see over the last oh, couple of days. I stayed yeah. up late last night to try to see if they were out, and I didn't see shit. No chance. I was I was bitter about that. Uh, I found this article from our local King 5 station that uh, has to relate with something we talked about last week, and it goes right to some of the major problems affecting our country and inflation and gas prices and everything right now. There was that story we talked about where um, – Joe Biden had allowed um, millions of barrels of oil to be sold to other countries, right? Yes. And there was that question of, is that even legal to do with our, our nation's strategic petroleum reserves? And the, at King 5 ran a fact check and said, yes, the, uh, the oil from U.S. reserves has been sent to other countries overseas. Foreign companies can bid on oil from the strategic petroleum reserves. And the real kick to this whole thing, right? is the per- the people that make the regulations to whether or not the executive branch can do that to our own private petroleum reserves are themselves an executive branch agency. The Department of Energy has regulations right. in place that allow that to take place. So at a time in our country where gas prices are the highest they've ever been, where the the outlook of just the Western world's oil and natural gas reserves are as in question as they've ever been before in the future of it. Um, we are seeing the executive branch of our, of our own nation sell our own backup emergency oil supplies to foreign nations, including China. And of course, just to re-hit it, even though we hit it last episode, to a, uh, a, a holdings company that is in part uh, was in part founded and created by Joe Biden's son. Right. So that's it's a thing that can happen. And I was very surprised that our local 
Seattle station did a fact check on that. And they're like, yeah, it's uh, it's technically possible. Here's U.S. code so-and-so that is run by the Department of Energy that says they can do that. They just have to open it up for bid to get the highest dollar amount for That's it. That's insane. Which, yeah. And that just adds on to the pile, man. I've noticed, uh, particularly on social media lately, there's been a lot of uh, uh, disdain cast towards like conservatives and stuff that were were really bitching about oil prices and the price of gas and all this stuff. And they're like, well, you know, have you, you know, conservatives watch the price of oil fall every day for the last 40 days and they don't have anything good to say about that. Like, you know, the silence is deafening. You go, okay, when when my diesel fuel was a, a sea hair shy of $7 a gallon, you're going to ask me to be thankful for $5 a gallon? Right. When uh, when 2 years ago, 3 years ago, 2019, it was like it was literally the cheapest it's been in my entire lifetime. I mean, since I was able to drive and, and had a job and things in my adult life. And it was like, you know, in the mid twos. Around that was that's what I want to get back to. It was not that long ago that we were in the mid twos. There's no reason we should not be back there now. Maybe a little higher because demand was so low during pandemic times and yeah. shit like that. But that was technically pre-pandemic. I don't, I don't understand why anybody is justifying a $4.5 gallon of diesel at this point or a $4 gallon of gas just because it's not 7 anymore. No, you can go fuck yourself, dude. That is still terrible. That is still twice as much as it was. That's gonna It's going to cost... A, a trucking company twice as much to get those goods to market that they're going to be charging fuel surcharges like the in the construction business right now if you want concrete you got to order concrete trucks and all this stuff there's a fuel surcharge right. if, if you want people to come out and do bids for you they got to pay for their gas to get out there those bids aren't going to be free anymore every aspect of the economy is touched by fuel prices i am not going to be satisfied that my 400% increase in fuel is now only a 350% increase in fuel. Fuck you. That's not okay. There's no way that this is okay. Yeah, there's my fuel prices rant. No, I get um, it. To do anything but be thankful for the slight decrease that you have now. I am would, thankful for that. Well, no, no, but, no, 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 no. You shouldn't be. My point is no. exactly what yours is. To be anything but thankful would be disrespectful to the Ukrainians and to, you know, the, the status of the country yeah. and all of the things that we're experiencing. And um, there's been a weird, when Josh was here last episode, he like, he threw it out there a couple of times, and I did not buy it because I wasn't trying to have the conversation about Joe Biden not having any influence on the gas, gas prices, prices, right, and, like, oil prices. And I I think that that's, like, a little bit of a red herring, you know, um, that he, the president does not have as much direct influence on oil prices as people would assume that he does, right? Mm -hmm. But there is an immense amount of background influence with the administration itself that I feel is completely ignored through this discussion that you and I yeah. have talked about many times of, of the signaling of the administration is when you're continually talking about ending fossil fuel industries and we're going to move away from this or move into to electric instead of this and we're going to move away from oil, move away from oil, move away from oil. It doesn't incentivize any companies to invest more money in their operations if they feel their companies are going to go under. Yeah. If they feel they're going to lose money, they're not going to invest money in that thing. You yeah. know? If put it this way, right? And I think we've mentioned it like before, but you know, if for a an oil company 
to invest roughly 10 years in exploration and, you know, hopefully the idea of finding a, a new well and then constructing the facilities to to access that well and the infrastructure to export that well. This is at least a 10-year investment on their part. Why would they do that if the administration says by 2035 there will be all electric cars? Right. Why, there's zero incentive at that point, and that's going to skyrocket the price of oil because the price of oil you see today is built off of speculation from the market for what the market's going to be like in the future. Right. That's how investments, especially in commodities, are made. It's not... It's not a snapshot in time. This is the actual price due to market balances and this and that and the other thing. It's We don't have those systems in place. That's not how the markets work. And it's interesting because we hear from those same people. They're like, oh, well, you can't just ramp up capacity in all these places. It takes years to start refining more oil and all this shit. It's like, well, then why would it not take even longer than that to build an entirely new facility, yeah. an entirely new place where, like you said, you have to find actually specifically where the oil is, not just yeah. – it's in this area for sure. There's some here. Just yeah. drill in the right spot. Like, it's not so simple. There is a <laughs> yeah, science yeah. to it, you know. So, and especially with all the regulation and everything, I can't imagine how long it takes from the first shovel in the ground to the ribbon cutting of, like, a new oil derrick and, and yeah. processing facility. I don't. I can't even imagine. Probably several years, like I, you said. Yeah, you I know? can only imagine. So, I... It's very weird. I can't even say weird anymore because it's not surprising. It's not weird. It's just disrespectful and upsetting to continually be gaslit by the same group of people that are telling you you should be appreciative for this, but also don't yeah. ask why it's happening or why we got here in the first place. Just be happy that it's getting a little bit better. Yeah, you, you know? should just be thankful. Yes. And, and I'm not going to lie. Any... Anything that happens in the market that allows me to spend less money, uh, I'm always going to be happy we're about happy that. happy to pay less for it. But I have higher expectations, no. my G. I got so – I got up. That bar is not that low for me. We should not be in a position where we are be thankful for four fifty a gallon. Yeah. You know? Mm. That's not good. No, and, and you know, on the, the global scale, we've seen uh, the Nord Stream 1 pipeline – essentially start to come back online and things in Russia and which means the natural gas and oil is flowing back into the West, into yes. Germany and throughout the rest of Europe. But um it's coming back at a reduced rate. Um whether like 40%, or forty percent, right? Yeah. And whether or not that is uh intentional or not, I think it just underscores the the idiocy of relying on a foreign power for a vital resource. And now they're they're talking about, particularly in Germany, you know, massive um, oil shortages and rationing possibilities as they get into the winter time. Where fifteen percent it gets, yeah, they're fifteen percent. Regular uh, people cut your energy consumption by fifteen percent. Yeah, while we're also telling you to switch to more green energy. Yeah, and th yeah, that, that was what the EU that came out and said, yeah, that's going to have to. That's that's what all all nations need to do. Yeah, yeah, that's. It it's gonna it's gonna be a interesting winter, if because I yeah their their reserves are already so far down. I don't know they're, how you can fucking do that, man. They're alleging energy blackmail by the Russians. Um, <laughs> well, which is just hilarious I because that. they've chosen to cede their production of energy to a foreign nation that they already weren't aligned with morally and principally, but now 
they're claiming to be victims from this same nation that they are willingly giving money to and willingly signed this treaty with. You you did this. It's like Bobo is talking about with us here, right? Mm. You're suffering from your own mistakes from the past because you couldn't consider the future. You couldn't possibly look forward to what the consequences might be. And now that you, you, you're dealing with someone you knew you didn't align with, you are upset. You are expecting now for someone else to solve this problem when you put yourself in this situation, right? Yep. This is the problem with – I don't want to get too deep into it, right? But it, it – when you see things like this, it when I see things like this, it makes me think about Thomas Jefferson, right? He at the time that we were he was writing these documents, he was considering whether or not future generations should even be beholden to the decisions that they were making today. You know? You see things like this and how can you expect me to be uphold be held to something that someone did for me 20 years ago that now I'm being fucked, right? If you're 20 years old in Germany, you may not even have been alive when this pipeline was initially constructed. You had no mm -hmm. say in it at all. And your life is being completely fucked because someone else made a decision for you and you have yeah. no control over it. You now need to reduce your energy consumption by 15% because the government has done, has made this decision for you. Yeah. Whether or not you align with Russia or Ukraine, whether or not you align with your own uh, dominant government in Germany, whether regardless of any of these things, you're beholden to the decisions of these past governments. Yeah. And it's, and I feel for like the, the everyday you know? citizen in, in Germany or something like that, that was not on board with the creation of the EU, right? Because now when you think about the powers of the EU, if you're not that familiar with it, essentially it's like having a, let's just say if we in the United States were more or less done if we ran things very similarly to like the articles of confederation where each individual states like a mini nation right mm -hmm. and there is not really an overarching government that runs everything the minute the constitution comes along and founds the federal government that super you know that can it creates the pathways to supersede your own state governments in certain ways yeah that's what the eu is to these other nations the the government of germany only has so much sway over what they can do because the EU has an overarching governing authority in multiple aspects of how each one of the EU nations can and has to run their country. Right. We saw that be a big issue with Greece years back. And, and the, the Dutch the, farming protest that we just The saw, Dutch farming right? protest that was going on. The, all these initiatives that are generally around this green energy bullshit about climate change and whatever not. And all these these things that are happening are destroying the every man's life and they have zero sway over it and they can go protest to their local government and their local government can only do so much right and it unfortunately in many cases the there in many cases there's there's not a the the local government of say like the netherlands or the local government of germany doesn't even disagree with the rulings of the EU and, and the regulations and all that stuff that goes along with it, most of the time they're in lockstep with them along the way. It's, 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 if this is not a lesson in centralize, the dangers of centralizing power under any governmental structure whatsoever, I don't know what it is because 100%. we are going to see devastation across the entirety of the globe if some of these issues are not somehow found to be rectified and i don't 
I don't see them being rectified. When there are multiple nations, farmers, not fucking farming and being forced to protest and, and, and seek a redress of grievances that they have, there's already going to be an impact there. Right. When farmers quit farming, there's already going to be an, a down-the-road impact. Yes. Who knows what that's going to be felt like? Not to even factor in the, the problems with like the Ukrainian farmers not being able to farm and export grain and doing all this shit. That also is going to have massive problems. But we've seen – Jordan Peterson talked about this at, at one point um, a couple of years back. But the miracle of the West up until very recently was that for all – for for lack of a better term and you know kind of a generality but the world essentially had damn near eradicated severe poverty around the globe by just the the modernization of of you know the west and, and western culture and, and technology and all this stuff the fact that we are going to purposely unwittingly or otherwise revert back to that and make untold millions of people force them back into severe poverty and starvation is a crime against humanity. I don't think you can, I don't think you can underscore how like the, the true severity of right. that, you know, it, a lot of this stuff is yet to bear out, but will in the near future. Right. And, and it's, Bill, it's Bill was right. Bad. The Russia and Ukraine did sign an agreement to ship grain. And that was immediately, I know Turkey was working with them with that. And immediately thrown into question by Volodymyr Zelensky, you know, of like, oh, well, you know, we'll see, yeah. you know, well, they're going to hold up their end. And so who knows what happened with that? We'll hit these and then we can bring, turn this centralization back to yeah. um, overall. And Sri Lanka, he said, um, we have a new green deal to create windmills in the Gulf. The ships that are able to ship the blades. Only 30 exist on the planet that can move them. They also can't withstand hurricane-force winds. Um, I saw one got hit by a fucking lightning bolt in Texas the other day, and it just was spinning, and one of the blades was on fire. It was, oh my God. It was crazy. <laughs> just one more step toward being beholden to a country that would love to conquer us. You think we'll get reparations afterwards? Yeah, and that's mm. it's definitely a concern. Obviously, the shift to these new energies when we don't produce any of these things mm -hmm. you know buying them other places um is is a an enormous concern i know it started with just um solar panels you know yeah. and and china being china has just grown their industry of production to every facet that anybody could potentially need in the future yep. and windmills being one of these things so yeah, yeah that does not surprise me enough now and china being a key aspect in some of our inflation woes um, particularly because they, they keep running this COVID zero policy where they just shut down major cities at, you know, when there's one case that pops up of COVID, you know, China is the, is the world's manufacturing center. That's where, ev you know, everything that gets made essentially gets made in China and then shipped out to the rest of the world. And when they're not, when they're not shipping us goods, we start to have issues. We, we can't get the building supplies we need. We right. can't get the, the cheap shit at Walmart. We can't get, you know, the everyday consumable items that everybody uses in our, our consumption economy, which, again, too much money chasing too few goods. And when, when there's a supply shortage, you get inflation. And I have so, I, so I'm glad that you said that, right, because I want to bring it back to – to America, yeah. like you just yeah. said, and I have a question. Had to find a way. No, no, that's that's perfect. It's literally perfect, right? Uh, on the centralization aspect, one of the questions that I have about inflation is with the 
the different controls and effects that the federal government has on the price of commodities, right? Mm -hmm. um, I know price fixing is like a technical term, but I'm going to use it as a generalized term for the government has control over how much things cost when they go to market, right? Outside of what the industry itself is deciding. The government mm -hmm. also has say as far as tax and things like that of how much things yeah. cost, right? So through these different measures of price fixing and things like this, it is almost impossible as well as inflation of our currency. It's almost impossible for the American consumer to decide what the actual value of a good is, mm -hmm. right? Which removes, in my opinion, our ability to effectively involve ourselves in the free market economy. We yes. don't have a way to effectively do that. It's, yeah. it's removing our, even more removing our buying power. It's another step of that, you know, yeah. which is again, more concerning to me because it leans back to that centralized power aspect of we don't even, the control they're having on the free market is, has multiple levels to it, you yeah. know, even in our own pockets. Yeah. Primarily through regulatory means. Yes. That's generally how that happens. There are a few commodities and things like that, particularly in like the prescription drug world and stuff right. like that, where they do have hard, fast price controls. Um, oh, good. Jake Lyons will be ready at four. Excellent. Uh, or three R time. But uh, yeah, but other than that, yes, it's generally through their over commonly referred to as like overregulation of markets. Right, right. And yeah, what that does is it negates the, the concept. It, it, it hinders the concept of the free market to do what a free market does. And the free market sets prices by allowing the consumer to go out and purchase items. Um, you know, when, when there's a really popular item comes out, it's going to, you know, the, the market, uh, the production end of that item is going to dictate the initial price. And it's generally going to be very, very high because it costs a lot of money and R&D and production and all this stuff to get a good to market. But when consumers decide that this is a mark, uh, an item that they want to consume, the more people that buy it, give those companies more money to help add more production, to add more items to market, which then in turn lowers the overall cost of that item over time. The, my favorite you know, example of that is big screen televisions and computer parts these days stuff like that it's become so popular that you know at first you know it was only the rich people that can go out and buy big screen tvs but then enough people start buying those and then all of a sudden the price drops and the price drops and now you can go get a a decent sized flat screen television that is may not be the top tier item on the market but you can go get one for a few hundred bucks the average everyday consumer can afford a good that 20 years ago would have been unthinkable to do. But the further the government regulates markets, the less control the consumer has on the free market just by being able to participate in that market altogether. It is, it is not that difficult to see how that works out. I'm trying to think of like a, a particular like commodity or an item that I can think of offhand. Nothing's really coming to mind, but it, it's probably because they're involved in so many different things, um, particularly in the realm of like energy. Energy is a big thing because the the government has such a regulatory stranglehold on oil and the production of it and what you can do with it. They set all these safety regulations and emission standards and every kind of regulation you could possibly think of. And that ultimately will help contribute to the the price at the pump right farming is another big one um commodities and farming like the usda 
controls the entire food market that's what damn I'm talking near. About. That's what I'm talking about. Shit like that, right? Yes. And that's why I was giving just the examples of the tax and things like that because it's different yeah. for every for every product. Yeah. But so you would you would to and then import regulations too. That's what I'm. This is yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. This is exactly what I'm talking about, right? As I and I, I presented just as the one thing, just mm-hmm. kind of to present the idea. But I think that you've done a magnificent job expanding on that to the different industries. Of it, you would have to look at different products and industries to find out the ratio of government involvement and yeah. fuckery in. But in, it's there. But it is there in every product, yeah. right? And that is. Uh, an aspect that, of course, the government will not address, but is is inherent in every product that you are buying, and mm. they tell you this. A good in good indicator of that is the consumer price index, right? Yes, that'll give you an idea of what that should actually cost, because they're telling you how much it's been inflated over this time, how much the government has fucked with this, right? Another aspect of of inflation that. We touched on that people like breaking points have tried to like poop on, right? Um, is <laughs> the amount of money that was printed over the last two years, right? Yeah. People, uh, it's insane how little that, it, I, can't, I can't even say that because of course they're not going to. But that spending is brushed away by every major news source, every corporate media news source, the federal government stuff like, oh, it doesn't matter at all. That's just, we're just adding Mm -hmm. to the deficit. It's fine if we still, you know, interest rates and all these things, it's all going to work out in the back end. Joe Biden is talking about how he took money off of the deficit. It's it's insanity. You know, it doesn't make any sense how you can send billions of dollars to another country. You can spend trillions of dollars here, but somehow you're taking money off of the deficit. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It literally doesn't make any sense. And it is the most basic of economics that when you add more dollars to a system more of something you devalue that something yes when there is more of it that is simple supply and demand when the supply goes up the demand goes down the price will go down yeah the value of the dollar goes down when you print trillions of dollars yes right if there is a the weird uh talking point from breaking points of oh those $1,500 checks there that's all burned off you know those things have burned off from the economy that doesn't matter that is not how this works the spending power of that has burned off you could say the effect of that on inflation has not burned off it does not work that way do we pay off that money is that no longer part of the deficit then it has not burned off that's still in impacting the the price of our dollar because we have that much less of it it doesn't make any sense that anyone can can feel comfortable making that argument so now let me i'm going to kind of bring this down a little barney style right because i want to play that out over a few steps so you have a world where i don't know the stat bill but it was some horrific number like oh yeah more more money has been printed in the last few years than has ever existed in in the history of mankind uh particularly just in this country alone american Uh, dollars yeah so if you have a society of 100 people and there is a hundred dollars in circulation, every and everybody has one dollar. The value of that dollar is one dollar because it's one part of a hundred, right? Okay. Federal government decides. Okay, well, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta boost it up, right? So now they just print an extra two, an extra hundred dollars. People now need more buying power. Yeah. Now there is a. Now there's two hundred dollars in in circulation, and now if, well, the government prints that extra hundred dollars, and they give, they don't give. They don't give the Americans any of it, right? We'll just say in this case, because as far as the the checks and stuff that went out after they did their big massive print, it was 
a tiny, tiny percentage of what actually got printed, right? So now your $1 is now only worth half a dollar because now there's $200 in circulation. Now, combine that with, okay, so that extra $100... Because you don't have 10% of what was involved in the system. You mm -hmm. have 5% of what was involved in the system. Yeah. Or So then let's change up the game and say everybody mm -hmm. got that extra dollar. So now you got $2, but there's only there's only $200 in circulation. And then you, everybody bought $1 worth of a foreign good where a small fraction of that money stayed within the system. And then a large fraction of that went out of the system. So now there's 200 us dollars that got circulated. So your, your dollars worth only 50 cents technically. And you were able to retain say another 0.1% or something like that. So now, you know, 60 cents of that dollar only stayed within the the nation this, this system here that is a simple breakdown of how inflation works when it comes to just printing money right and so we and we did that on a massively higher scale with trillions and trillions of dollars than we did just in that simple one-for-one trade-off it we was gave the vast majority of it to corporations that spent it on themselves instead of anything else that would benefit anybody outside yeah. of that or think of how we don't make anything in america that much anymore and so the people that went out and purchased new goods and and spent the money the way they wanted to spend it and all that stuff only a fraction of that money stayed within the united states and a lot of that went to buy more product from china from taiwan from all these other places that did not stay here and that money's not coming back right it's gone forever essentially and then China's going to use that money to buy up more bonds and shit, buy up more of our debt. And it's it's this sick, disgusting system of like incestuous currency buying that leaves out the consumer. The consumer is the one that is damaged on the back yes. end of that. You might get a cheap good, but the value of your dollar was exponentially a higher loss. As a slight aside, Bilbo Swaggins, uh, check out Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. Yes. That is a great place to start it is great great place to start basic economics thomas soul thomas soul has dozens of books but that's it yeah that's a good one that's a what's his name oh my gosh eric july talks about uh thomas a big thomas soul guy yeah, yeah. eric july is a big, big thomas soul guy yeah. yeah and i did look up the thing that um bilbo talked about the amish dairy being raided i sent you the article from the blaze um, biden's atf raids amish dairy farmer seizes firearm stash and potential rogue gun retailer bust the case raises questions about when exactly someone must register a federally licensed gun retailer i wonder if this is what he's talking about crackdown on rogue gun dealers two weeks ago the bureau the atf uh, stormed Reuben King's Leacock Township property, seized an untold number of firearms as a part of an ongoing investigation. Um, no arrests have been made. That's from 2019. Okay. Um, yeah, this article is from 2022, but I wonder if the raid is from 2019. Um, but this is my business. I'm a dairyman, he repaid. He maintained well inside a barn filled with 50 dairy cows. He gave the interview, swept the floor of the push broom. King declined to say how many guns he sold, but told the local outlet, noted that 600 suggested by the outlet by tipster didn't sound right. He added he didn't advertise the sale of his guns online and was not aware of how the ATF became aware of the activity. He said he primarily sold long guns. That's very interesting. Um, Ripperverse. Fuck yeah, Ripperverse. Oh my God, $3 million or something like that? I mean... Shout out, right? Ripperverse. Okay, so let's so see. Amish farm. 
rated. Okay. Yeah, I didn't see that earlier. Uh, two days ago, Feds Rage Amish Farm. This is from Call Me Stormy. I know. Okay. Let's, go <laughs> <laughs> yeah. let's find a different one. Say Nourishing Liberty. Let's go. We'll go to that one. Um, so let's see here. Amish mm. Farm Road. I like that. That's Liberty so News Network. I like that one. Biden orders terrifying raid on Amish dairy farmer. Oh, dairy farmer. Um, let's see. When is this one from? That doesn't surprise me, This man. is about the same thing, about the rogue gun dealer. Um, For selling raw milk? Okay, so you found it then. Well, this is selling one from raw 2011. Milk That's from 2011? Yeah. But, I mean, these things still happen. Um, yeah, this yeah. one is from May 21st. Amos Miller, an Amish barber who runs a holistically managed small farm in Bird in Hand, Pennsylvania. What the fuck? Grows and prepares food in tune with nature the way he believes God intended. This seems to be a sound idea to approximately 4,000 customers who purchase Miller's meat, eggs, and dairy products from his private members-only food club. PayPal is holding his phones. Holy shit. The federal government, however, appears to disagree. A federal judge recently ordered Miller to cease and desist all meat sales. Our organic wellness reported U.S. Marshals were deployed to search Miller's property. They inventory his stock to assure he doesn't sell or slaughter more animals. In other words, the feds shut down Amos Miller. Miller claims he's being persecuted by the federal government for practicing his religious freedom to grow and prepare food according to his religious beliefs. To believe your own thought, to believe that what is true for you in your private heart is true for all men. That is genius. That's some egoism. I like that shit. So Amish-based. So that's right. So wrote American philosopher Rolf Waldo Emerson in his influential 1841 essay, Self Reliance. Well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Once upon a time, Americans respected the notion of self reliance. It was the heart of American mythos. Not anymore. In March, George Lapsey, a court appointed expert, was to receive unimpeded access to Miller's farm to inspect the facilities according to Food Safety News. On March 11th, Lapsey reported that Mr. Miller did not fully cooperate and requested assistance from the U.S. Marshals Service. What the fucking fuck? So I got a uh, Blaze Media article here. And that's the first one that I, that I yeah. sent you. And Bilbo said that that is a different one. The Rogue Gun Retailer one is a different one. Interesting. Yeah. So. It this... shows you the, the, the far-reaching nature of these federal alphabet soup agencies. They can just do whatever they want at any time. Oh, check this. In the summer of 2021, Miller was ordered to pay $250,000 for contempt of court. He was also told to pay the salaries of the USDA investigators assigned to his case. To avoid going to jail, he was ordered to pay $50,000 up front as a gesture of good faith, as reported by Our Organic Wellness. <laughs> the notion of self-reliance can be dis... This is crazy. <laughs> Wicked crazy, bro. It's not... It's. It is absolutely insane, but it's not surprising because these people usually just don't hear about this stuff. You know, the the feds get out there with their with ATF or the FDA is notorious, man, going out there and telling farmers that you got to burn this crop now. You can't sell it. You can't bring it to market because you're going to offset the the prices that we have we've tried to set for the market to make sure that we have a stable, uh, you know, agricultural economy. It's the reason why. Uh, you know, it's it's really hard for for farmers to start like local farm stores because of FDA regulations. The amount of money you have to invest in getting certified and registered with the with the government, having your inspections done, and the the facilities that they require to get those things 
generally price out most small-time farmers. And so a lot of, uh, if you've been to a lot of, I don't know how many farm stands and shit you've been to, but a lot of them are, um, if they're actually farm stores that sell the direct product of the farm that they grow right there on the property, most of that stuff is cash business. Yeah. Because they they can't do business other way, other ways because the feds step in and so, it you know it causes red flags and shit like that. And they say, well, you haven't pa- you're not doing pasteurized milk. You're not this cheese hasn't gone through F- FDA certification. Right. So, and, so this article is is the original one from ourorganicwellness.com, right? And this is about this guy's shit. It is entitled Amish farmer faces 250k fine, jail time, and losing his sustainable farm for processing his own meat. This is on the second page. So what exactly is Miller's crime? Slaughtering and processing the meat he raises on his own farm and selling it fresh frozen to members of his private food buying club who've all signed contracts stating they understand the meat is not processed in USDA inspected plants or treated with USDA excuse me, required chemical preservatives because that's how they want it and that's the very reason they're willing to go to such lengths to get it. But the USDA thinks its customers are too stupid to think for themselves and need them to come in and protect them for themselves. You probably don't know because I didn't either until Miller told me that all USDA licensed processing plants are required to treat all meat, even local grass-fed organic variety with with synthetic preservatives. Mm -hmm. Often they use citric acid, which you'd think comes from oranges or lemons, but it's a modified substance made from corn and they don't even have a label on it on the meat. Yep. The USDA processing plant requires the meat to be treated with a chemical cocktail of citric acid, lactic acid, and parasitic acid, said a customer who handles Miller's website and other modern communications because he's Amish. Oh my God, that's so awesome. The parasitic acid is toxic and the citric and lactic are GMO. It's not lactic acid coming from the fermentation of sauerkraut. It's all created in a dish in a label. It's synthetic sterilizer that causes many health problems. Anki, who preferred not to use her last name, told me her first name is Anki. What is going on here? This is the best website I've ever been to. <laughs> Our members don't want any of that. Miller said they want fresh raw meat with no additives. Our members want it straight from farm with no preservatives on it. As a farmer, you could invest all your energy and money producing the most healthy, nourishing meat. And at the end of the day, you are ruining your meat, sending your animals to the USDA facility for slaughter. Mm-hmm. Additionally, USDA approved processing plants aren't allowed to sell certain organ meats and glands for human consumptions. The very nutrient dense organs that seem to help people they want to ban. Yeah. Even if the USDA didn't require preservatives and allowed the sale of organ meats, it still would be, it still would still be nearly impossible for Mill. It really says that for Miller and other small farmers to make a profit with big meat processors acting as middlemen, and the cost of becoming licensed by the USDA to process their own meat is too steep. Yes. So I want to address this. Um, you have to get in debt a hundred thousand dollars before you sell your first pound of meat. Holy yeah. fucking shit! Yeah. 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 As like at a minimum. Yeah, it's 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 all fucked up. Now I want to address something Bilbo asked right, Let's right there. It. He said, "Could could this be, could this not be used against meat that you hunt?" Now, you note here that throughout that article, they the feds only get involved if you want to try to sell this to the community, right? They have zero issue if you give it away to people, or if you they, eat it yourself, or if you eat it yourself. If you just do it, you be you. That's what you're doing, and and it's not going anywhere else. They don't care. But the minute there is a point of sale, they need, they're going to get their nut. And it's not in sales tax. Most of the money that the feds take in are from their alphabet soup agencies. Regulation, baby. Through regulation. Bureaucracy. Which directly 
affects the price of the consumer product. So that it's all this bullshit that's all put up about safety and health and all this bullshit. They will fuck you however they can. Exactly. You know what a farmer, a local farmer, is not going to do? Sell tainted shit to his community. <laughs> Why the fuck would he? Because he's going to be dead. Let's put it that way. They're, he's going to complete. He's either going to get run out of town. Or worse, or nobody's just going to buy a shit anymore because he made everybody sick. This guy probably makes racks by selling shit himself on the internet to other people. Oh, yeah. 4,000 people, he says. Yep. He's sustaining himself and probably a good portion of his neighbors mm-hmm. by selling this shit on the internet. Yeah. Fresh frozen. I'm just cutting up my own cows and fucking slanging them on the web, you yeah. know? And the, the sad story is that essentially if you can, if you can pay the price of admission and and hundred grand and get through that process and actually get something up and running like that and you have a sustainable farm going you can make a good nut off of it right but it's it's the equivalent of like uh shutting down a lemonade stand on the side of the street because they can't get a license right it's it's mercantilism run through the king it's it's there's no difference in that they're gonna get theirs no matter what if you're if money is going to be involved at all but they got no problem with you just giving it away that's why like the 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 meat that one would harvest during a hunt is generally nobody gives a shit because right. you're going to eat it because you're going to eat it or you're going to give it away to your friends or something like that. It's it's the government doesn't have an opportunity there to make money without severely overstepping their regulation, you know, yeah. their their bounds and they'll get pushback on that. But no, it's the entire USDA system is completely fucked. And, and if we think we pay a lot for meat right now, uh, just imagine what that price could be if the government wasn't involved. And it's <laughs> Biden likes to point to like the, the meat packing monopoly. Yeah. You know, uh, to raising the price of all this. No, it's because it costs everybody so much goddamn money to get a single slab of steak to market that ultimately by the time it hits the shelf, it's 30 fucking dollars a pound. Right. You know, especially if you want some high quality shit, it's that's the difference, the cost difference in buying like a, an organic farm raised whatever product at at the grocery store compared to like buying just some cheap ass fucking slab of meat that's sitting there looking all pretty that's all due to like lobbying and you know corporate interest big and meat. all that shit yeah it's it's big meat that's that difference and they're trying to price out all the the local guys by making it so much more difficult for them to start and they have a point because the big meat can afford to pay for all the regulation. They could do all this stuff because it's, you know, it's they're big enough. They have that cash flow, but they don't want any extra competition to right. come into the market because all of a sudden you do start to have a, a it's the opposite of inferior, a superior product that comes on to market like that. People are willing to pay a little bit more for that most of the time. And when you have people like this, small farms that are devoted to what they're doing, they're not willing to sell out to big meat or to the government to yeah. try and get any type of favor or anything like that. But when you yeah. have big industries that just want more money in a bigger corner, they're willing to not only pay a higher price, but also do kickbacks, invest in um, your different campaigns and spend yep. more money that the small guys don't have, like you said, to try mm. and cut them out. Like I said, everybody hit the like button, it. comment, subscribe, tell all your friends, share this with everybody. Woo! Thank you very much. Bobo, yeah, and like you said, 
when people know what they're buying, what is the problem? Is that infringement, like he said before? It absolutely is. The yeah. government has no say and should have no say in the matter of public health on what you buy and choose to consume. Yeah. There is personal responsibility involved in this. If you choose to fucking drink a bunch of bleach, you know that you will die. This is your own goddamn problem. <laughs> yes. If you choose to buy from somebody who is selling shitty meat, yeah. this is your own fucking problem. And if that guy's going to sell shitty meat... People are going to come to his house and be fucking mad at him. They're, yep. they're, they're, he's going to have a problem. His business will go under. Yep. He will not make money if half of his clients are getting sick from the meat that they're purchasing. He will lose his business. Yep. Right. So I, I think that it is a nonsensical and disingenuous argument for the – I don't think. I know that it is a nonsensical and disingenuous argument for the government to make that they care about the safety of the people who might get sick. Right. No, yeah. no, you don't. You, no, don't. you don't care about that. You care that you can't make as much money off of that if you allow this guy to take the time to put himself out of business. Mm -hmm. You won't make money off of that because yep. eventually he'll go out. You would rather just have some someone be forced to stick to your standards so you know you can get that money. So yeah. I know if I get unpasteurized milk, I will get sick, but I also know I can gain immunity to it. 100%. Oh, yeah. There's there, there's all kinds of things like this. There, And you know what's really funny is if we lived in a society where you you drank unpasteurized milk when you were a baby you wouldn't be sick from it yeah nobody, nobody have a problem with it mind you you wouldn't be pouring over to your fucking sugar cereal in the morning because don't do that with raw milk that's whew, that's a bad situation i did that when i was uh when we had raw milk at my my parents house growing up we would go out and milk shit and i was like one day i was like i'm gonna pour this over my fucking frosted flakes i say i didn't eat it but uh yeah why? it's why because yes. it is the milk that you buy in the store, that nice bleached white milk, is is pasteurized. A lot of the a lot of the the fats have been evaporated away. It's very thin, right? So I know it it's not as sweet in the fridge, right? There's it can, like yeah. You got to shake it up, of, yeah. yeah. All that fat gets on there, but it's 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 thick, it's rich, it's sweet. It is just not the product you're normally thinking about when you when you're grabbing a, a glass of milk from fucking you know. Uh, Daisy Farms or whatever it is, the, the big milk. Um, big it's just milk. not. It's just not big the same. Dairy. Pasteurized milk does not taste like real milk. Yeah, it is a weird deal. The minute you actually have raw milk, you're like, this is a. A lot of people that think they like milk don't like raw milk the first time they have it because it doesn't taste like that. You can taste the fucking grass when you drink it, man. It's a weird deal. I need some raw milk in my life, bro. You can get some at the Farmer George in Port Orchard, a little butcher shop down there. They, your they brother always goes have there. it there. Tell your brother to hook me up with some raw milk next time he goes to see a farmer. Can do. It's I good want shit. some raw milk. I'm yeah, going to try a, this shit on cast. It's cool, man. You can get in there, and uh, they have all sorts of like wacky meats and stuff. They get imported from different farms and shit like that. And it's all from like reputable places that are all... Um, you know, USDA certified, they go through the process and stuff like this, but you can get like alligator fucking tail meat and all sorts of random shit there. It's, it's crazy. I've seen ostrich there before. Oh, I like that shit. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty good. I had an ostrich burger once. It was money. Yeah. It's just another, like you were saying before, it's just another facet of the government fucking with the free market. Yeah. And, and just another view into how the consumer doesn't control the free market anymore. There, we don't have a free market in America. No. We have the, facade of a free market um 
So when they try and blame this and all, because we know when they're talking about uh, inflation, all the morning shows are like these fucking corrupt ass companies. There is yeah. there is a thousand percent an element of truth to mm-hmm. companies taking advantage of a situation to make even more money. Oh yeah, it's an aspect is, of it. And you can argue about the morality about that all fucking day. Yeah, such is the function of a corporation. Such is the function of a company whose job it is to make more profits. Yep. So, again, we can argue the morality all fucking day, but we're not going to talk about how it's so beyond reasonable that they would be doing this when that's literally their function. Yeah. That That is their function. So if you want to disincentivize that, that's a completely different conversation, you know. But, uh, yeah, I'm not going to talk about how immoral it is for a company with a profit structure to make as much profit as possible. Yeah. Could they be doing something else? Sure. Is it yeah. fucked up? Sure. That's a different discussion. Okay. We're not, and I'm not going to replace this discussion about inflation in all facets with only how corrupt these private corporations are when we've just now talked for almost an hour about how how much involvement the federal government has in this inflation rate and they refuse to accept responsibility or even acknowledge responsibility and in fact they turn it from theirs to the free market it has nothing to do with us it is all the free market if they would only lower their costs if the gas station attendants and the owners would be patriotic and lower their fuel costs just lower it man instead of charge as much as possible then we wouldn't be in this position yeah. but i'm not going to consider waiving gas taxes because that would be ludicrous that would be right? ludicrous would be ludicrous so it's all fucked it's, up man it has to have a label not for human consumption or they can't sell it the raw milk and that's yeah a lot of times it's uh there are state laws that actually protect certain things depending on what state you live in but for the most part <laughs> this is a topical yes yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Well, you know, uh, some people can, they could buy it and they mix it in certain animal feed and shit right, like that for extra right. protein or whatever. But at the end of the day, everybody's That's drinking it. wild, bro. Yeah. And again, you're not going to continue to drink this raw milk if you continue to get sick from it. It's it's like a thing. People don't generally do that to you themselves. Season yourself to it. You know? you know, some people have an eating problem where they'll, they'll eat till they get sick and then they'll binge eat all the time. Like that. that's. Certain people are going to do that shit, but on the whole, if somebody gets sick from buying from a local produce stand, they're probably not going to go to that stand anymore. Right. That's generally how it goes. It's And the odds of them actually getting sick are, are exponentially smaller than, you know, when like a fucking factory has an E. coli outbreak and they got to recall 40% of the nation's meat. Right. Or like cold Spinach. 5 million fucking chickens. Spinach is bad. Yeah. It, yeah. If you're buying pre-washed greens, by the way, wash your fucking greens anyways. Just don't, don't ever, don't ever trust that shit. They yeah. put so much goddamn crap in that soil; it's disgusting. The last thing that I really wanted to hit on that we've kind of touched on already is mm-hmm. Ukraine. And so the last real aspect that I want to touch on that also I believe feeds into the inflation is the amount of money that we've spent in Ukraine okay. over this time. And I have an article here. We do kind of have to be quick. Yes. I don't no, want to have Jake. It's, it's, one, it's very quick. Um, it's an article that is from – this one's from the Western Journal, but I found a few different ones that would corroborate it. And it's very quick. It says in roughly – in the roughly four months, because it's from July 10th. Um, oh, I can send this to you if you want. Um Copy. It doesn't matter. It's very quick. In the roughly four months since Russia invaded Ukraine, the United States spent more money keeping Russia at bay than it did in the first five years of the Afghan conflict. Overall, the United States has promised at least $54 billion in spending related to the war, some to support NATO nations, part to support Ukraine through traditional channels, and other funding to support U.S. military in Europe. According to Fox News, direct military-related spending on the Ukraine war has reached $8 billion. Fuck. 
Eight billion dollars. Yeah. Fifty-four billion dollars in whole. Um, the Biden admin on Friday announced another four hundred million dollars military drawdown package to Ukraine, and more rocket systems. Um, the Pentagon on Friday confirmed the U.S. has provided eight billion dollars in security assistance since Russia's invasion in February, but Washington has committed to spending far more. Earlier this year, Congress committed to spending fifty-four billion dollars in traditional Jeez. foreign aid and military assistance in a move to help quash Putin's offensive. That is so much money. There are measures in the latest $40 billion package passed in May that could take years to implement, like their procurement of an additional Patriot missile battery that could potentially be built in an allied nation like Poland, according to a report by the Center for Strategic and International Studies. So it remains Man. unclear how much the U.S. will end up spending in 2022 on countering Putin's aggression. But according to information provided by foreignassistance.gov, the U.S. has already spent more on security assistance to Ukraine than the first five years in Afghanistan. That is .gov. That's a government-funded website. By Ooh. the end of 2006, the U.S. has spent more than $7.4 billion in its fight against the Taliban. By 2011, the cost of the 20-year war had reached its peak when it spent $11.4 billion that year alone. We will be doing this for years to come. I'm putting my fucking name on it now. Oh, yeah. This ain't going to stop. Also, there are already boots on the ground there. I've been saying this shit for months. Yeah, right. You just wait. <laughs> well, they had that one American guy who was... Uh, the contractor. Yeah, the, the contractor dude that yeah. was over there. And then he came back and was like hitting the morning shows and shit in the morning, talking about how you're going to have to fight your neighbor and shit, all of a sudden just getting right into it. So... Okay. Um, do you have anything else that you want to hit? There was an assault weapons ban that went from the committee to the House. Yeah. Um, I heard seen... Thomas Massey railing against that the other it's day. It's not good. They were talking about, you know, Cicilline is talking about how uh, pistol braces are bump stocks and effectively turn ARs into machine guns. So it's not good. It's written just as well as, you know, any other piece of fucking gun legislation that's come out of there in the last yeah. few years. So we'll see how much moves on this. Um, yeah. Unless you have anything else, then we can hit our break. It yeah. will take us a few more minutes than normal because we will be coming back with Jake Lines for the third part to talk about some founding principles, some things like that. It's going to be a beautiful conversation. Amen. It's so, going to get deep. Yeah. So with that, I want to thank everybody. Stick around. Make sure you like, comment, share this with your friends. Tell them because we're coming back. We're going to have some deep conversations. It's going to be fantastic. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you in a few minutes. Thank well, you we got a shift here. everybody. Welcome back, Salt of the Streets. This is part three of our live stream for episode 130. My name is Donovan. I am Colin. And you have been watching us on our YouTube at Salt Hang of the Streets. Oh. Hang on. I'm noticing a problem. Okay. Let me switch back here. You're in the comments thing, so I don't know if yeah. that matters. Oh, yeah. I can't. It's hard to switch back to that. Okay. Here, let's go back to this number. Doop. There we go. Hang on. I got to work out some. I'm not getting desktop. Okay sound coming in like we did last night do, 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 do. Well, we're still live, that was there everybody. Uh, well, oh yeah we're live now everybody we're having we some technical difficulties yes, no, here while we're doing that thank you again for joining us you've been watching us obviously on our youtube at salt of the streets we also have our instagram our facebook fuck facebook at salt of the streets and also our patreon.com salt of the streets go to our patreon subscribe there help us make more better content just like this also our book club the newsletter the beer shows all these beautiful things that we're doing you can find also our personal social media i am at salt of the street on twitter and at alpaca underscore donovan on instagram colin is at big bird off on both those things you can find all this at salt of the make sure that you like subscribe comment all these things tell all of your friends because i know that you love this content and we want to see more of it so word 
All right. So, yeah, you guys got it figured out. We're having a little bit of sound issue here. So I'm going to switch back over, and then you guys just let me know when you can hear us. I think I might have fixed that, but we will find out. It looks like there's bumping when you... Boom. So right now I got no feed from the desktop audio. What about that? Got nothing from the desktop audio. Jake, can you say something real quick? Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Okay, perfect. I think that'll work because we get... uh, Yeah, we're not showing up for some reason on that, but Jake's audio is coming in from the desktop, so I think that looks good. All right. I yeah. think you, yeah. Well, everyone in the comments, let us know if it sounds everything. I mean, we can see it up there, so I would imagine that it looks. Yeah, I think we're running. That it's fine. So he said, I can hear both now. So everything is good to go. Okay, so we are joined today by our friend Jake Lines, right? You are over here on the other side of the screen. So, Jake, thank you for joining us. Dude, very excited to be here. It's exciting. My first podcast. First you guys podcast, man. Excellent. That's awesome. Yeah, I heard you got some pointers last night from one of your friends. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I was actually just on the phone with him. <laughs> just to like, reiterate, I was like, okay, how do we do this? Do I need to breathe weird? Do you have like certain meditations you do before you go into these things? Do you have a friend that um, hosts a podcast? Uh, I have a friend that goes on quite a few, okay. and, uh, just by the nature of like his job and the things he does, um, and uh, he, he's been very helpful in that. Awesome. So Donovan, oh, right dude, now you're pouring the shillings. The there we go. I'm pouring it. I'm pouring it right now. That's right. Yeah. I'm yes. on a uh, a sober kick, so I am I am not participating, yes, but so. I am very very familiar with the uh, the, the Excelsior yeah. Imperial Apple yeah. Cider. I'm not much of a side man, but I'm we'll really excited to, to see your reaction it here. Smells real sweet. It's real sweet. It, it, it is, dude. You're gonna. I'm gonna. My. Wherever I'm at in your like social hierarchy, I it's probably gonna go a little lower. I understand that ciders <laughs> are no, pretty no. much the maybe the pansy drink. This will get you fucked up though. And real just hard. Eight and a half percent, right? That yeah. is oh, hard. I limit it to two. Yeah. Limit it to two. That does not taste like eight and a half percent. It so doesn't. I can see. Also, it's vegan and gluten free. So if anyone yeah. is, you know, that's the beautiful thing about cider is you can get oh, wow. the wokest of your friends to drink it because it's just apples. It tastes like apple juice. It's <laughs> legit, dude. It is a yeah. sneaker. You can That's you can dangerous. get you can accidentally drink like three or four of those and then get up and be like, oh, this is gonna be a rough night. Yeah, yeah, it's really That's good dangerous. though. Yeah, especially a lot of people hate on it, but uh, I learned from my original cider drinking friend um, back when I was introduced to like Irish cider. Uh, we were drinking Magners at the time. I don't know if you've ever had that. I have. That's a classic. Um, nice dry cider. It's 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 a really good entry level, but uh, poured over ice. A cider over ice is really nice because it kind of helps thin out that super sweetness of it. Yeah, it helps you like not as not get as bad a headache tomorrow. Yeah, but yeah, dude, all the sugar, all the that I think there's tannins involved. Oh. I don't I don't know what's going on there, what? but it's lamb. It's like it's Absolutely. like wine, you know. Okay, <laughs> it'll, right. get, it'll okay. get you fucked up. All right. So, <laughs> so Jake Lines, we went to school together, elementary, junior high, and high school. Right? Or did you go to CK High School? I went to CK. Okay. So that's what I was trying to, I was talking to him about. I was like, I'm positive Dono. I keep calling you Don. Donovan okay. went to, went to Ole. Yes. Olympic high school. Yeah. So we went to elementary better. and junior high school together. Um, but we're still friends on social media. We interact, uh, you know, every so often um, regarding whatever. And you approached us a few weeks ago asking about coming on the show. You had some things that you wanted to talk about. And that's grown a little bit. We've added more topics and stuff like that. But before we get into that. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, right? You're married and you have a kid, right? Married, oh, yeah. right? And you have another child on the way, right? Yep. 
Right. Okay. So you're working on number two. Excellent. So tell us more about yourself. What do you do for a living? What do you, um, yeah, let's start there. What do you do for a living? Yeah. So, um, I'm a mechanical engineer by trade, uh, after got done with school, went to, uh, WSU, Washington state university, go Cougs. Let's go. Um, have a fun- funky, weird story there. So I'm probably one of the few people who didn't go there to party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did, I did graduate, graduated well. Um, uh, did four years with the shipyard. So people who aren't familiar with that, DOD, Bremerton Shipyard, um, was a test engineer there for four years, did roughly two years as an HVAC plumbing tech. And now I work out in the Boise area uh, as a facilities engineer. Okay. And what sparked your move from Washington to Idaho? Was it just a job or? Uh, it was a multitude thing. So I lived in Bothell for roughly 18 months. Um, right there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Bothell itself is awesome. It's a cute town. It's got some really good stuff about it. Um, but as I, I love Seattle. Like I have so many good memories. I was one of the guys, I mean, you guys probably remember when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl and we had the crazy, um, parade and celebration like me and a bunch of dudes I could name that you would definitely know Donovan um like skipped that entire like mile-long line yeah and ran into there was able to see Marshawn Lynch throwing skittles it was beautiful um that's cool there's that Seattle I love I now call it the green Gotham because that is what I have seen um I think is is now the result of our largely progressive leftist politics and we'll jump in this later um, no doubt, but I think the base in which supports that those political leanings, um, I think is very weak and is actually leading to some of the absurdities that we see today. And we're, at, we're really cemented for me of why we moved out of Seattle. Yeah, I got a, I got a, um, a job out here in Boise. I had an awesome one buddy who got me the job in Bothell. He's rad. Very thankful for that opportunity. Um, but we had like three emergency situations. One of them I'll tell you about leaving. And I had gone down to First Ave, so that already tells you where I'm, where I'm at. I'm like across from the Starbucks Corporation, um, and this dude, I'm buying some Toyota parts, and I was already like, I I just recently gotten my concealed carry permit, went through um, some classes, you. some training, and uh, worked with some some guys I know that are just excellent marksmen and um, prior military, and uh, so I'm not going there like. I'm carrying because I want to stay safe, not because I want to be a hero. (laughs) But I'm down there, and this dude's unpacking his Toyota Tacoma in front of my eyes. Like, the parts I'm literally about to receive, he's taking off the car. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing? So long story short, he was on his way um, along the coast. He had just quit his job and was trying to get everything out of his storage equipment or storage locker because the guy who was owning it was writing off all the theft and break-ins off insurance. And was just was just like this is what I'm doing. I can't stop it. And the entire time we're talking, I was there for probably two hours. We were getting circled by two fully blacked out Chrysler 300 C's. Um, never got to see the probably not so gentleman in the vehicle, but he he would point them out and was like, "Yeah, these two guys, like in their crew, just come around here, break into the stuff, broken into mine multiple times, and um, yeah, this is how it is. Just long first ab now. And I'm yeah. just like, this is this is crazy." And this is this is like three months after we get rid of half our police force. Oh yeah. So that's ultimately kind of what drove you out of the state. Is you feel like you were kind of driven out of the state. You wanted to move out because of the crime, the, just the overall social deterioration. 
it, it just felt like, okay, I'm seeing the early, not even the early buddings, but like the real evidence of like, hey, this is where it's headed. I need to get out of here. We had some really great opportunities here in Boise. Um, uh, and just for a family building, it, it's just some, I mean, like we don't, I still lock my, all the doors and everything uh, because Seattle did that to me. Um, but I don't have to, like, it's, it's awesome. Our neighborhood's lovely and our two, we know both of our neighbors by name. We watch each other's dogs. Oh, that's cool. That's a good setup. There you go. Yeah. Now, did you guys entertain any other states at the time or was it kind of like job driven to, to kind of go to Idaho or did you guys specify looking at Idaho in particular? Um, we had a few on our, on our list. We, uh, Idaho was definitely number one. A big reason we moved down here was, was, uh, the friend I, I've mentioned, um, he was, he and his family was like wooing us to come over like, Hey, like, this is where we're at. This is what you kind of can expect. Um, and over the past three years, I had a really big theological shift and him and his friendship and a handful of other gentlemen that I've gotten to know and be friends and be mentored by them, um, have really helped solidify and just bring a lot more confidence within my own personal faith, but also in how how your faith actually gets actualized to the world. It's in that not just this weird like it's just a spiritual thing that I'm going to believe and then I'm going to treat people like trash, mm. but or however that manifests itself. Um, so yeah, just the community here was a huge call. Idaho was number one. We we uh, we looked at Florida, but the humidity would have just eaten me alive. <laughs> Yeah, um, largely red, yeah, largely red states, though. Um, Utah was another look. Um, Salt Lake has got some really cool areas, and I really like off-roading. So that was a that was a definite one we were looking at. There you go. Okay. You're a pretty big outdoorsy guy. Oh, big outdoorsy guy, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely. Uh, uh, I enjoy the outdoors a ton. I need to get back at it more. I'm really trying to build. Um, I've got a first-gen Tacoma that I'm currently building for business but then the ability to go like just summer and uh winter just go snow snow four by four and all that fun stuff there's a lot of it to do around here so i really enjoy that stuff killer it seems idaho seems like a good kind of like best of both worlds because you got a little bit of city action if you want it but then you got a massive outdoor area you go down south you get farm country you know it's it seems like a really I mean, it's a hot ticket item. I know for people that moved out of Washington, it's because it's so close, particularly, you got a really strong kind of red state government going on. Uh, yep. Constitutional carry? I, 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 uh, don't I do not know. I, I don't know. I have to look, but very gun friendly. Yeah, no, no permits. Like, I, I, I'm able to carry wherever. Constitutional carry. Except for gun free zones, of course. Oh, of course. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> we talked about gun free <laughs> zones earlier today. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, the line that we set um, or that we lined out there is unless there is physical infrastructure hindering me from doing so, I am carrying a firearm. There's, that's the only thing that will limit me from doing so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm perfectly willing to accept, uh, you know, uh, any type of potential ticket or anything like that to, as a trade off for my family's safety. So, yeah, for sure. Um, so let's get into it. So you, you sent or referenced that you had kind of a big theological shift. Right. So expand yeah. on that a little bit more. Were you more religious now, uh, more religious before different religion? What's, what is that about? Yeah. So I grew up in a loosely 
loosely Christian influenced home. Um, my parents, uh, one baptized Lutheran, other bap- baptized Anglican. Um, they they did give me the weird opportunity at <laughs> seven years old. Uh, I remember having a conversation, which I don't think a lot of seven year olds have this, but I got done with like preschool or whatever, and I think I was going to a, a Lutheran preschool, and I, I did a play. Remember, I'm very emotional. Um, more like emotional memory, if that makes sense. So I remember like the feelings and kind of some of the, the um, concrete memories, but I remember just a few of those things. And I remember just telling my parents like, hey, this place smells. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done like sitting in these wooden chairs, these pews. And um, at seven, I really, I was definitely not listening to any messages or anything like that at the time. Um, but from seven to um, 15, it was just an acting atheist. Like I'm, I wouldn't have like the uh base and actually convey like oh this is atheism but acted as though hey if there really isn't a god or I'm, I'm acting in in i think the logical implications of there is no god um baptized at 15 uh god gave me the weird opera just just instilled all my best friends strong christian strong christian families like they have their own stories and things but for some reason uh kept getting attracted to uh these guys and had seven of them and they have just been awesome brothers in my life uh baptized at 15 have the classic like emotional response to christ Woo! i'm gonna this is great i'm gonna go to camp and da 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 do that for like two years then realize life's hard had uh i won't say their names because you might recognize some of them donovan but we had a handful of suicides in our community um back my junior year so your senior year yeah um one of them i was very close with as a teammate and uh that just yeah that just rocked so much my life it was just it was just the the apathy the the questions the nihilistic outlook on life of like okay like if there is a god why would he take my friend just these these classic questions but these these important questions and these reasonable questions based upon my experience um and but after then 18 being introduced through another church and again these seven dudes continuing to pursue me to encourage me um hold me accountable um to my faith and to my baptism 18 onward i would say that has been the like the the solid rock of like okay haven't wavered i've had theological shifts um within orthodox christianity um but uh that's where i'd say that was very cemented so i came out of a very non-denominational uh background from 18 whereas in the past two years i've now switched into becoming um a reformed christian and so think presbyterian um think way back to the puritans we may get there uh so calvinistic soteriology so nature of salvation that's what soteriology is if you're just jumping into this um so there yeah there's a lot to unpack there but have made that large shift which in the context of christendom like what I came out of is very mainstream compared to the theological tradition I now am in. So what is different about the way that you conduct your life now as opposed to two years ago before this kind of like hard shift into it? Not hard in it, it's not a bad way, not like a, you know, yeah. um, but just this shift into a, a more s- strict theocracy. What do you think is different about your life now as opposed to then, before? Yeah, um, I think a large... Um, more of an impetus on holiness 
and and not in the sense that when when I think when we use that word today, one it has a lot of negative connotations, and we just think like cleanliness or things of this nature. But know that okay, God is. Uh, here we can spun bits. If God really does um, have relationship with people based on covenants, and then the requirements of those, God will uphold His end of the bargain, as because He's God. He said He would, and the majority of covenants He actually establishes with people are unconditional. Um, but then in that relationship, like Ephesians 2, 9, like I, there's nothing I can gain by my works, but now that I am a changed man, because I love God, now I do good works. And so we can break into some of those things. I did bring the biggest Bible I have. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know. Like I can barely fit it in my mouth. So I yeah. thought it was the perfect cramming. Excellent. Cramming. Thing. <gasps> Um, there's the thumbnail actually, right there. We got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let me grab it real quick. So basically it was, it, it came down to an attitude of like, okay, I didn't, I looked at the fundamentalist groups and was like very looking at their interpretation. sounds like that's very literal. And then, but then I would look at say a lot of the more non-nom mainline evangelical Baptist interpretation. And it was so, I guess the world I use is like memorialized or symbolized, but it was taking things out of context and then trying to give, I think largely the Christian church, these applications, but, but that were just so spiritualized that it was really difficult to actually do anything with it. So a classic example that you'll see a lot is like, well, our Christian piety really, there's a, there's a large kind of um, thought within the Christian church today that like really our religion and our thoughts and our beliefs shouldn't have any impact on politics. So we'll, we'll, we'll jump into that, right? Where that was glaring to me because uh, that one isn't consistent because all beliefs will inevitably, and especially in our democratic Republican society, all our decisions and things that we're voting for are based on beliefs. So if you're a Christian and you do believe like Christ is ultimately king and has authority on earth and that was established in his death and resurrection, um, then we don't get our marching orders from President Biden. You know what I mean? So like it's actually not, you know, we're not necessarily being conducted by these social hierarchies that we are experiencing today. Um, we can jump into other fun things there. Um, so I was looking at where I was at and some things just weren't aligning um, by what I was hearing from the pulpit, what I was hearing preached from the pulpit and these things and these um, things that preachers were saying of like, don't get involved here or this isn't really where your faith gets applied or this hyper spiritualization where that didn't line up with the biblical account in the historical account of Christians like, no, we're going to spread the gospel literally everywhere. We're going to take care of the orphan. We're going to meet needs. We're going to uh, die to Roman persecution for 250 years. Um, and so then looking at the, the those as the historical model being like, hey, that's not at all what <laughs> I see happening today, at least in the American context. Um, yeah, a lot very, of maybe, things like that. Yeah, see, a lot of times now we see like the the deference of religion give way to you know the the sanctity of the state for lack of a better term we we've you know i think we've talked about it before we you know the the country was founded on judeo-christian morals and ethics and principles i mean there's when when a society as a whole i guess kind of loses out 
loses sight of those those principles, especially via like a lack of religion, you know, it just turns into kind of like this secular nihilistic, you know, just power shit show. And it just, it, how do I want to put this? It's you lose, you lose the why and you just focus on the how. Well, I think, so Bilbo said one of our, uh, one of our viewers, right. Had this question for you. And the, I think Colin is actually explaining right now, uh, <clears throat> Do you think people who have no religion have made politics their religion? And I think that's like exactly what you're explaining, you know, is um, and I think that's a big debate. I know for sure, like Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris have debated this, you know, yeah. like theocracy and uh, what the secularism, you know, mm -hmm. and the base and how people can find their morals in secularism or if they have to find them through religion. Um, and we've even talked about that here that I'm I'm not religious in any facet of my life. It's not yeah. I don't disbelieve in any type of religion and i'm not atheistic i i don't think that it's all made up or anything i don't i don't concern myself with it because there is other shit that i'm thinking about so that's just not something that breaches even my bubble of concern because there are other things that i'm considering mm -hmm. but i've also told you that when i base my morals of like right and wrong or if i was to tell someone where to do that i think a judeo-christian value set is a good place to start right even if you're not going to be religious to base your morals off of those set out in the judeo-christian values i think is a good place to start mm -hmm. you know murder treating people correctly not fucking your your neighbor's wife these these are good things i think that you can use as a base even if you're not going to go to church and be religious, you know, that's a good place to start, I think. Yeah, and almost by de facto, if you're following those, you're already following some of the basic tenets already yeah. of the founding religions, which is an interesting concept when you really think about it. So what do you think about that, Jake? This question that uh, his name is Bilbo Swaggin 117. Um, Bilbo. Wagon. He is yeah. one of our very consistent viewers. He is a great, great, great viewer of ours. So he is curious. Do you think that people who have no religion have made politics their religion? Yeah. So, or, or I, I've heard this term, they call it the religious nuns. N-O-N-E-S, the religious nuns. Um, so th this comes down to a concept that I've been holding to a lot. It's not in... in I did not make up this term and just so for anyone watching too like i'm just a dude like i hope that's very clear like i'm, I'm i am a i'm a christian i believe a committed christian love god um i'm not an expert so this this is very much my opinions um but in the, in the case of like the religious nuns whether that's atheist agnostic just not holding to an ultimate transcendental power to ground um their morality or their view of uh their morality and their view of reality in yes because i think and this this is going to appear wokish at first because we have to use some similar terminology but we'll call you out if we need to they're operating out of a natural power structure so this is why I think is interesting, and, and I'll get back to your comments here in a second, Donovan, is, is those who are ultimately going to ground, who maybe say that there is no God, one, and then it gets gets very interesting of usually that argument lands in, okay, well, then I need to create my purpose because I'm not designed, I was not created with a purpose in mind. I am just the result of billions of years of 
a macroevolutionary accident that just happened to work out on this third rock from the sun that was just going around this moderately small sun and, and solar system that brought life to all these things. None of this was orchestrated all, you know, and we know the crazy probabilities that it's basically zero and okay, well, I'm just on this rock. I'm going to create my purpose. But in order to create my purpose, power is absolutely necessary in that. Maybe ask why? Well, if you're going to try to manifest anything, create anything, and I'm talking just an ability to like modify what's already given to us. Well, you need power in the tools to exact that. And in, in, in our American context, the ultimate way to allow that to happen so that you can do whatever you want is to govern it. Because in our democratic Republican society, like we put representatives before us, and as long as they say, because we have entrusted um, our societal powers to them to enact laws, that would allow us to do these things. And so ultimately it is, um, I would say the, the non-religious person is actually practicing an organized religion. It's just based about um, within their own desires. And so, and, and that's gonna look, which I think is funny within the, the woke crowd, while there's all these different desires and um, diversity within that, is they're all still doing the same thing. It's just this battle cry of, well, I just want this. I want this. And because I want this, I'm going to go get it. And the easiest way, not even the easiest, but the way I can do that, not only for myself, but to have authority on others so they can't take that away from me, I'm going to do this through government. And so, but and then that, and then that trade-off is, okay, if I give over my power and you enact things that's going to allow me to do what I want to do, identify with, create, whatever, then I will, I'll submit to that. And so, yes, religious nuns, I think, are ultimately right now in the American context submitting to these, uh, submitting to the government. And I think that's why you're seeing such a rubbing between um, conservative Christians and just religious folk in general or just conservatives in general is because our, uh, we ultimately submit to God. And so when there's laws enacted that, we believe are objectively wrong because we believe that a God created the world and with purpose and gave, gave human dignity and, um, and our rights are based upon that reality. Um, so then, you know, abortion and all these other things come to line. Um, then there, that's why there's that willingness to say, no, pump the brakes. Whereas maybe someone who is more on the religious nun side, and I, and I know like atheistic conservatives. So I'm, I'm actually really interested in that perspective. Um, but that's not the majority. And so there seems to be kind of a bowing down to the state because it is the, I don't know if easiest is the right word, but it is right now one of the main ways that they can claim control and justify why they do things. And I think, so let me, I agree with you a little bit. Let me push back on you a little bit. So I think in an American context, you're probably correct because within the current system that we are existing in, that's, that's the government structure. Um, <clears throat> and I guess we can really only contextualize it within those two things, but there is, we're, we're a, a liberty-based show, right? Um, that's, that's what the whole idea of this thing is, is personal liberty, personal responsibility, personal freedom. So there is, I think, at very least a third aspect to consider this through, and we could take it from like an egoistic sense, right? An egoism would be in which our 
my right would be defined as whatever benefits my own self-interest, right? So my rights are defined with whatever I am, I am defining in my right. And there is an inherent power in that, that egoism comes from a principle of might equals right, that I have to have the ability to attain whatever right that is, but that doesn't necessarily imply a power over other people, right? And the basis for th that egoism could come from a communistic or anarchistic anarchistic perspective um, both are similar in which you were talking about creating something right that we have to mix power with whatever we're given naturally and the egoistic sense or perspective of this would be that power is is my labor it's not my power over other people right so my ability to self-actualize my own destiny in a world where i don't believe in god comes from my ability to mix my own labor with natural materials to create whatever i identify as my right and as my power and so we talk about does that so let's, does that make sense what i just said yeah i i think what that's ultimate grounded and where that gets really tricky though is you're relying on ultimately your perspective's king right we we got like a, your perspective of reality your perception is ultimately subjective my definition of what my right is is based off of what is benefits my self-interest so to a certain extent yes but but I also that comes in my opinion a base in in natural right in the fact that we are all human beings we have rights not because someone else has has given them to us but because by sheer fact that I am a human being I have the right to exist I have the right to to self actualize my own identity and my own purpose because no one here has the right to dictate me any other way um, other like than a humanist based other than someone else's perception of what they think my right would be and in a completely not offensive way your perception would be my uh purpose is whatever god has defined my purpose to be and i if i don't agree with that you know that's i i wouldn't accept someone else's definition of what my purpose is if i believe that it is self-actualized through my own right you know what i'm saying well see it, it, but that gets us back to this main question of like then by what standard by my like own why? standard no one else has the right to define what that standard is when it comes to my rights why because no one else has power over me you are you are equal to i am by the fact that you are a human being you do not have power um by any natural statute over me other than if you're more powerful than i am by like strength okay, well, you know what i'm saying that, like, that's the actual crux of it then then okay so if i am born into a position or say royalty or what people are largely dealing with over the past 1500 years i mean this is the claim of royalty right like i was born into this position and status even though we're both human mm -hmm. but i have more power than you yes because is, i have way more accessible tools so how how are you unpacking that the how difference you, like, not, the, why is it wrong that a king sub um like maybe hurts one of his subjects in a, my reasoning for be, being wrong would be that it is immoral to impose your power on other people, right? Even if that's how you're defining it, it's still, it, it still is immoral because it is infringing on other people's right as they're defining it. If I'm working within the bounds that you've created as a king, you're right. The, the base concept you laid out of individual right, my right being the same as the right of a king to a throne, it's the exact same thing. It is the exact same thing. The difference would be in my individual expression of that right, unless I am infringing on someone else's defined right, it's not immoral. I'm not, I'm not impacting other people. By a king defining the law. Why is it, why is it 
not immoral. See, I, this is, and this is why we're going to get into like why, presuppositions. Wait, why is why is what not immoral? Because you keep claim you you've had three main claims. Um, one claim is it is immoral for me to infringe on someone else's rights. Why? Why is it immoral? Like if I have the faculties, the power and the authority to, and I and can create my own rules. Like, why is it wrong for me, especially if I have the power? That's why I made the the king example yep. to to hurt someone else. And I and Again, my, I my and my response to that would be because that is not how I define my right. My right is to not be hurt by you. What well, again? But by what standard is that wrong? Because I in my because position, it infringes on I my right. Because it infringes on my right. By nature of being a human being, I have the right to exist, and therefore, if you threaten that right of of mine to exist, then you know, I have the right to push back at that point because I do as a human, as a, you know, no different than the king himself. I am a human being. So I have, I have this right innate within me empowered, you know, by in, endowed by whatever creator I might hold to. I am a human being. Therefore I get to be one. And what the king establishes in his kingdom in accordance to my right is foreign right. Whatever he's defining as his right is foreign right if I accept it as to, as to myself because I did not define that. Mm -hmm. Because he is so, also a human. This is what I'm hearing is two different things, though. With Colin, you ultimately grounded, and this is the point I'm making, you grounded the dignity of humanity in a creator. That's why. That's the underpinning, not just me making up my own rules. Well, because this is what I think. If, if the basis of our rights is just us setting our own rules, you, I think it's pretty quick to see why this becomes a problem. Because if, and especially if our basis is there is no God and it's really just a motive base of my rights or my emotions are going to be expressing or conveying to me what my rights are, well, then, like in the case of a rapist or a pedophile, right? Like, well, I believe I have the right to be happy and I'm happiest when I am, sorry for the folks listening, I'll try to do this, no. when I am uh, very much infringing on another person's body in, a, in an adolescent. Um, right. Yeah. And that's, you just laid it out, is you're infringing on someone else, right? Is you, you, you can define I'm it. Grounding you... it. I'm grounding it in God. But I'm that's not grounding it in emotion, and that's what you used as the basis for the rapist. I'm not grounding in emotion. That's, I'm not saying emotion. Emotion is impure. Emotion is, is fallible. Emotion will lead you to exactly what you're talking about. I'm not talking about basing things in emotion. I'm talking about right to live unfreely and unfettered by other people. And if someone is defining their right as being able to rape other people, they are, as you define it, infringing on other people. Yes, but that is my standard is Christ. My standard is God. My Christ and those are laid out by Judeo-Christian beliefs. But I don't like found in the Bible. And if I don't you rip that away. You you're this idea of like, oh, I can just ground my rights in who and what I am. I think not only are you going to see evidence of like, okay, who cares what you set up? Because power <laughs> will dictate otherwise. And I think you're also I think you might be conveying this to a larger governmental structure on like the scale of America, which is not at all what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about basing American law in individual people's identified rights. You can't have a system that way. And that's not how even egoism works at its base. If we are all defining what is right for us, you can't have an entirely uh, a nationwide system that runs that way. And that's not what I'm advocating for. It's the opposite of what I'm advocating for. 
And that's why I'm saying is you, other people don't have the ability to define that. So inherent in within that, they wouldn't have the ability to gain a position of power over me to define what my rights are, which is why the inheritance of a king, the inherent position of a king is immoral based off of the imposition of his foreign right on my right. Okay, so let me try, let me try to verbalize what at least I'm hearing. So within egoism, um, you're essentially because I'm a human, and then this is why I want to get into because there's a there's a lot of assumptions that get packed into this view. You're assuming that just because you're a human, you have dignity. You there you have certain things about you that can also allow you to determine your own rights. The yes, just as or, every or, every human being does, because no one can take that away from you. Yeah, like no it, one on this planet has the power to remove your ability to define your own, your own freedom and your own pathway. No one has the ability to, to, to define that for you, even in modern America. Yeah. And the minute you... Well, inf- I would say that like a massive example against such as slavery. Well, that's right. Which is, an abor- which is an abortion against people's individual rights. Yeah. Abortion Granted, would not be allowed under, when, when you're infringing on other people's rights, right? Well, I, I mean, this is this is just the part of yours. This is why I think it, um, within subjective, it, it's ultimately a subjective base of just people setting up their own their own rights. You're establishing in the governmental system, but I, that's why that's why I think you're thinking about this in the wrong context. I'm, I'm not, not talking thinking about a government. I'm thinking about individually. So you just take a like even us. Like okay, like I'm, and, and I don't actually think this is how people necessarily get to these positions. Um, if if you're argument is ultimately grounded in just my perception or my personal ability or view to create rights like then everything that gets infringed on is immoral based upon the so there's going to be things that people because of their own personal rights or status and these other things that get coupled into that there's going to things things that they think are completely moral based upon their perception or to another person it's completely immoral based upon their perceptions and then how they've built up their own rights. That's ultimately a subjective morality and that's not an objective, that's subjective morality and that's not basing it in objective reality. Well, I think the problem lies in the fact that like we're sitting here talking about rights and there's assumptions being made on what rights are. The problem with talking about like an overarching right is you know, ideal, you're, you're seeing it as anybody can make whatever rights they want, and that is inherently a subjective view. I think the, correct me if I'm wrong here, Donovan, but I think our, our view on rights is a much more objective um, a point of view. There's, there's, it is inherently moral to, you know, everybody has the right to exist. Everybody has the right to define, you know, to, to liberty and freedom. The minute you the minute you infringe on somebody else's right to exist in any capacity, you've, you've then crossed a line into, in, you know, into, you've done something immoral at that point. The moment that your definition of your rights infringing on other people's definition of rights, their base rights of their ability to define their rights, their ability to be human being. That's the base moral of that. Yeah. Like there is no right to, and that's where you're talking. The the example of slavery is, the example but of you're the, claiming that humans define their own rights. Yes. Okay. So if we are defining our own rights by nature of what we are, 
then why is it wrong for like there's like this is why I think it's actually it's not an objective thing it's completely rooted in subjective you're just claiming by nature what I am I can create my own rights if my rights are different than someone else's and thus I act differently than someone else's and they feel or experience that I'm doing something immoral then it's actually not immoral it's just a difference in preferences because it's just a difference in your perception because you're able to make your own rights now, and again, like there's a lot of things I'm actually agreeing with you guys that I want to. I think we'd have to have a, we'd have, probably have to have a more specific example of of what that is. Because yeah. if you're talking about my neighbor doesn't like that I stepped on his lawn and he identifies his right to not have someone step on his lawn as his right, then that's a that's a a very different thing than the large example you gave of slavery. Right? These are very very different examples that you're giving here. I don't identify. Someone else can identify it as their right to have their own grass that someone doesn't step on. That's fine. That it, that is extremely subjective. That's not a base right to life and and the ability to to define your own. Uh, so I think we need more we definitive need... examples to yeah. to hash that out. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is where I'll, I'll need to establish some like base questions, and I've got written down. So what is your view of reality? I don't understand the question. Like it is can can reality convey truth? I think it can, but it's not necessarily there's no rule to it. If reality reality is, um, our perception of that is extremely limited to only what we can perceive and we can intake. There's you know and an objective reality is the fact that we exist and therefore we are. But a subjective reality is what you do with what it, with, within whatever it is that you perceive. Um, the fact that we exist in a three-dimensional a, a three-dimensional space is a objective reality. How we mm -hmm. interact with each other is a and how we interpret the reactions that we experience every day is our subjective reality. But I think, you know, reality is, yeah, I, I what is that? Uh, you know, I think, therefore I am. The minute I have self-awareness, I am grounded in a reality that I cannot escape from because I, I, I live within the bounds of a, of a, a carbon-based three-dimensional world. You're, you're jumping into the French philosophers and all that, all that fun jazz. Well, it's just, you I mean, what is reality is kind of a, it's kind of a broad question. I mean, reality I, is just kind of, it's, it's whatever it is that I am doing at this point in time. It's, I, I am alive and I am self-conscious of it. So therefore this is my reality. So the, the point that I'm ultimately trying to make is that reality for it be to be objective and this gets into our base assumptions it needs to be uniform moral and rational or sorry let me, let me get that right and correct here so if you're assuming that like reality is irrational not uniform and immoral then we actually can't have any conversation about truth we digest that that's awesome. i'm sorry so you, irrational, you said? immoral and not uniform we actually can't have a conversation about truth. So let's take those one by one. Uh, the first one, it needs to be rational, right? Is that the first one? Irrational. Um, so an irrational perception of reality, I think, would be, you know, within the mind of like a schizophrenic where there is no, you know, there is, there is no 
there's no coherent structure from second to second to minute to minute to year to year. It's just, it's everything. It's just happening at any time. Maybe some of that could be rooted in like a simulation theory or something like that. But um, yeah, I think rationality, rationalizing that you exist is, is relatively simple for most people to do. Most normal people, I would say, can just you rationalize don't. the fact that they exist. Uh, what was the second one? Uh, uniform. So there actually has to be uniformity. So you could think of like the and like there's preconditions to reality that uh, for us to even have these conversations. And then I would just you mean like a set of agreed terms before we have a conversation? Is that what you're talking no, about? No, not even agreed. Not even agreed terms. Like existence. no, these things must exist for reality for us to even have a conversation. I would say the best example I could give is our and societally. Um, as a species, our best grasp at that would be um, the laws of physics. You yeah, know, that's so about as universal. We're, we're, we're you know, all subject to the laws of physics. Yeah. But even more so, so like things actually need to be sustained and uniform in our universe for us to even have speech, right? Like there has to be a certain constitution to space and matter. And to the fact that you guys are even hearing and listening to me right now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is a, is a result of. It, like ultimately grounding this in God, but our reality is constructed in a way that we can even have a conversation like this. Well, and on a scientific yeah. level, let's just say the, you know, the, the mass of material that eventually through ga gravitational forces collected in this third ball from the sun around the perfect temperature sun that has, you know, some level of relative uniformity given the span of a, a human lifespan to sustain something that can create the carbon-based life that that we can recognize you know that's it's the uniformity of the 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 mathematics of the universe so and like this is the the, the gears that i'm trying to lace together is okay so you have to first have a, a an understanding of reality and those preconditions that even make reality reality this is, sorry this is, this is for people just watching like this is going to be a lot of this probably flying over people's heads or stuff that I totally understand. And I am just new to these conversations. Um, but there has to be a meshing between okay, objectively, this is, this is how things are. And then how we're perceiving those things that the tools that we are even interpreting things through are reliable. Okay. Right. So our senses, the fact that we have eyes, the fact that we can see things happening. Um, this is, this is where I'm trying to point out that the the very thing that you're seeing or you're applying is like, no, these are human rights, have preconditions, have presuppositions that they're built upon. Like, and there's a certain assumptions every human is making um, that are established for us. So like, we actually need to, um, we're assuming, okay, there's the, that this world, that there's things being conveyed to us we can interpret and actually perceive and do something with right so like why does like or this understanding of like why does 99 percent of the planet believe murder is wrong because we hold depends that life on, is sacred i guess i mean it, depending on your perspective it depends on, on the way that they're defining what their morals are because some people don't think that it's wrong depending on what the context of that was so i know i'm i'm struggling with and I'm, I'm talking about like the general innocence not just like war something like that but like the in general you're asking know, me why you're like what was that you're asking me why do they why do the people agree that it's wrong 
Yes, largely. For, and I'm not, and I'm not rabbit grounding that in that, like, because people agree it's wrong, thus it's wrong. That's not. My I point. would say that it's because it's taking the life of another person. You're removing someone else's ability to do do what they want. You're yeah. taking their freedom, their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, because you know what it's like to be alive, and you know that with when you're not alive, you're not alive, and so sub, you know objectively, you can life is good because existence is justified by life. And so you know for a fact that if you remove somebody's life, that is, you know, everybody has a fear of death. Everybody that's alive in some capacity, I mean, I guess, you know, religious afterlife and so on and so forth, has a fear of death in some capacity. You know that it is the difference between being alive and being dead. Objectively, it's better to be alive. Yeah, I think even that, like, you could you could make an argument of just... Like, that's not necessarily what, like, nihilists believe, right? Like, but if you're going to make an objective argument, like, no, it's better to be alive than dead. Well, they don't kill themselves every day. Yeah. I mean, people walk around identifying as nihilists. They don't all kill themselves. People identify oh, no, as a nihilist. This, this is the point I'm trying to make is I think they're being inconsistent. I don't think they're actually consistent with their view of reality. I think if they're, they're acting as though they have dignity in life and, and that these things are important, but they're grasping onto this view of like, okay, well, if really there's no purpose and there's no hope, then what's the, what's the point of life? Like, and I, and I don't want to speak for every analyst, but like generally that seems to be the tone, right? Like, okay, objectively, if you're going to make the claim objectively, life is better than death, a nihilist is not consistent with that objective reality, right? You'd have to say they're being inconsistent because if they're consistent, if there was no point to life, <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I can't speak for someone who's uh, who's a nihilist. I don't. I don't live in that mindset. So I don't know what the justification would be. But I, if I, I have to assume if what you're saying is correct, then they wouldn't be alive if they weren't able to. So I, I don't know. I can't answer that question. Well, from I think a nihilistic that would be the logical outcome. Like if you're truly nihilistic, um, and, and I, I've only met maybe one or two people who had these tendencies, then things actually do tend to be suicidal. Like you actually, I think that and. I'll, I'll make one quick note and we'll jump back into it. Like, I think this is actually a part of these nihilistic tendencies is what we're seeing, like, with these mass shootings. Like, with well, yeah. all these among our youth is because they're being told at the highest level that really we're all just animals as a result of this massive macroevolutionary thing. And we're just this giant cosmic hiccup that through billions of years of death and life and death and life, and we've somehow been able to go from single-celled organisms to incredibly complex human beings with minds. Um, but really, we're all animals. I don't know. There's, there's I don't no know. Other. I don't know what their perspectives are, so I can't, I can't True, no, rationalize as to why they're the doing overarching, it. This is the overarching secular scientific message that I think, whether we would say that explicitly or implicitly, you can derive that implicitly from that message. And I actually think that's what why we're seeing that in so many, especially of our youth, um, which you see so many just general tendencies towards rebellion in general. But then if, like in the case of, well, okay, if, my, if there's really no meaning and my life is like not good, which is a moral claim, so we can talk about that, that's funny, um, then I'm not gonna live. But I think what's interesting within that, that nihilistic tendency is there even their view of like, well, I'm because I've been hurt, I'm gonna go hurt others. So there's, there's a lot of 
discontinuity even within their own view of like because if if it really didn't matter like there's and there's really no matter whether they do that peacefully or like horrendously right but the people who are willing to go out and commit mass murder obviously have some form of mental illness that they're dealing with so i would say that they're probably not thinking correctly right off of the base if they're willing to go out and commit mass murder yeah and i would probably argue on top of that like an actual true nihilist is at some level they they have some kind of mental illness at that point if you truly believe nothing matters then um i would i would certainly even if it's just clinical depression yeah i mean whatever it is that brings you there if you're a true nihilist in some capacity you have some form of form of mental illness at that point in which you know would ideally be rectifiable but because a a truly that's that's an interesting one like with your claim right like you're claiming it's mental illness you're claiming it's wrong there's something wrong with that why is it wrong why is what wrong why is like mental why is mental mental illness wrong i did not say that was wrong i never said that well i'm not no i'm I'm pointing to colin colin had said like in his observation and made a claim that like there's something wrong with them. Like we're saying that mental illness is objectively wrong. He didn't say there was something wrong with them. He said they had a mental illness. Yeah. As far as nihilism being a, a mental illness, you know, deeply rooted nihilism, you can look in, you know, it's something like that. If you, if you truly don't believe that, you know, life has any meaning or purpose, there's only two paths to go down. And one is to try to find purpose in it and then get out of your nihilism, which, you know, is, uh, you know, I mean, it's definitely not a healthy way to move through life. But if you well, truly so are nihilistic, I'll go there. I'll go there. Because again, there's another claim. You're saying it's not healthy. I was mentally standard. ill. That's from his view. That's from his perspective. But okay, yes, so you're asking those questions from our perspective. I'm not sure how else you'd like us to answer it outside of our perception of what you're asking us. Because he didn't say there was anything inherently wrong with being mentally ill. He said that person is mentally ill. And I, I suffer from depression. There's nothing wrong with me being depressed. And that's not what he said. No, so like that's, but there is, there is an implicit claim there. Like, and that's what I'm trying to draw. I, I, I don't that. think that that's true. I think that might be your perception of what he said, but there's nothing in what he said that indicates that there is an inher- inherent wrongness with being mentally ill. He didn't say anything of the sort. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with being mentally ill, but you can recognize that being mentally ill is a thing. And that might be the real part of the reality that factors into the way that they're perceiving things that they're going through. Yeah. So, but again, like the, the Trump card in your guys' view is ultimately it just comes down to your perception, right? Like really it just comes down to your perception, whether something is right or wrong. I'm, and I'm not sure where, how you're deciphering that from what we're saying. We're not saying anything is inherently right or wrong. We are saying someone can be mentally ill and that can impact the way that they perceive their reality to make them feel as if there is no hope. I'm not sure where you're getting the inherent right and wrongness from that. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're trying to drive to something through asking us questions. It might just be better for you to kind of like just go for what it is that you're trying to, to state. Yeah. So this, this is what I think is difficult is I, at least from what I'm hearing, if, if everything appears to be grounded in a person's perception, but inherent to that, if everything is just grounded in your perception, and then ultimately, like what is good or evil or moral or moral is just based upon what you have made up. So autonomy at the highest level, man's law, man establishes law for themselves. Then there's nothing inherently wrong when 
two people with different preferences and different laws or whatever they set for themselves that are different, but they oppose one another in some fashion or form. So like war, right? Like we can see that there's so many things with war that come down to needs and that people go over to war over their needs. But if it's ultimately, but there's nothing immoral about going to war over perceived needs. So the point I'm trying to drive home is I, I don't think you can establish rights on any moral ground and that, that you're trying to build is, is my claim against against this this egoism idea. Because if ultimately, if everything just falls on to man's law or man's perception, man, man is top and there's nothing outside of man to establish laws objectively, then it's all subjective. And it's I also all... I also never claimed that, right? I said that egoism is based in natural right, which means that naturally based on being a man, there is a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And you can disagree with whether that right can be instilled in someone without a God. That's fine. But that's at the very base. That's out of that's outside of how we're defining morals and rights. We have inherent natural rights. And based off of that, with those things, I, as an egoist, can define my right for what it is. When I begin to infringe on other people's natural rights, I'm committing an immoral act. I may not, see, you know I may not see it that because I'm, inf I'm infringing on their rights. That person is telling me you are infringing on my rights. This is immoral. So, okay, so you're if I'm infringing on someone's natural rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? At those things at the base, and I begin to construct my egoistic right based off of that, and I begin to give myself rights that infringe on someone else's natural rights, I am, that is immoral. No, so now we're getting to like life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. What are those based on? So like, that's what I think is interesting is, so life, why are those, why is that the base that we have to start on? Well, let why me, are those inherent to humanity? Well, let me turn it around and just ask you that same question. How would you respond to that? What are your, what do you think that would be based in? Okay, so like, what is, let's frame it one more time so I, I want to hear it as well as I can. What is your, you know, would you, well. What is, what's your base right? I know, where do yeah. your rights come from? If, if not from yeah. your, your, the fact that we are all equal at the base of being man, where do your rights well, come, where does come that from? Assumption come that? from? Like that, see that you're assuming that we are all equal in man. Why? What makes us, what would make us unequal at the base? What would make us unequal? And there's the, the strict, like, are you talking strictly like just we're all human? Like I, I'm born into this world. We're all going to be babies. Like in that sense, well, the difference would be status. The difference would be what you're born into. In, right? in today's structure. Yes. You're talking about you're you're, you're, you're setting out a premise and giving it the implication of modern day, which we are not doing. We're not talking about that. That's why I presented this as a third option outside of the American context, because that's not what we have here. And that's not what I'm presenting to you. Well, I don't think you're completely outside of the American context because you're basing on life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. No, no, no. That is, that is also how that is also how America was founded. But that does not mean that is only that's the only way that it can be interpreted is through an American lens because that's how the American founders decided this how this country was going to be based. That doesn't make it inherent. That's based on John Locke, which was way before America. Interesting. So John Locke is a what? Well, that's, like that's fine. That's, that's 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 fine. The the base there, I. That's that's fine. The point still is, it is not strictly within the American context because they are based in the same three principles of natural right. That's my point. No, but I'm saying that like John Locke, 
father was a Puritan, comes from a long line of Calvinistic thought, and this ultimately grounds us back to John Calvin, found in the Reformation, is what they're grounding it in, this is our difference. Like, because there's going to be a lot of things we actually agree on, but this is where our main difference, is you're grounding it, well, by nature of what I am, I make my own rights. That's, it is subjective by nature, because your rights are dependent upon you. And thus, if I'm hearing you correctly, when you infringe upon someone else's self-determined rights, that's what makes it immoral. Is, is that fair? I, I guess, man, that, and this is where we need to get into more defined examples. That's why I was talking about lawns and shit like that. You know, if you're talking about your lawn, that's not that's not based in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's not in a, a, a core why, humanistic why right. That right I, life and happiness. Like maybe I like my lawn. I'm happiest when people don't step on my lawn. And and that's fine. At that point, we would need someone else to help us arbitrate that difference. Why, why do we need someone else? Because we've inherent. reached an impasse where we don't agree. And, and if we're going to live cohesively see, next that, to that's each where, other, that's where things get like objective. You're, you're, then you're looking outside of yourself to establish what is moral. You're looking to someone else and their perception. Nope, I'm looking to someone else to help us resolve this issue so we can move forward in an agreeable fashion. At that point, we we have reached an impasse on who is right or wrong. If that's how you're going to define your rights, I don't have a right to tell you that that isn't your right. I don't interpret it that way, but if that's how it's going to be, we want to live cohesively next to each other, then the best thing for us to do is to find a third party. Why maybe do we, have, why do we want let to me live finish. Because we're living next to each other. If we don't, then one of us will move. The example well, I laid I, out, I, the example I laid out was was neighbors right and someone steps on someone else's grass and if you're defining as your right to not have your grass stepped on and i don't agree i define it differently we've reached an impasse if we would like to continue down the path of amicable amicable neighborhood right if we if that's what we want then the best way to resolve that is to find a third party potentially made up of probably made up of multiple people not to tell us what is moral but to help us find an amicable way to resolve this dispute See, I think I think there's an implication there that whatever you're defining as amicable, like that, that's something we both desire. But something we both agree on. Okay, but like that's well, maybe we don't agree on it. Then so how do we settle it? Someone should probably move. Because it's not going to end True. well at that point. It's not going to end well. So someone should move. If you care more about your grass not being stepped on, then you should move. And if I care more about being able to step wherever I want, then I should move. Or else we are infringing on each other's issues and something bad is going to happen. It's going to result likely in some type of violence. Why is, why is violence bad? Why is that bad? Why is violence bad? Yeah, well, in, like, in that scenario, like again, because if I am holding my rights, I've defined my rights as the top thing. Again, and at the I base of that is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if you start to infringe on my base rights by hurting me, that's not good. What I'm saying is like, <laughs> and I'm, I must be not speaking or getting to that question, well, is like, why do we, why is that the standard? Why, why is, is what life, the standard? liberty, and pursuit of happiness the standard? That's what I did. That's what I identify as the standard. I don't know what to tell you. I don't, that's... See, I, I think this is the point that I'm trying to make, though, is that you keep everything just keeps coming to your 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 perception and your standards and things that you're setting upon. If you're dealing with someone who doesn't as have opposed your to standard, your standards. No, 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 I'm saying that there is an objective standard that there's something outside of both you and I. So what that would that be? So, OK, so this is obviously what you're getting at, right? You're doing yeah. I'm 
you're getting at this thing. You're asking us questions where you know the answer. You're trying to pin us into a corner to deliver this final thing. So what is what you're getting at? Because I don't agree with the premise that you're presenting. It sounds like what you're presenting is God will be the determiner of these values, which sounds to me just as subjective as what I just said. No. So, yeah, let me flesh that out. So in, in the Christian view, and not all Christians are necessarily saying this, is that God is the infinite point that all finite things reference. Okay. So that that's he is the ultimate grounding for everything. And so he creates a reality that is uniform, moral, rational. That reality can convey truth to us. I got my notes. I'm going to just convey them real quick so I'm getting this as clear as I can. And he's actually given us the faculties that we need reliable tools, senses, logic, a mind to rationally process things so that we can actually understand truth. And th these are the contingent things. Is so that we actually do, need a I, uniform... I have to ask yeah. you, because you're saying he's given us this stuff. How do you know, if that's your base, how do you know that he has given us these stuff? That's I don't understand how that can be a justification where you're, you're saying your rights are defined by what someone else has given you when i don't understand the premise that you're laying out here how that's consistent more consistent than someone else saying the base right is my ability to live and be happy because again like even what is happy is <laughs> you have to define what is happy and is if, is if you're ultimately grounding of what makes something what is happiness and it's just due to subjective um your subjective view and that's going to vary greatly among all different types of people. And then that's going to naturally, and we see it all the time, cross paths with people that are going to have different forms of happiness. Maybe what makes me happy is, you know, being a pedophile and committing those atro like atrocities. But in, in, see, when you go to an example like that, it immediately infringes on someone else's ability to be happy. Me being raped doesn't make me happy. I would, I would be hard-pressed okay, so to find like a taking, child taking who is happy with being raped. You have two people trying to become a CEO. Both what would make them happy is becoming the CEO. One becomes the CEO, and I don't even think I don't think in this case it would necessarily matter how they got there. Just say one becomes the CEO, and that infringes upon that man's right of happiness of oh, what was going to make me happy was going to become a CEO, and this other man took it. Well, because the whatever right is the pursuit, not not the it's not, not the, it's not the, the end goal of happiness. No, it's so that you. So I apologize if I misspoke. So I apologize okay, if I okay. misspoke. But again, that would be the one time that I didn't say the pursuit of happiness. So I think that it, we should be charitable with each other. If I've, that's the only time that I've said that, then I think that it's pretty safe to assume that I don't, that I mean what I said the other times, right? So let me ask you yeah, this, Yeah, and, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like dig it that, uh, that may have just been me not fully understanding so we don't I'm we don't do here we don't do gotcha stuff we're not going to ask you a question to try and catch you in something we don't do that here so that's not how we present our conversations that's not how we say things no i, I what i'm trying to ultimately present is that r reality for us to make any moral knowledge or truth claims reality has to be objective and necessary things for for reality to be objective for us to even derive truth meaning that we actually have to be able to recognize truth so we have to have these certain tools that would allow us to recognize that whether whether that would be um well primarily i in this case i think the mind the ability just to perceive things 
So it's not eradicating this idea of like the importance of perception. It is more of establishing what are the preconditions that have to be right for us to even interpret something correctly. So Jordan Peterson captured this really well, um, I think, in the in the Joe Rogan podcast where they're talking about like, you know, Joe's very skeptical on the whole Bible stuff. He says, well, what, like, is the Bible truth? He's like, no, like the Bible might be truer than true because it actually gives us the conditions in which we can actually interpret something as good and evil. What is the standard by which these things are evil? Because we, everyone is operating off some standard. So that would be claimed. We're all operating off of some standard. What makes that standard right or wrong? And that's the point that I'm trying to make to, to land here is that if everything is ultimately rooted in just, we, we are what we are, and but when we can build our rights off of whatever, then there really is no right and right or wrong. And so the the models that you keep presenting of like, um, of of like, people um, disagreeing on something and then figuring it out in some quote unquote good way. That's right. I didn't say like good. I said no amicable. I didn't say good. I said amicable. I did not say good. I said amicable. Okay, amicable. Well, again, but like why? in that situation if we've established a rights we can create like why would we want it to be amicable i don't because see the connection be, again in the situation that i laid out you have two neighbors who have decided by by the inheritance of them being neighbors they would like to be neighbors they would like to live next to each other in that you, there there is an it's inherent in that because you live next to each other unless you accidentally i, I don't think because you live next to someone you uh, automatically have a similar standard i didn't say that I never said that. Okay, but you're saying that it's inherent. Okay, I moved next to somebody. Now I just want to be naturally amicable with them? That's not what I said. I said if you live next to someone, you have to want to live next to them. Not necessarily. Like, if you, if you move there, that. if you move there, if Colin lives somewhere and I choose to go there, right? Because again, we're not talking about American societal implications. We're talking about base examples, right? Two people, and when you talk about problems, disputes you have to give it other other context and that's why i start to go into policy it f resolve yeah, and, I'm not, and i'm not trying to make it, it bring it back to american context that's like, how i get into the resolvement of disputes between multiple people is because you're talking about you're giving it the context of people living uh in societies together right and i'm talking about when you're talking about base and rights we're talking about individuals you are then giving a context to people living next to each other and how does this imply in this and how does it go to our structures in america we're talking about different things so when you ask me for an example and i give you the example of two people living next to each other right mm -hmm. if one person lives somewhere and i'm going to go and build a house next to the other person i'm making a conscious decision to live next to this person right yep. so uh, okay in that we have amicably decided to live next to each other. If I start to then, we, someone chose, you had to choose. If, if it wasn't amicable, then I would come out and say, get the fuck out of here. You can't live here. It's then unamicable. I didn't lay that out. That's not the situation we're existing in. One person lives somewhere. The other person chooses to live there with the express knowledge of the other person, and he chooses not to do anything. Let me be as specific as possible. Colin lives somewhere. I am going to go and move somewhere. Colin knows I'm going to move there. He doesn't express any issue at all. We have amicably decided to live next to each other. He knows I'm going to live here. Colin begins to step on my grass, which I don't like. I tell him it is it infringes on my rights to personal happiness that you are stepping on my grass. Colin says, actually, it infringes on my right to personal happiness for me to be able to do whatever the fuck I want, step wherever I want. We now have an issue. If I would like, if we would like to continue to amicably live next to each other, 
the best way for us to solve that issue is going to be to try and find outside third parties, likely in the form of multiple people that will help us find the most amicable based off of a group of an objective group, like you're talking about as objective as possible to help us decide. That's just a group of a bunch of individuals. As objective as possible, I said, right? To try and help us decide the most amicable way for us to move forward if we would like to continue to live next to each other. See, but like you're claiming that it's objective and it's not, and I don't believe it's objective. I said as objective as possible. I said that. Okay, just because you claim as objective as possible, again, you have to, what is objective? What is out? So you're putting in the case of like two people amicably living. I'm biased third parties who have no stake in this situation other than helping two people that maybe they don't even know resolve an issue. That's not inherently unbiased. Like just because, again, Uh, because they're going to drag in all this experience. They're going to drag in what they believe is right and wrong. Why? Because you're defining it as I can create my own rights and I'm defining and building up my own view of myself. And that's why this doesn't define our rights. It helps us find an amicable resolution to this issue. I'm not saying they define the rights. I'm saying they help us resolve this issue amicably. Neither one of our self-defined rights change. That doesn't change. If we would like to continue to live next to each other, we need to find a resolution and those people will help us reach an amicable resolution, regardless of their bias, regardless of whether, and if they don't, then the best solution is to find another group of people that will help us find an objective solution, an unbiased, whatever word you want to call it, an amicable is the best way, an amicable solution. That's the word I'm going to use, amicable, where we can both agree with that outcome. So, so remove objectivity, remove bias. It doesn't matter how biased or objective they are. They could be so objective that it hurts, but if they help us reach an amicable outcome, then it doesn't fucking matter to me. As long as they can help us reach the amicable outcome, that's what matters. What are you defining as amicable? Where we both agree, yeah. because we are the ones with the dispute. But would that mean that I have to set down my rights? No, because it wouldn't be amicable because you wouldn't agree to, to someone infringing on your rights because they're your rights, because that's how you're defining it. See, but like, this is where I think it's like difficult to parse through. It's like, you're saying amicable is like, both are going to be able to exercise their rights. No, no, I'm not. I'm saying both people agree. They agree. I do things all the time that I don't want to do. I agree to do it. There is a difference there. I do things all the time that infringe on my rights. I agree to do them because it's the conditions in which I live upon. We can both agree to compromise if we would like to continue to amicably live next to each other. You're See, adding things in that I'm not saying. Right, but like inherently, if we're going to live amicably together, then we need to also set down part of our rights. We need to compromise to find an amicable solution. Yes, compromise. So, but a base of theirs, like there, there would seem to be an inherent desire to be amicable. Like we, are you saying we should If be they amicable? still want to live there, yes. If they still want to live there, then yes, you have a desire to be amicable because you don't want to move. Okay. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying my best to operate within this, this, uh, hypothetical you've given. Okay. And, oh, oops, sorry. Can you still hear me? Yep. yep. Okay, cool. I think my, my, my settings came up. Uh, and, and this just might be honestly the cap of, 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 of what I know. And I may just be misunderstanding you. I think we're, I think I'm seeing difficult in this is difficulty in this, in this, situation is like okay so i frame this out they have two people guy moves over there 
and in, in, in that, are you saying that they are like by um, him coming and moving, like there is this natural, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm just trying to understand. Then so you I think ask me whatever you want. You ask me whatever you want to try and qualify the situation. Uh, I guess I'm just not seeing the necessity of why, if if they define their rights as such, that they need to be amicable, even though they live with one another, and why that needs to necessarily end amicably, or like, or why that forces them to move away if it's not amicable. Because if it's not amicable, then someone's right is being infringed upon by the way that they're defining it. So that's gonna it's gonna make me unhappy. If I'm defining as him, if his him infringing on my right, I'm gonna be unhappy about that. So, so, you, so you either move or you continue to be unhappy all the time. So you don't have to move. You can accept the infringement on your rights and be unhappy about it. But I don't know why anyone would choose to be unhappy in a world where you don't have to because that's not what the situation is. Yeah, it would be inherently better to try to re resolve that situation then where continue both to be parties unhappy. can, can compromise. Well, there's there's another moral claim, right? Why is it inherently better? Because then someone is unhappy and someone is not. It's better for both people to be happy than one person to be unhappy and one person to be happy. So this is why I like where, but that's if I'm understanding this correctly, and why is that better, especially if it's just based upon perception? Because they both have the natural right to the pursuit of happiness. And if one person is unhappy, then their natural right to the pursuit of happiness is being infringed upon. They, so but so if that's not good. Build up, if we build up our own rights, you're saying one, oh, you have this inherent right, but we build up our rights. Yes, I said you have natural rights. I already said this. You have natural rights, and past that, you have egoistic right, in which you are defining what your rights are. Okay, this might be where, where, where I'm having troubles. And what establishes your natural right? The fact that I'm born here. The fact that I am a human being. I am alive. I have natural right. I am a human being. That is what defines that. So you're establishing it as like just the objective fact that I live here. But see, that's that's where I'm seeing like not live here, just live. Nope, that I live. I am alive. Yeah, you're alive. You exist on planet Earth. Yes. So by the the objective fact that you live here, so that's where I'm I'm seeing you where don't not that I live I here. I live that I live. I am alive. Yes, I'm sorry. When I'm saying live here, I'm not talking about the context of the hypothetical. I'm just talking about I'm on Earth. I exist. Okay. Not not trying to okay. add back into the hypothetical in that way. Um, okay. One moment. Okay, so by nature that I just exist, I have rights. I have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Because, and is this, and then are you um, narrowing this to just being human as well? Like, because um, I'm a human? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I can't, I can't put myself in the brain of a, of a dog or a deer or anything like that. So I can't begin to try and postulate on what their rights or, or potential or anything would be. Mm -hmm. That's, that's definitely, and I've, you, I, I, you can, I would. I would acknowledge that, especially as far as the life of the animals or anything, that's where egoistic rights become inconsistent because, and you, that's where you have to qualify rights of animals and man, and I'm not going to spend my life doing that. Um, but if you want to do that, not you, but in a 
colloquial sense you, then you certainly you can start to acknowledge that that is where egoistic right is inconsistent, that you are infringing on the life and the liberty and the pursuit of happiness of those animals by your egoistic right to hunt them and sustain yourself. But I don't, I don't concern myself with that. And you can, you can call that inconsistent if you want. Um, I'm just not, I can't postulate on animals rights and shit like that. I just don't outside of domesticated animals that I choose to give the right to live and be happy in those things. And so like, I, I'm, I'm giving those rights. I'm mm -hmm. ceding those rights to that animal. Um, just like everyday human beings cede the right to babies to live. Uh, that's like the same thing. Yeah. I guess I'm just wondering how this isn't a circular argument. If a, then a of like, okay, I have rights. I have human rights on the basis that I'm human. Yes. Just it, yes. because of what I am, I have rights. Right. Where would you consider that? Yeah. Where else would it come from? God. <laughs> why does someone else need to? But can... why does someone else need to give you that right? That's what I'm saying. Is I don't see why your reasoning is any more true or right than than what mine is. Um, I think because you saying that I have rights by nature of me being a human requires your perception right actually requires your consciousness requires you to have these tools to even view that as a right so to here, recognize me, me that i am here let me let me pause real quick so i can i think i'm finally getting somewhere and i'm just having so many brain farts so i'm trying to unpack some things um like what because you're you're claiming that the what the establishment of your rights is based upon you and your perception am i am i saying that right i i right. guess i i would not i would not say that when you start to give in perception that's when you start to get into a gray area of people perceive things differently and that's so the perception is when you get into egoistic right yes but i think you're also you're getting at natural right and i'm not talking about perception of natural right unless you're talking about the way that i perceive that to define my own rights which is a policy difference between you and i no so this is what i was thinking so you're claiming though that like natural rights that's an objective reality that be your I, I don't I don't know man I don't know I'm not really understanding your in the way that everybody who is a human being has those things yes okay so you would say if you're human you have rights that's an objective fact yes okay I I guess I don't I'm I'm hesitant to use those words because you've used objectivity and stuff like that in this explanation for for perception so I'm not trying to cede ground to you um inadvertently you know what I'm saying no, so I, I, what I'm, I'm ultimately trying to drive home, and we may just be getting to the point where my brain is farting hard, and so hopefully if we can keep things amicable, <laughs> I can come back with some more parsed out arguments to, to tackle this. Um, I guess where I'm seeing what is hard is like, why is that objective? Why would you say, do you, do you believe there is a, such a thing as objective rights? hundred percent because I believe, believe in an objective morality that is ultimately grounded and constituted in God, that there is a source to reality. What would you, do you believe that humans by nature, just of existing as a human have objective rights? Yes, but it's, it's not built up by my own perception of that or, or me. Yeah. The egoistic um, rights are, are not in question here. No, this yeah. is the, this is the natural right to life liberty and pursuit of happiness this is the your natural born rights
what you do to pursue that happiness is when you get into egoistic oh, yeah. right no and like we're going to agree on that totally but the grounding of it is what's different between you and i right because i'm ultimately grounding that that in a god who's given us these things and that we have dignity because we're made in his image that we're it's not just because we are what we are no we actually have dignity and we're separate than the animals and this is an objective fact and then we also act upon those we actually as humans act like we do have these dignities not in all cases of course i'm just saying so so my response to that would be what you're laying out to me is subjective that is your interpretation of what is going on in this universe you don't have any way to prove that is happening so that is it's by that right it's that's subjective and i don't think that that makes your rights as you're defining them any better or worse than mine are because i'm not citing an absolute base root in the universe of that because we and we talked about this earlier in the show this might be a just a difference between you and i i don't i don't care about that i don't care because it's not for me it's not up to you to define where my rights come from so it doesn't matter to me and i don't i wouldn't say it's not god or that it's fucking any other god because it doesn't matter to me no one on this planet can prove that they are correct at the base of where their rights come from the only thing we can prove is that we're all human beings and that that's the basis that if we can all prove then that to me is the core of where your rights come from because you can't prove that the muslims are not correct just like they can't prove the jews aren't correct no one can disprove anybody else's religion so i don't even care no, I, about I, I would, that i would say no you that, that is a false claim because ultimately would you say that truth has to correspond what is a false claim a false claim as in, that is untruthful that does not correspond with reality no i'm asking you you're saying that is a false claim what is a false claim oh sorry the 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 fact that we can't prove whether like my view or someone else's view or a muslim or christianity is wrong how can you prove that you are correct about your version, your interpretation of theocracy versus the Muslim interpretation of theocracy? Well, okay, so we can even take it up higher than theocracy is like, how can, do we just prove anything? So I think you actually nailed it. It's like, how do we prove anything? Like, uh, oh, sorry, I'm just because i didn't say that i didn't i said you can't prove that jesus and god and your religion is correct and theirs is not correct i know so i would love for you to explain to me how you could prove that i don't see how that could possibly be the case oh okay okay that's really good um how can i prove so i i actually think i agree with your position that ultimately we can't we can't prove in the sense of like, um, and I have just, yes. So like, whenever we make, like, look at like evidence or historic, like, like whenever we look at evidence in order to prove, which that inherently, um, requires interpretation, right? Like, so anytime we point to evidence that that, that is going to require what you assume about that evidence and what that evidence is revealing in inherently um, includes interpretation. Okay. Do you agree with that? Yes, because I did say this is your interpretation of theocracy. So yes. Okay. So now this is maybe the point that I'm trying to drive home is which interpretation is correct on the basis of our assumed of our of our assumptions about reality 
and where reality comes from. I don't, and I don't even understand your question. I don't, I'm not sure what you're even asking where, me. Where would you, where would you define that? See, I, where, where my position ultimately finds is that we can't actually have an intelligible conversation. We can't know truth unless there's something outside of our reality that establishes things. So the established reality or 3D, the laws of physics, the uniformity that we need both of these things in order to even have this conversation. And that can only be grounded in a transcendental being. And then what that transcendental being expresses themselves in reality is the truthful thing. So is your position that unless we are both identifying and accepting of the same theocracy, we will not be able to arrive at a, a truth together? No, I'm saying that like objective morality, that there is an objective morality. And I, I'm honestly probably running out of steam here. It's just like even my brain and my arguments, I'm a, I'm a little running off, um, convey something to us, irregardless of our interpretation that there are things in reality, like the laws of physics, these things that we are just subject to, that we can look at two plus two and say, oh, that's five, but it's not actually five. What morality, so there. what morality do those things convey that you have to identify or that you have to uh, align with a, a higher power? And if you're talking about moralities and you're saying they're objective, but you have to be subjective to interpret what those realities are. And, so and, I'm saying all humanity is subjected to to reality that we're not that there are things imposed upon us that we just simply can't change and that interpretation and in our perspective um, does not change. And then that that instinct that does convey something to us to us and that that is actually the most truth that is the truth. But we all, I don't, and I don't understand that because we all perceive things differently. So how can, how can our perception, we all be perceiving the same thing, but perceive things differently? Well, okay. So like, <laughs> well, I mean, this would then get into issues of like, is someone like a schizophrenic perceiving reality for what it is? Probably not. I know there, are, there's a chemical misalignment with their brain a lot or, uh, in no. accordance with the natural, I don't know. I don't, I'm trying to be very particular with my language because the way this conversation is going to be with, uh, in comparison with the natural rates of brain chemicals in the standard human brain. Anyways, so My appeal is that there are things even outside of human perception that just are, that are established, like the laws of physics. We can't change the laws of physics. We can't change the things that certainly oppose us. And right. regardless of like, and it doesn't matter, like there could be one person in the world that says, no, the laws of physics exist. Right. And he would be right. And everyone else could be wrong. Even North is still perception. North, 100%. And you're saying that based off of that, there are objective realities that are that are given to us through that. And so are morality. So that's what I'm asking is what are those objective morals that are that are given to us through the unchanged things in the universe? Well, I think those well are and you've actually listed listed many of them, but where we're ultimately going to diverge is where and how reality even comes to be and where it's ultimately grounded in. So like in the case of, yes, I believe humans are born free by just our constitution of that's ultimately found, blah, 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 I'm trying not to screw myself up, um, that God has created us as equals as humans. But only, only some people see it that way, but only some people see it that way.
Because if if you if you operate off of that that viewpoint, you're making an assumption that there is a that there is something before existence at that point. Whereas we're operating the the point existence begins. That's you know your existence as a human begins, and and then you have inherent human rights at that point. Are 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 the rights that we've been talking about life liberty and pursuit of happiness that starts i think you're you're taking you're insisting that there is a a step before we're starting at a point zero and then you're saying that there is something inherently objective before that that allows that to begin is that would that be similar would that be something yeah, that I you think, could I think relate unless do we want to jump in like the cosmological argument because I think that's where that kind of naturally goes. No, because we haven't even figured this out. And that's, I've, I've asked you, right, how th how you can prove that your being that is the source of all these things is the correct one and other people are wrong. Because you've made that position and you've not defended that. I don't understand how you could possibly prove that someone else's religion is incorrect if you can't prove definitively that yours is. So, okay. And even outside of I perception think. of facts, outside of anything. It's it, it regardless it, you can't no one right not just you no one can prove even through a perception of what the most of humanity would perceive to be the truth no one can prove that their religion is correct or that someone else is inherently wrong no i think you can how how it corresponds with reality it's the correspondence theory of truth like and that's not my ultimate like trump with this but reality and truth correspond with one another because there is a, something that establishes those things. So this is where I think my argumentation is poor is I'm not making that direct link. And I think that's just, I'm just like, just lacking right there right now. Um, and so I would just need to go back and do my homework to be able to verbalize this more clearly to you guys. Um, so that is on me. I'm going to own that. Um, but let me, can I write down your question? Yeah, I, I, I want to know how you can prove, and I, I don't, you, can, you can write that down however you want. I would like to know how you can prove that your religion is correct and someone else's is not. Because I don't, I don't see a, a single possible way that someone could disprove someone else's religion while proving that theirs is correct. I don't see a possible way for that to be the case. So how does someone prove, and I'm, I'm, I'll try to use like terms, not just me, but like just anyone, right? This applies. Not I, no, no, no. I'm asking you because you said you can prove your religion is correct and someone else's is not. So I'm asking you oh, okay. because I, I don't see how that could possibly be the case. Oh, how do I prove? And you, you can approach it both ways if you want, but I'm asking you the question because you are the one here positing that position that you can prove, disprove someone else's religion. So you can answer it either way, but I'm asking you because you're the one here making that position. How do I prove that my position is, you say right or true? What was your word? I don't know that for this context, it really matters. Correct, okay. I think is what I said, but. Oh, correct. Okay. I don't know that that. I the the essence of the question is really how do you prove that your God is the true God and not whoever else identifies their God's the true God. I don't I don't know how I don't see how anyone could prove that, and that's why for me the basis starts like Cohen said when we're born. I can prove based off of and you can throw your perception, reality, everything that you want. So uh, that's fine. We all are here as human beings. That I. And we accept that to be a fact. We are all here as human beings. And if you don't, then that's fine. 
that's what I can operate off of when people are born. I can't prove anything before that. So I can't talk about or even postulate where people's rights are instilled upon them before they're born. I don't, I don't have any way to prove that and no one else does. So that's why my basis is when you're born, because that's what matters is when you're born, you're here. And that's not, that's not, don't, don't extract it into a, an abortion argument because we've, it's not that this is a, I, no, I, I, I want to extract in that, but I, I think what's interesting is there's that that knowledge piece that you have to make certain assumptions that oh, I am born, I am actually born. How do you know that you're actually born? We that's that's uh, I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't. We're alive. Yeah, we're well, here. We're, I, we're. I don't understand your question because we're here and we are alive. We accept as Colin said. I, I am. I am here. I think. Therefore, I am. So I don't know when when we. I, I'm just using the, the, the most basic thing possible. Again, I'm not postulating back to like abortion of like, you're not alive when you're in the womb or any of that type of shit, right? No. I'm just saying the no. basis of being alive, operating as a, as a person on the planet, right? Yeah, I guess I'm interested in like, how are you verifying that what you're experiencing is reality? Is, is true or reality? And I don't have any way to do that, nor does anyone have a way to prove to me that it is not. Okay, so like even within your question, then like how do I prove these? It's not so much how do I appro- prove that my position is correct, but how is so much? How does anyone account for their position? And my, it's like so like you're looking for this proof, proof, proof in, to, in order to give because a proof you're saying that I'm only proof. looking for that because you're saying it. You're postulating that there is a truth in which one person's religion is correct and the other one is not. I'm not seeking that. You're the one that's postulating that. You have presented that as the position that you can do that. No. Okay. So I'm trying to present that there, that there is preconditions for our reality and for us to even have a talk about this or even for us to discuss proofs that it is ultimately has to be grounded in a transcendental God. Uh, so Right. And my question sprang from that by asking you, how do you know that your transcendental God and the way that they are defining or presenting your objective rights to you is correct if someone else's is different? If someone else in a different country who holds a different religion has found the exact same ending point that you have, but their third faction of a greater point, a transcendental point, is Muhammad instead of Jesus or God, whatever. I'm not trying to denigrate anybody. I'm just, I'm not Muslim. I'm, I'm just trying to give examples here, right? Yep. How do you possibly prove that you are correct and that he is not if your morals don't align, but you're saying the exact same thing? The argument base is the same, but the practical implementation is different because of what your transcendental being is telling you objectively through your perception of reality. Well, it ultimately would come down can't what, how are they supporting those claims, right? So you could, you could say, oh, everything's ultimately grounded in evidence. So that okay. would be the corresponding, that you actually need evidence to correspond to, like to build up your claim and to authenticate that claim. My argument is not evidential, though, by nature. I'm saying that the very things that we that the things that you're saying that we're all accepting, no, like what we're really because you and I could look at the same piece of evidence and come to completely different conclusions based upon our presuppositions. So what I'm trying to argue is that our presuppositions that is ultimately and and if that is found. In, in or not found in God, that that's ultimately the thing that would make um, 
be, be able to account for your position because if it's not found in a transcendental god, and I'm not doing the best job right now, I realize that. No, I, I, I think I understand the essence of what you're saying, but it also, to me, the natural ending, not the end, my natural ending point of that is what you're saying is still is still a perception like you're still saying that, that comes from somebody else before that and i don't think you have any way to prove that any more than i have any way to prove the question you're asking how do i prove that i'm alive the same way you're telling me jesus exists i don't have any fucking way to prove that just like you don't have any way to prove that to me an easier thing to verify is that you and i are both alive we're both human beings because we're here having this conversation right now we both agree on that because we're both do we both agree we're here having a conversation right Yes. Okay. But so but that is an objective claim, right? Because you're saying this is how something really is. Correct. And that's exactly what I'm saying is that that's where I'm basing my rights. And you're saying they have to come from before that. But you can't prove it any more than I can prove that I'm alive. But it's easier to prove no. that I'm alive than that Jesus is there and he and God gave me my rights. Because we're here so, and we're alive. Yes, but that's not on the basis of you and I agreeing on something. So, like, that, that's where I'm, I'm trying to I'm only asking to that, agree that we're uh, here and that we're alive. That's the only thing that I'm asking for us to agree, because we can't agree yeah. that Jesus exists. We can both agree that we're here and that we're alive. Yes, but wh why? So, oh, man. Yeah, I'm gonna, I need to go do my homework so I can, like, answer this more thoroughly, because I just keep coming up to an absolute brain fart of a wall. Um, and this is, this is the crux, and that's why I'm, I'm really, like, ugh, stretching my brain. Because you're right in that there really is no way to perfectly verify, right, to prove. And I'm not necessarily disagreeing um, with that position. But then it ultimately, we have to account all of this. Why, like, why is there objective reality? Why... Why is this? Why is this what it is? And I don't think that we have to. I think that's the policy difference. Is that I don't think we have to because I don't do that. I don't. I I don't concern myself with those things because I can't verify them. We can. And I'm not saying it's not valuable. I'm not saying it's not valid. They're super valuable. It's extremely valuable conversations. But in regards to the practical applications every day of my rights, I don't consider those things because I can't. And I, I, at this point, I'm talking off the cuff because I've not thought at long length why i don't consider these things but as i think about it now it's because i can't prove those things and i i, I can this is the reality that i exist in and i that's fun to postulate about and like i said i think it's valid and it's valuable i don't exist in that world i don't i don't i don't think like that and so to me and maybe this is wrong basing it in, in human rights that's that's the base that i can verify that's good enough for me that's good enough for but me you, just, you can't verify right? You can't verify that. You can't prove anything. You can't even prove that we have human rights on, on, on your assumptions. No. So you, you just, but you're, you, so you have to assume them or it's a claim. Um, sure. I, I guess I, 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 I claim again, that I'm not trying to, I'm not no, trying to no, that's fine. And no, just like and, really unpack it. And, and that's fine. I don't be, because to me, I also don't live this lifestyle seeding that other people are wrong by finding it somewhere before this, you know, that just doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. Like that just does that aspect of it just doesn't matter to me. So it's fine. It's good. And I don't know. I 
you, you got to give me a little bit of grace. Like I said, I'm, I'm talking off the cuff at this point. It's good enough for me to agree that all human beings are equal and have a few base rights that will allow us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That, that to me is good enough. And that doesn't mean that people shouldn't pursue greater answers than that or try and find what the true root of those things are. But that's good enough to me. And starting at so the, the oh, starting sorry. line oh, starts at existence and then recognizing that we exist and we are human. So therefore, we should have human rights. Asking why those human rights exist is the more uh, theological question which at play I, here. Yeah, which I, I think is valid. Yeah, and, it's just not me. Yeah. I just. It, you don't have to you don't have to know why to act out yeah I, you can make the assumption that people having human rights is inherently moral you can act that out without understanding why and i don't i don't yeah, feel like so, i need yeah. a, a higher power to grant me rights to feel as though they are justified when i wouldn't be able to prove that anyway I can't prove any more that I have these natural rights than someone else can prove that uh, a God somewhere has instilled those rights in me objectively. And so it, it, I guess at the root, it feels like a safer assumption to, to say we're all, it, it's easier to verify we're all human beings. So it's a good place to start for us to all have those basic rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, you're not verifying anything, and that's that's the point that I'm trying to make. Uh, and that's, I understand. That's why I said you, give me grace because I'm talking off the cuff here. So none of these are no, very yeah. hammered-down terms, you know. No, I can't 100% verify anything. No. So, but so, but that's but that is your that is your assumption. You're assuming because we we are humans, we have rights. And my my point is, I think it extends further than that because and people who don't and that's that fine. don't. That, but that don't hold because so, you're you're claiming that those rights are objective if I'm, if I'm like those that's regardless of if two different people think so like uh, those natural here, rights yeah those natural rights um, yes because i would give them to everybody that's and that's not verify. me giving them i'm saying but that's like those are things that i've again this is off the cuff i don't like those are things i'm fine everyone can have that there's there, that's that that those things don't immediately infringe on someone else's right unless you start to qualify them with other things, you know? Yeah. And, and but if you, yeah. I would say for me, understanding the origin of those rights came from a Judeo-Christian background. I can accept that without having to fully go down that road to understanding why. I can inherently agree that they are a, a net good and I can just operate off of that. I can continue to ask why my entire life and I might build a completer picture of that for myself, but at the at the same time, you know, I understand that I recognize that there are certain religions on the planet that don't believe that, and I can inherently look at those and say, well, that's objectively worse than the basis I start from, even in a non-religious aspect. I can understand that because I think the point you're really trying to drive at it those 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 inherent rights came from a place. And it, it, you know, because the, the people that created that concept of those human rights were some sect of Christianity going back. And that's where those rights came from, was, is in, within their religious beliefs. But to, to start from that point that they had already decided was the best point, I don't think is inherently wrong to do that. 
regardless of whether or not I fully understand where they came from. I can operate off of, I can live my entire life off of those, those inherent assumptions because somebody made them before us in that religious context. And I can, I can look at those inherent rights as an objective good. I can, I, can, I can operate off the assumption that they came before me, and that's fine. I don't care where they came from, because at this point, that is the best thing I have found to go off of at this point. And it doesn't invalidate those rights to not, to not seek the... Uh, the why. The, yeah, the deep root of them. You know, it doesn't invalidate them. I, I would see that it maybe makes it uh intellectually inconsistent because there isn't a final 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 place and i i would while i don't love being inconsistent i would accept that because it doesn't at this particular time i don't have a way to again you seed language i don't have a way to validate any further than my existence the existence of those root potential roots of that being that mm -hmm. doesn't for me invalidate them it doesn't make them not worth studying it doesn't make them potentially not the the true source of those natural rights but as far as i can prove right right now they come from us being human beings because none of us can agree totally on what uh ethereal source they come from yeah, I, I guess, but then relating this back to reality, because if you if we're gonna say that like um, anything, any time we make a, a moral claim or a truth claim or or, or some type of claim, it, and to an extent, I, like I agree with you, like it doesn't come down to a, just an evidential base. It actually you have to account for it outside of that because the perception thing is is a huge account. Key. Account for what? Any like I keep saying any of this. Oh man, see this is this is where I keep brain farting and it's killing me. To um, account for the natural right? Yes, how are you accounting for the natural right? Because what I'm hearing and what it sounds like the you can't verify it and you just have to assume it, but you can't account for it. And so because where I would say that gets really dicey, it does get dicey is because you can't account for it, no one else needs to assume those rights. Right, like no, you're saying this is objective thing that like exists no matter human perspective, but you can't account for account for them. You're just saying it is what it is, and that thus when it, and again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. This is how I'm how I'm perceiving. <laughs> your, no, your and, I, and I would say um, that you're not necessarily incorrect, but my response would be neither can you because you can't prove that that's the root of those rights. That your that's your perception and interpretation of what the truth of that is. So I don't find your version even to, to be any more truthful than mine because no one else can verify anything previous to that point verify the way that we can verify i'm, I'm i don't want to do this yeah. this hashing yeah. language thing you understand what i'm saying so yes that's but, uh, this is where i think this is where i would disagree is i think no we we can because of of the tools that we have so that's right? where like i asked you before how can you prove it because reality is a way that it is and our senses are our faculties are a way that they are and that but those can't exist the reality so if i draw like a little but here's here's reality here's everything we're all in it that can't exist and this gets a little bit into the cosmological argument unless something outside of it has made it 
And what I'm asking you is how do you prove what that thing is? Because you saying that it's God doesn't account for the other people who say that it's not. That's what I'm saying to you. Because the Christian God meets the preconditions necessary, the transcendental element that can even create the uh, create reality. So that that is the argument. It's not so much an argument of, well, here's my proof and here's the evidence for it. Now we can get into, I think, some strong cases there. But I'm saying that, like, if you're just a nature of what it is that gets into circular um, circular argumentation where that's not the transcendental argument for God isn't that it's saying, no, there's something outside transcendental outside of matter, space and time that actually has the authority to create all these things. And what I'm asking you is how, that's right. How do you prove that that is your Christian God and not someone else's God? How do you, how do you validate that? Okay. So you're like saying have... that it meets, it meets the preconditions. What about a Jewish person who says their God meets the preconditions or a Muslim person who says the exact same thing? That's what I'm asking you. Yeah. What you're presenting because to me that... is still a subjective interpretation of what that God is giving you. Because the claims that God make, makes himself, and then how he shows that throughout history. And so th- that's where the evidence piece does get important, is, but we, we can't even talk about evidence if we don't understand what the nature of reality is, and those base assumptions we have to make, and the assumptions that like, okay, our senses are giving us some level of reliability to perceive truth. So that's why these two components, I think, are really important. And you're, and so why are you talking like about? Are you talking about evidence like laid out in the Bible? Yeah, everything from the Bible to just natural like revelation to all these. Okay, things. so okay, natural revelation again is people's perception of what they're going through. And when you're talking about the Bible, there, again, there's no way to verify. And I'm not inval. I'm not. You can't verify that everything in there is true. So you can't use that as evidence for for proof of a of a higher being when you can't, we can't validate the actual legitimacy of those accounts. So, and and to an extent, I think you're right. But again, if you're pre, if you're assuming, okay, that there is this, that there ultimately comes down to your base assumptions. Like, and then how does that correct? Correct. That's exactly what I'm saying. Corresponds in reality why i can't align with like your point of view of like oh we just have these rights but they're unaccounted for is because well there's plenty of people that one don't believe that and think that and they don't actually act in the way that i think would be would logically um would, would extend from that view right because people are infringing upon these rights all the time not everyone believes what i believe not everyone believes what i believe why is that where i don't where i don't where i'm not connecting the dots with your view is then I don't understand how that's inherently wrong or or immoral. What? Uh, like the infringements of these rights, but if other people just don't perceive those rights, then in their view, they can be, they're not being immoral. They're just extending their desires and, and extending their rights. Now we keep talking about rights, but I think when we even were talking about rights, there, there has to, there's this uh, objective nature to it and this grounding that you're saying, oh, we all have, but again, that's just a claim. And again, and so, you are confusing natural rights with, with egoistic rights. You start talking about people creating their own rights and then how are we not infringing on other people? You are. You are, you are conflating the two things. And I don't, so maybe I'm not conflating because I don't think you're doing it intentionally, but you're bridging these two gaps uh, in, the, in the middle of the conversation that I'm not doing. But like, like you've pointed out, you're just, you're just saying, hey, we have these natural rights. Right. 
the same way that you're just saying Jesus is here and he is the the outside being that is that it fits the conditions for all these things. That's the same thing. Our claims are the same thing. You just feel that yours is based in in evidence in the Bible. And I would not say that that's the case. So I don't see what the inherent difference is in your justification and mine. The base assumption would, you know, that the base assumption of assuming there has to be something outside of reality for reality to exist seems just as, if not more so, it's, 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 it's just as hard to follow, if not more so, than just assuming that we are here so we'd have natural rights. Like making the assumption that there has to be something outside of reality is a it's a it's a bigger leap for me to to get over than it is just the fact that we do exist. Well, so this this is where it gets in that continuity thing. Like because if you don't ag- agree with that position position, then I would say you are objectively up and in running into the law of cause and effect. What do you mean? Right. So, like, if you're saying, "Oh, we just exist," so let's let's make our way back to us existing. What was necessary for you to exist? I science stuff. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> what are you getting at? Yeah. Like, my point is that okay, there's this origin, this ultimate origin, the singularity. Okay. Like, there's the scientific community, like. Oh yeah. Call People it. like to call it the, the Big Bang or whatever. Yeah. So that's where I think this ultimately jumps back into like the cosmological argument to to an extent is like that's a massive logical error on our part if we don't assume that something has to precede our reality. I don't I, and I, I don't assume that. Like I said, I don't that the oh man, it, I I am not saying that it doesn't. But for me, the Big Bang does not directly relate to my ability, my rights here in 2022. And I, I would never say, and I've, I have always held from the time that I was a child, I don't think that the Big Bang and Jesus are mutually exclusive. I don't think there's any reason to think that there couldn't be it's, uh, God, right? I don't think there's any reason to believe that God couldn't be there and be the source of the Big Bang. No one fucking knows. The Big Bang, all that shit is also an assumption. I'm not... I don't cede everything to scientists and to, and to uh, natural scientific law the way that they've explained it. I don't, I don't align myself solely with evolution or solely with religion because no one can actually prove both of things, those things are correct. So I don't believe religion any more than I believe whatever this hardcore evolutionary theory is because they also don't but you know believe, But you believe what you believe, right? What do you like mean? That sounds like a confusing question, but like you are grounding, you're, you're believing in something. You have faith in something that you exist that i exist okay so but you've already you at least what i'm hearing you've already admitted that there is no way of me truly knowing that and so i i have i don't these, need to justify no, my existence no, to know need, that no, i exist no. that's that's no, i think I'm the not, assumption I'm not claiming that you need to like justify in that sense but I, i'm just and i've that, also like, never said that god couldn't be the source of that i said that and I, me I, I that claim. and no. i uh, what i'm saying it, it so i'm sorry go ahead Oh, no, no, no. I, want, I just want to make sure that I claim that somewhere to where that there, I was trying to give out that sense. Okay. Uh, no, no, I don't, okay. I don't believe so. It's just, we are, we're operating off, we're just operating off of two different starting points. We're operating the fact that we do exist. And then, you know, we can argue all day how or why or whether or not we should, or if we even do, but I am, I am here right now. And I know that I do exist. So 
I'm going to operate off of that assumption. Because we are sitting here having this conversation. We're, we're all acknowledging, at the very least, we're all acknowledging the coexistence of each other in this conversation. So I can, I can verify this through deductive reasoning within this situation that I exist because we're all acknowledging my existence. Colin is talking to me. You're looking at me. You're talking to me. I can deduce that. That's good enough for me. That doesn't mean that Jesus isn't the root of that or God isn't the root of that. But I don't think that me not immediately accepting or, or promoting that that is the case invalidates the rights that I assume that could be based in that. Okay. So, and that's the tie I'm trying to make is that ultimately <clears throat> the assumptions that we need to have to even to perceive and have these conversations have to be rooted in God. And if and it's I not rooted in something transcendent, well, I'll finish my thought and then we can unpack it is it has to be, um, transcendental and completely outside of our context to be truly objective and instilled in that and i'm not like, sure what you the, i'm not sure what you mean by that okay what has to be well, outside of us to be truly objective god and or yeah god so, okay Yahweh, so that gets god so gets, god has to exist for us to justify our existence yes I think that's, that, that, but that's your perception. That's not, you can't come in and say that's, that's, this is it. This is the answer. Because again, you cannot, you can't account for the other people that may have arrived at the exact same base of points that you do with a different God. Your theory doesn't account for that because you're saying it fits the predetermined measures. Again, so would a Jew and so would a Muslim. You don't have any way to validate that. And we, by our, by our, assumption or assertion that we as human beings have rights are not invalidating anybody else's assumption or or assertion that they come from somewhere else your assertion no, so like, that they have to does in the... fact invalidate our rights as base our human natural rights because they don't come from somewhere else that to me is immoral you're asking me to justify my existence outside of the existence of god which i find immoral i'm a human being we can prove this you can't prove that god exists I'm not asking you to justify the existence of God, just like you can't ask me to justify my existence as a human being outside of that. No, because like, so that that's the thing is you keep saying I can verify that I have rights to these, but that's that's ultimately an assumption. And so like my argument with like a Muslim, just just like I, that the third being would be God, like, and that's what I'm saying to you is that these assumptions are the same thing, but mine doesn't invalidate yours. Yours invalidates mine, which is immoral. No, but that you have to assume that's immoral. Right? I don't, I don't, I guess by the same way that I'm assuming we all have natural rights, but. I, See, I, but you're, you're assuming these natural rights. You're assuming some standard because you're making a moral claim of, oh, that's immoral. <laughs> and you have to assume that wrong. there is a higher power outside of that because you can't prove it. That's what I'm saying to you. Our assumptions are the same. You have a no, formula that yours fits that you think breaks down easier. Leading to us even having like conflict. I'm sorry, what? Like our inherent assumptions is actually what's leading to us even having conflict. Because you're you're pointing Correct, out because... that like in the naturalistic rights. Okay, I just we just have these rights, and I'm claiming we have these rights, but it's you doing the claiming, right? Okay. So it's, it, but that's you look, taking the tools that you have, thought, looking out into the universe and saying, this is what I'm seeing from that universe. And so this is what I think is true. Okay. 
what I'm trying to point out is that that is ultimately you're grounding that in your perception. And, and, and I get the point you're trying to point back to me of like, well, you're just doing the same thing. You're just doing the same thing. Then how am I wrong and you're not? That's what I'm getting at is I, how, how am I incorrect if you are doing the exact same thing from maybe one step before, also can't validate it any more than I can. It's just as big of an assumption as I'm making, but if not a maybe a bigger claim, but I'm wrong and you're not. When the assertion that I'm making doesn't invalidate your right or existence of being, but yours invalidates mine. How, how are you right in that? How? So I, I don't know if invalidate is the word that I would use. I'm just saying you're not taking it to that one extra step of you're not grounding it in anything. You're just nor I, I am. Grounding. I'm grounding it in our existence as human beings. You which can't is, prove we exist. And you can't. Right. We all agree that we exist. We just we just see to that. I'm not going to validate my existence to you. Just so, like I don't ask anybody else to validate the fact that they exist. I don't prove to me that you exist. I don't. That's crazy. That's crazy. Why would I do that to anybody? Well, okay, I can ask an interesting question. So where I think what? what <laughs> ask whatever you want. I don't. I don't. I don't. You're not. The answer is not there. Of I'm not invalidating anybody else. So I don't. Well, why? Why is that important? For other people to be able to have those natural rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit so why, of life. Why is it important that like you invalidate or, or validating anything? In my everyday life, it doesn't. I don't care what your perception of my rights are. In this conversation in which you are asserting this is the way that things are, that matters. Because if this ideology becomes dominant and takes control of other people, you're going to be foregoing other people's rights because they don't align with your ideology, which is wrong. The, okay. Morally oh. wrong because it infringes on other people's base human rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness because you don't agree with the way that they perceive of where they come from. Yes, but like your your view of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness and what my view of that, and especially the context that that was even given in, is completely different and is being accounted for and grounded very differently than how you're applying it. How? Because the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, especially as given through the um, through the founding fathers, all makes its large ties, like John Locke, like you just pointed, great, great guy. Um, they are all operating out of a Christian worldview. And so they have their and, assumptions assume human dignity, but as a basis of God giving those things. And, and that's fine. I am not saying that they are incorrect. I am saying I don't venture into those intellectual steps because I can't prove it to, I can prove it even to a lesser degree than the fact that I exist. I am, I have never said that those things are not correct. I've never said that that isn't true. Right. So I don't understand what your point is when that doesn't invalidate what I'm saying because I'm not ceding it to the right that they ceded it to. They could be fucking wrong. They could be totally well, wrong, but like, arrive hey, at the correct conclusion. What human rights was dictated by what God had done and said and they assumed was right. And that's fine. So I agree with their interpretation of natural rights. They might be wrong about the root of that. That's what I'm saying to you. Okay, but that then you are in like, especially on the case of rights, like that's where that huge and different thing is. So what you and I are going to say is right. So like on and we don't need to jump huge into this, but on like the case of abortion, that's why this is such a massive issue is because on the case of someone who is pro life, they view that as a human life and that they have inherent and so and certainly um, inherent yeah. rights. Certainly. Whereas and they 
And I think there's a safe assumption there as well that life wants to live. Certainly. Right? So, but then when that comes into the hence the life of, an of a woman, right, right who is who is pro-choice, and if we're making the assumption that okay, this is life, life wants to continue to live, and that this is um, a person by the best faculties that we have using the scientific method, we can tell it's a human DNA at conception. We everything is human is there, and so we can we can to some degree of confidence say this thing is human and it's alive. Okay. So my so and maybe we agree on this. I didn't hear on the earlier portion on the show. Is then does that woman have the right to end that other human's life? And we've had this discussion numerous times on this show. We don't disagree yeah. with you, but it's also you're you're also extrapolating something to a modern day application, which is not really what we're doing. You know. Well, but again, like then, so would you? Okay. That's not even modern day, though, because I mean we have we have forms of abortion that go back. I, I understand that, years. but we're dealing with the issue right now. I'm not saying sure. that it's not a relevant issue, yeah. but the yeah. way that it's being decided now that this is a modern issue now because we can't change how it was done in the 1920s. We can change how it's done now. I don't disagree with you. This as as so, I, I don't disagree with you. I don't really want to get far into this because we've had this discussion dozens of times on this show. I don't disagree with you. I am torn on a daily basis when we talk about this between the woman's right to choose what she does with her body and the fact that I know that that's a baby. I've had two children. My wife has brought two children into the world myself. I've seen the process. I, 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 I don't disagree with you. I It is an issue in people's rights that we have discussed here, like I said, dozens of times when whose rights supersede whose i don't know i don't know how to answer that question i don't know and i don't think anybody else does either either so again i don't disagree with you but i don't think i don't i don't know yeah it's not I, really I, I what we're talking about like, i don't i don't see how that view is actually one and not that i'm grounding this just in like a utilitarian sense how that is helpful and how we actually like can view that as right or wrong. Again, this is, a, this is a separate grounded. issue that I don't want to get into because it's aside from the conversation that we're having here. We can talk about abortion another day. I, again, for at least the third time, I don't disagree with you on abortion. Yeah. I don't disagree with you. I don't want to hash this conversation out when we're trying to figure something else out. Yeah, yeah we so, still haven't even nailed down whether or not I can justify my own existence because I don't believe in your God. Say it one more time. Sorry. I was... The conversation we're having right now is whether or not I can validate my own existence right now without uh, believing that your God gave me the ability to recognize my own existence, even though I can recognize my existence now. That That's the conversation we're still having. We haven't gotten anywhere past that. Yeah. Tying it to abortion right now, that's a whole, that's levels above where we haven't even found truth yet. Yes. Okay. So this is this is where I'm I'm thinking I'm just at my limits as it pertains to um, the conversation and I'm I, to be honest I am a little lost <laughs> and I'm trying to get back to that main question um, and where I think I'd need to that's why I wanted to write down your question and so if, that if if I can give a response or on a later show you can get more fleshed out. I think well, I'm just oh, not yeah. well it seems like I mean, answer. the answer you gave at least was was through the Bible. And I don't find that to be a valid justification for why your religion is correct and other people's is not. Because, again, we can't validate the corroborate the things that are in that book. So I don't find that to be 
evidence enough to say that someone else's religion is wrong and that God and Jesus should be the basis of natural right. I don't. Yeah. And, and like, I think I could give like a strong evidential argument to this. Like, yes, it's, and there's nothing that's going to like hundred percent, um, like, Oh, that's fully verifiable. Um, but I think what the Bible ultimately pervades about the nature of God, the nature of man, and what, and then just like ultimately why reality is, why reality is, best corresponds to the truth or best corresponds to what is I'm actually seeing and perceiving out there. Based now, on your perception. Well, so, but that those perceptions and things and those assumptions come from somewhere. But it's also it's somewhere. also your interpretation of the Bible, and there are dozens of other religions that use the exact same Bible that find a different ending point that you do. Totally, but I think that's where it would ultimately come down to, okay, what methods are they using to interpret? Because, and then does that actually correspond with the claims that God makes? So like in the case of, and again, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but when you look at, the claims that God makes, especially about his covenantal nature with people. Okay, well, if you um, begin to make certain claims counter to what you see in the Bible and it's not harmonizing, then you can say, okay, well, that's not consistent with, with what the Bible's showing. So let me, because you're also, you're basing this in the Bible though. And what I'm saying to you is that you can't validate the truth in that. There is no way to validate the validity of those events that happened in that book. And I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to speak about this in the most, like in the level that you're talking about. You, at the base, human beings wrote those books. There is no way to say that what they wrote is the truth. So you can't use that as evidence to prove that you're correct. And we can't prove that that's even true. Well, I, again, because like, are, and are we saying that like, I can't, are you saying I can't provide evidence in support of that? Or just like, are you, we still using the way to verify of like, you're still there's no operating, way to truly hold you're it. operating under the assumption that the events that happen in the Bible are correct and that other people's interpretations of the book is not correct. And we're not, and you can't prove that. I think it's weird. The, the, the focus on what proof and, and, and validate means I like, I, I, this feels like a misnomer to me. I feel like you understand what I'm getting at. But no, I actually, I want to understand, like, what do you, what do you mean, like, by validation of, like, I can't. No one on the earth now can prove that those events happened in the Bible. As written in, in that book. No one can prove that. Again, are we saying validate as in to 100% certainty? Y yes, because you are making a claim that other people's religions are invalid and that our existence is invalid without the acceptance of your religion that you can't validate. Okay, so now, now this is where I'd ultimately come back to be like, we can't validate anything unless we have these then these base assumptions that we make, but we have to Based on your religion, though. And so that's you can't frame the whole world based on how your religion views things. You don't get to you don't get to limit the what do they call it? the the fucking window. You don't get to move the window like that. That's not how it works. We don't well, only have a discussion I'm not, I'm based on your the framework. I'm saying that's it's your, the window, and that's exactly how it is. That's your interpretation of it. That's what I'm saying to you. You're interpreting that. That's your subjective interpretation, and that's what you've said in your explanation. No, I, I'm saying that like what. <laughs> 
No, I'm saying that is how it is and that we actually have to be given the tools to even see how something is or else, yes, it is truly all of it is subjective. But, but if it is truly subjective, then there is no way to, like you said, verify that we even have human rights. And, and that, that comes back to more. the point of you can't. I, we don't know that that's correct. You have to be given something. That's that's an assertion being made by you. Yes. Yes, we, it does have to be given that. So, OK, so this is where I think we just keep running back into and. I'm not equipped at this time to like really like give the the final twist of like oh, okay here it is and i that's on me i apologize because i don't see there's a way to prove that god any god gives you these things that's again you're proving a pre-existence to the life that we live here on earth which i don't see how you can do i don't you're making assertions and then saying that i'm making assertions which invalidates what i'm saying but everything you're saying is based on an assertion and an assumption it doesn't they are not inherently different because yours is one step behind where mine is because you still can't prove it. Yeah. <sighs> and that's like, that's the issue I'm having is that what, what I'm positing doesn't invalidate what you're saying. It, it, it leaves completely open the door for it to exist and for you to be correct. What you're positing is that I am incorrect, which I find to, that my existence is not cannot even be validated without your basing it on your pre-assumption, which is, which is immoral. I don't understand that. Like, that's what I don't get. And we can do the circular moral thing and existence thing all fucking day. No one can prove that. No one can prove that we exist. Like I said, we accept that, but that's, that's a whole nother discussion, man, outside. Like, okay. So like that's, that to me is like the, the, the key pin here that I need to, I need to get. And again, like, first time doing something like this, it is, it is just like, whoo, it's a lot. But if I can get that, the, the key to your, to ultimately get your response, because you're asking like, how do you prove that your view, um, I, I had a, how do you prove that my position is correct and someone else's isn't? So, and that's, that's your base question, right? As far as your religious basis for it. Okay. Okay. Not just your so, position, because we're going back and forth all the time, and I still don't feel like you're correct as far as your base supposition of the three things, the triad that we need to hit for us to have a conversation. Because that, at its core, is is that basis of religion, which I, that's what I'm asking you to validate. You're saying it's based in your interpretation of the Bible, which is what tells you these things because it meets the pre uh, preconditions for it. And what I'm saying is you can't prove that any more than somebody else can because it's based off of your interpretation of the Bible, which is, again, a piece that we can't validate. Well, then I guess the quick response to that was like, well, if you're if you are assuming or making claims um anyways i don't i don't want to get more tongue twisted because i actually I, I at least correct me if I'm wrong i think we're just getting into like coming back into butting heads of things um so i don't know how valuable that's going to be for our continued conversation and for people listening um so at least what i'm seeing like of what i need to bring back and what I would hope is even if I'm not allowed back here, but I can get a response to you guys of like, here's to the question that you're asking. Here's actually like after I've sat down, looked at it. Oh, okay. Make sure I'm understanding your, your question, your position. This is my response back, which sadly I just can't give off the cuff right now. And it's not like a, Oh man. Yeah. I'm just I'm brain farting. And that, and that's just not me. 
And that's all right. I, I know that's hard on show where it's like, oh man, we're here to debate and like establish and hopefully come to some conclusion of truth. Um, but that's just, I, I think I'm at just the limit of my performance, sadly. And that's fine. I mean, we can, we can wrap up the segment now. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I got to pee really bad. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we could do that. Um, so yeah, we'll go ahead and take a break and, uh, we'll be back with, uh, part four. Part four. Yes. Yeah, so you're sticking around for our part four, Jake. Yeah. So I have until seven or six for your guys' time. Will that work? Um, that's up to you. Uh, we'll be here longer than that. So that's up to you if you want to stick around and cut out halfway or if you want to say goodbye now, I'll leave that up to you. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'm looking at part four. It's like our grab bag. Just a grab bag. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's, uh, yeah. I'd love to be on for the last 30 minutes. If that's all good. We can and, do that. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, for all of you fine people watching and listening, we will be back in a few minutes. Thank you very much, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you there very we go. much for joining us all to the streets. This is part four. We did. They tell us they could hear us in the chat, too. Woo-hoo. No matter. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, obviously, there are some audio things that went on there, but uh, it is what it is. We're back for our part four of the grab bag. I am Donovan. I am Colin. And this is Jake over here. We are joined by. I want to thank you again, everybody, for joining us. Make sure you either like, comment, subscribe to the videos that we have here. You can find all of our videos on our YouTube. We also have our Instagram, our Facebook, our Patreon, or everything at Salt of the Streets. Go there, get signed up, help us make more better content. We have the newsletters, the book club, everything that's going on, the the beer shows, um, and of course, Swell Blended if you need a haircut. And you can also find all of our personal social media. I am at Salt of the Street on Twitter and at Alpaca underscore Donovan on Instagram. Colin is a big bird off you on both of those things. You can find all that on saltofthestreets.com. Money. There I even go. hit the right button to go back. There Look you at go. that. So grab bag time. We're going to reach into the grab bag and we're just going to talk about, we haven't had a good old fashioned grab bag in a hot minute. Colin's going to lead us through the grab bag. Right. So the, uh, the first topic. Can you move that a little bit so we can see the oh, chat? Oh, yes, yes, yes. The uh, first topic I want to bring up. We, had, we got all sorts of shit. We got all manner of shit, yeah. So we had uh, kind of mentioned it lightly in the beginning of the show. Um, but Nancy Pelosi's husband yes. just bought $5 million worth of stock. In the technology company, the processor and semiconductor company, NVIDIA, which I'm a huge fan of because they make wonderful uh, GPU processors and video cards. And yeah, any gamers will be very familiar with NVIDIA. They have a very, very superior product. This is an American company, Um, yeah? It is indeed. You're talking about GeForce RTX 370i right now. Boom! That's that's the money stuff right there. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and get this opened. There's a, actually, I think I might have it opened over there. That's right. So the big point about this is we've talked about Nancy Pelosi's husband kind of being notorious for making pretty solid stock purchases right before companies do really, really good. And so much so that there has been an online following that has essentially just tracked his purchases and basically followed his 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 stock trading and you know he doesn't win all of them we'll put it that way but uh you could do they pretty well that you win a lot and the the special thing about this one it was so blatantly obvious um that right before the house was to approve a bill to send a sh- ton of money over to let's see if i have it pulled up we'll just hit go shit ton of money to a bunch of American technology companies to help boost something we've talked about before. It's kind of helped boost domestic 
uh, semiconductor. Yeah, a couple you know. billion they pumped into it, right? Yes. 52 billion, yeah. Yeah, so this is just a, it's a New York Post article I pulled up here. And so Nancy Pelosi's husband purchased up to $5 million in stocks options on a computer chip company ahead of a vote on, on legislation next week that would deliver billions of dollars in subsidies to boost the chip manufacturing industry in uh, new financial dis- or in the new financial disclosures that they just recently put out. So Pelosi, Paul Pelosi, who is uh, currently, I believe, being uh, investigated being indicted or investigated for a DUI charge in California, which was a fun thing I think we brought up at some point. Yeah. So he made the purchase um, June 17th. Um, shares of NVIDIA, the top semiconductor company, worth between $1 million and $5 million, the Daily Caller reported, citing disclosure reports filed by the House Speaker. So Nancy Pelosi actually filed that with the House, which I think is laughable because... Just because you file it, is that okay? Right. Is that is that what we're talking about here? It's totally on the up and up. Yeah. Senators are expecting to convene as early as Tuesday to vote on the bipartisan competition bill that to set aside $52 billion to boost domestic semiconductor manufacturing and give tax credits for production, Reuters reported. Reuters. Reuters? Reuters. Reuters. Thank you. Reuters. I'm pulling a, Re- I'm pulling a Ross right now. R-E-U-T-E. Yeah. yeah. Reuters. I, don't, I wasn't sure until I heard someone <laughs> else say it the way it was supposed to be pronounced. I had the app and everything for months. And I was like, I don't even yeah. know who the fuck this is. <laughs> so that's the story. And I wanted to just kind of open it up to the room. Let's talk about the this idea of family members of elected officials who have direct control over where our tax dollars go. New Relic knows. NewRelic.com slash New Relic knows. Is it the code? Mute the site. Bastards. Oh, it was muted. We're just going to close that out now. That's the thing. with the, the, You get all them tabs open, Christ. dude, every now and again, something blows up like that. Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, let's talk about that. The validity of, of these family members doing trades like this. We get all offended when, rightly so, when Joe Biden's son goes and, you know, start, you know, gets a hold of a massive share of, you know, Chinese financial holding companies that later on buy American oil from his dad. And we get upset about that. Why are people... Why is let why are other fellow legislators not so upset about spouses and families of other acting legislators who control the purse strings of our own tax dollars getting rich off of knowledge of where they're sending our own tax dollars? Jake, how do you feel about this situation? I think it's perfectly acceptable in no world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, no, I, I think there's there's an inherent infringement of like we are giving these people access and power of the masses and they're inherently abusing it in order to just benefit themselves. Like that's frustrating to say the least. Like I, I like how this doesn't become and I think I got, that's white collar crime. Yeah, right. Yeah, 100%. Okay, cool. Like how this isn't white collar crime. I don't I don't know. Like you're going to throw Martha Stewart in a fucking ankle brace and keep her on lockdown for right. insider trading, yet your husband is doing it 
knowing full well what you're about to do tomorrow. There doesn't seem to be any way to safely assume that the people making these purchases don't have any knowledge at all that would impact their trading, mm -hmm. or else he wouldn't be buying these things that are so closely aligned with governmental action and so quickly make him so much money. Yes. There's, like you said, when you compare the, the Pelosi trades to, like, the S&P 500, they're beating the best people in the country. That's right. The people whose job it is to be an investor. Yeah. So if it's your entire job, you'd think, especially in, you know, the capitalistic pig fucking nation that we supposedly live in, those people would be the best and most ruthless traders that there are. Yeah. But somehow, Nancy Pelosi's husband, who, what the fuck does he do? What is, what is his, does would, he do anything? I would imagine at this point, he's just stuck trading. Okay, shit, so he could make whatever. some money. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, so I don't know what his trade is, right? But he's got to be a hedge fund guy. Whatever it is. Yeah. I wouldn't assume that it's. That it's being a, a, a stock trader, yeah. you know? Um, no, because that would raise, I think, one too many flags at that right. point. But yeah, so I, I guess I'm really interested to how, I mean, we see this in the private sector. Like I, I, I work for a company, massive company. Not going to say it here because <laughs> who knows what they'll, what they'll do. I might get canceled if we talk about that later. We don't need to um, do that. No, <laughs> don't yeah. worry about that. <laughs> massive company. You made me put on a piece of paper, the top 10 engineering companies in the world. Mm. I'm pointing at it for you. Um, on there <laughs> and then the company i'm subcontracted to is on the top two semiconductor producers oh, in the world dog. And so i have to sign i'm i'm liable you know i have to sign when i work that i'm not going to base yeah commit insider trading that, right. that like there's actually programs for me to benefit from you know the work that i'm doing but it is at least a comparable rate to where you know i have certain options of uh my retirement or where i devote money so that right. i can purchase mm -hmm. certain stocks but it is limited and under and there's so much scrutiny involved with it um from a lawful standpoint that it's it's it actually makes sense so i can legally benefit while also not um to an extent i think uh being myself um a competitive edge that someone else doesn't have yeah right and i think that's it seems i obviously don't know the original origins of this practice but it seems like it was a way not only to allow people to profit off of the work that their company is seeing because obviously the work that you're doing as an engineer is benefiting your business it's allowing them to continue to make that profit but also probably on a smaller scale to disincentivize you from insider trading off that knowledge of like, listen, don't try and do it illegally. We'll give you a cut of it no matter what. And so you're still seeing the profits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like it's probably a multi-tiered approach to why that's being done that way, which seems pretty intelligent. Yes. Now let's bring in a twist though, because we <laughs> yes. are indeed a Liberty based show. Yes. You got to ask yourself the question now, just because say you run for Congress and you win because you're awesome. Does that mean Jordan can't participate in the stock market because you help control the strings of the purse string? You know, where, where does that, where does that Liberty get cut off just due to the, the nature of somebody's choice in public service? That's where it gets murky for me. Yeah. Like I, I instinctually, I have the same reaction everybody else does, man, that's fucking dirty, man. And obviously there's abuse of it. Right. We could see it run rampant throughout Congress, but at, at what point do we decide that these people, how many generations do you go down, lose their right to participate in the stock market while this person holds office? Right. I mean, is that something that maybe you can all contractually agree to when somebody takes an oath of office that the rest of the family has to, in some fashion, give up a portion of their, you know, their free trading rights to, right. to do that? 
Because you could theoretically, if you wanted to bad enough, you could go to like your third cousin, you know, as far removed as you could. Yeah. To at try a family and make barbecue. It, yeah, yeah. So even to defeat whatever the, you know, the laws that have been proposed of like no direct family members or even cousins. Like if mm-hmm. you really wanted to, you could just find someone who's just barely, barely related to you or no one at all. Yeah. But, um, no, I think, one, I think that's the, off the top, I think that's the problem with. Uh, being in a position of power there's an inherent power over somebody else that is we don't have any way to prove that that isn't influenced by the governmental workings or that that isn't influencing other people's ability to free trade because your purchasing of that commodity based off that knowledge could influence other people's free trade you know who don't have that knowledge yeah um and i think that would be like a a base concern especially when you're buying one five however many millions of dollars he's buying you know that that shifts the value of a certain stock when you purchase yeah. it because of the amount that you're purchasing, which could, could, and this is part of the problem, incentivize or disincentivize someone to buy that stock, yeah. you know? Or even if somebody has a career in, say, stock trading right. as it is already, you know what I mean? Um, you know, because initially I, I started to think about this and I say, okay, well, what if when you, you know, when you become a public official like that, a representative of the people, like you are essentially sworn to secrecy on what it is that you're, you're doing within, the, you know, the halls of Congress. You sign like a super NDA or yeah, something. Yeah, type of thing like that. But that's unrealistic. I mean, let's be real about that. I mean, there might be some kind of path that could be pursued, maybe, but you know, I don't know. Yeah, I think I, it, it drives that 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 hard thing of the burden proof. Then needs, but then shifts to whoever's going to prosecute yes. and yeah. can't necessarily prove. Like it's hard to again, prove. Again, like we, we look at was it was it correlation doesn't mean causation, right? Yeah, right. So, but it gets really dicey when <laughs> correlation is that your husband. My wife knows. Everything about these two companies that I work for, right? And I talk to her. I'm like, if we do this, this equals more money. Or if we do this, this is going to tank certain things. And it's like, okay, well, if anybody overheard me, they would immediately have a competitive advantage. Yeah. And then it, but it, then it's like, okay, like is having a competitive advantage inherently wrong? And then like, well, the nature of that competitive advantage, right, I yeah, think, is right. what we're probably talking about. But, yeah. The yeah. nature of how you get that competitive advantage matters. Right. How you come to that seriously matters. Because, like, yeah, and that's interesting. At what level does it not become wrong, right? Like, like Jason, if his wife doesn't invest, but if she maybe tells one of her friends, like, hey, you know, this is going to happen, so do this. Like, that's also still fucked up because, she, you know, she didn't rightfully come by that knowledge, but also she didn't technically not because maybe she doesn't know how jake's wife got this knowledge if she doesn't know that she got it through nefarious means is she really in the wrong for making a purchase as far as she's concerned it's just a fucking stock tip from jake's wife you know which is a like that's a mad interesting question um the yeah the see it seemed like a really fun little shit on people right it's right well, there's deeper issues. Pelosi, so it's easy to be. It is. Yeah, really <laughs> exactly. Warriors in here to dice that up. I mean, maybe right. we don't. We maybe be here longer than the podcasts we go. But uh, like, it'd be interesting of how that's navigated in court. And then, yeah, these different like what these laws and what they're including and the hierarchy of these laws. Because I would assume, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert in this. Uh, None of us are. But the, the nature <laughs> of their power, right? The the, yeah. the nature of their power, I think is. Because if we weren't talking about any of these other things, like even somebody in my position, but I, me, I have that competitive advantage because of my position. Yeah. Right. Right. 
Now, it's much lesser to the governor or someone else who can make policies to really change those things, but I'm also inherent in these things. I have much more, you know, the, the insides of outs of these than in you guys in your position. So even in the smaller degree of power difference and position difference between you and me, I would, yeah, it's illegal for me to tell you guys what the next move of X company is. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that totally makes sense. But it, yeah, it, it just, it levels that level of, uh, or it enters the level of murkiness when you start looking at individuals' liberties in the country. And it makes me second right. guess my initial opinions. And, you know, it's so easy, especially these days, to just start shitting on these people. But when you take a step back and you try to assess the the liberty side of it yeah you know it's at some point you're gonna have to cut somebody's liberty off and it seems like from a civilian perspective you almost be like well isn't it just easier to just not do it because it's safer to you know just cut yourself off so no one can assume it but from that same angle of like how much shit am i going to do because i don't want anyone to assume that i'm doing something nefarious yeah. you know how much shit am i going to yeah. do based off of other people's potential perception of what my actions are yeah. you know am i going to deprive myself of fucking millions of dollars no that's fucking stupid no. right so that, that's very interesting that's very interesting. Well, I mean, it could come back. I mean, we had this, uh, the whole previous conversation, but if, like, if, if one of our constitutional incentives as rights is the pursuit of happiness, yeah, you could make a serious argument going all the way from a constitutional perspective of like, no, like this is going against my pursuit of happiness. Like, why wouldn't I want yeah. to make more money to benefit my family, benefit me? Like, yeah. da, 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 da. And I'm sure you, um, could, you could make an argument that's like, well, you know, if you paid close, atten close enough attention to every bit of possible information that is available to the public and you really dove into these these bills and you saw that this bill was about to happen and you look at the makeup of congress you and you see that it, you could make the same right. trades but come at it is through it a completely legal means right but is that realistic you no know? it's definitely not but it's i mean it's possible and i but, think the only real and i know real is questionable now um of like justification as to why they shouldn't be allowed to profit is like well if you look at the history of that position you know the intent was for you not to profit off of your position yeah. at all the very first uh congressman and people like that they were paid for the position so let's take the white house right the executive branch john adams is taking out loans when he's the vice president to, to george washington because he doesn't fucking make any money at all he's yeah. making a just a pittance of a salary not no money obviously a pittance of a salary compared to the lifestyle that he exists in so he's having to take loans out just to pay his bills and keep his properties and shit Woo. that compared to what we're seeing and discussing now is completely separate for that's from, a world apart from the root of it you know yeah. yeah so i don't know what the pay was of the original you know congressmen and senators but it's I guarantee it's nothing compared to what they're making now. And so he, that's a, I would love to see the legal debate on what that pay should be, because I could, that same argument could be used to be like, no, y'all motherfuckers should be making the bare minimum of what everybody in the country makes. You know, you should make federal minimum wage. And that is all only based off of the hours that you are in the Capitol. Right. I can see that being a legal argument to be made, like I said, based off of, John Adams made I know a thousand dollars a year or whatever it was. I don't remember the exact figure, but yeah. um, 
Yeah, that would be interesting. Like, hey, you guys aren't salary anymore. You're hourly. <laughs> you only get paid when you're doing your job yeah. at the Capitol. Man, there would be no piss ass rate. Too. Yeah, there would be no fucking uh, uh, proxy votes. I mean, the MTG would get what she wants. Every motherfucker would be in the house every day. No overtime as, either. No, nah, no overtime. <laughs> no overtime. Only base pay. No time and a half, bitch. You ain't making ten and a half dollars. Get out of here. We're not doing it. I, I think that is interesting, though, because I honestly, I, I think, just general opinion, I don't know a lot of people that, it, I feel like we actually have to incentivize politicians now. Not in the, in, in the sense of, like, I don't know a kid that I'm encouraging to become a politician anymore. No. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? So I, I it, maybe I'm playing devil's advocate, but I'd also be interested, too, of, like, okay, what if we paid them, let's say base pay was... Uh, same as like NFL or something, which is like 375 UDFA or veteran rate, say it's a million bucks. Right. How much, I wonder what the opposite argument, like, well, okay, what if we paid them to a position that they really have no excuse for this other junk they're doing on the side? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I don't know. You, you, you would, you could make the argument now that they already make that certain amount. You know, it's over $100,000, the base pay for representative. Yeah. And you can, comparatively to the cost of living in D.C., you know, they're like, it's really not that much because of whatever. It's like, well, but this only costs as much because you live here and conduct this business. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah but, I would be interested what that dollar amount would be. Um, because some people, people who make $20,000 a year would say they already make that right now. You yeah. know, and I don't. I make more than $20,000 a year, not a crazy amount, but enough to realize that $150,000 a year is not that much. It's yeah. a lot of money, but it's not – comparatively, it's not that much money. Yeah. You know, if you, you have to live in D.C., not generational wealth. No, no, and you could easily spend that in one year without like – Oh yeah, very easily. You know, yeah. if, you, if you make that every year, you could easily not save any money at all making $150,000 a year with no fucking problem. Yeah. You know, we live in America. It would be very easy to do. So – but I, I, I don't know. That doesn't. I guess that doesn't really matter. But it's it, interesting to consider. Yeah, what yeah. that, what the what incentives that. could be. Yeah. yeah, I think, like I, I come at this from like a military aspect too. When you're a federal employee like that, that has to be, you know, you by nature of being like a federal representative have to travel from your home state to go do your new job. That's the way that works. It's the way it's supposed to work anyways, is for you to travel to Washington, D.C., to sit in the House of Congress to do your job, to be in your office, to do your deal. So I've always, I've always kind of had this in the back of my mind of like, well, if this is their job, why are they not required to stay, stay in government quarters that are provided like a like right. a like a representative barracks room? You know what I mean? Everybody, you know, you build a fucking... Some people sleep in their office. There are yeah. people who have beds in their office so they can just sleep in the Capitol as opposed to renting an apartment or owning a condo or a house in D.C. That is a thing. There was I don't. Yeah. There was a movie, a documentary, um, maybe like two years ago. I don't remember what it was called, but it was starring Justin Amash and uh, Matt Gates, And it was essentially about like how their effort to be government representatives and not take corporate money mm -hmm. and so he it followed matt gates like all these fucking dinners and shit and lunches that he had to go to just to get just enough money from private investors at fifteen hundred dollars a pop or whatever to keep his job and fundraise and do that because he had no pack donations at all in, in that it highlights the different ways that different 
federal representatives live and some of them had beds in their fucking office they had cots and shit that are just set up in their office in the capitol so like i don't want to pay rent some people share apartments you know there are mm-hmm. multiple representatives that will just be roommates with each other while they stay in the capital it's interesting to see the way that's done there are also people who own fucking seven houses and yeah. they have one in the capital and one in new york and one in california and you have to wonder where that disparity comes from because you don't get that wealthy just making $150,000 a year or whatever your base pay is. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, because whenever Congress is in session, when they're in session, they're not always in session. Right. And at that point, they're at their home office doing what, you know, doing doing whatever it is that the representatives are supposed to do, talking to their constituents and so on <laughs> and so forth. And, you know, out there hitting the stump and campaigning and, you know, trying to essentially what equates to just constantly raising money for the party but um but yeah i I would be really interested to to have congress talk about that amongst themselves in a public setting and and, you know try to address some of the you know the blatant corruption that happens within there just due to the nature of their own jobs and i guarantee you a bunch of the junior senators have a fuck ton to say to a lot of the senior people that have been in government for 30 years yeah. that are living in multi-million dollar mansions 90% of the year and only going back home when they absolutely need to go stump and hit the you know be out in the public in their own districts and shit like that I would I would have a feeling like those people like Matt Gates and all that I bet you they have an extra grind with some of those folks oh I'm sure and they would not you know Thomas Massey that dude wants to spend as much time on his farm as possible. Yeah. You know, he doesn't want to be there unless he absolutely has to. A lot of those people want to be there. They want to collect all that money. They want to do that shit. And if that, if we could have like a Jan 6 commission level, you know, let's, uh, uh, representative housing commission. Let's, let's make that on primetime news and see what yeah. the public has to react to about that. <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah. No, it, it's hard because I think there's there's this an absolute warranted skepticism. Skep- oh goodness, skepticism. guys, skepticism. Thank you. Yep. Um, by the people um, of of just a just a one. I think it just ultimately comes from mistrust. But I think this this actual perception that we're finding uh, down both aisles of this mistrust of our leaders and representatives is because the nature of why they're there. Um, we, we can see that it's changing because the only way we can any evidence of what someone believes is ultimately, I think, exacted by how they act. Yeah. Right. So like where as you know, don't hear me saying Trump's a saint at all, but you can see the tactic Trump tried to accomplish by just waving his um, pay that he would receive as president. Oh, right? yeah. Right. That won a lot He's of people trying to present this view and like I would vote for Trump, but not not on any character basis. Right. Um, but you can see what he was trying to accomplish there. Of I'm here to, you know, wave a I'm here a for you, finger and a yeah. face to to defend you against them because I'm battling cronyism or yeah. whatever. You know, yeah. that's the big woo champion, whatever. Um, you can see why that was actually effective with a lot of conservatives in in, in certain groups. Um, but I mean, it, it doesn't take long to, to pierce through what he was doing and being like, okay, dude, like you, you're really, you're playing the same ball game. You're just doing it a little differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. His, uh, his level of, uh, skeevy deals and his own level of corruption within like the New York real estate game is, is 
has been there for everybody to see for a long time. Right. You know, Trump University, yeah. Trump stakes, yeah. all this shit. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're still like a you know a, a millionaire, a multimillionaire who lives a life n- completely out of touch with the everyday American who supports you really hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, the, the, the natural question: Okay, you're draining the swamp, but where's the swamp going? Right. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> where's, where's the, the runoff to? Um, cause that, that, where that lands matters. Um, oh, yeah. and what fills it matters even more. Um, anyways, well, I got to bounce off seven. I got dad duty, but yeah. dudes, thank you so much. Yeah, man. absolutely. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming by buddy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was good to have you. So we will, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Talk to you guys soon. Thank Bye. you, brother. We switch back over. We're switched back over. Man, we're here. We're back. We're live. That was Jake Lines. Jake Lines. And now I have back. I have access back to my my browser and things. I didn't think that one through. When all of a sudden I was like, Oh wait, where do I put all my? Yeah. Like, how do I bring stuff up? That was a conversation and a half. Indeed. Um. Yeah. So Joseph Garrett, we had some. We were not ignoring you guys. That was obviously a very intense conversation that we were having. So parsing through that appreciate you for sticking around I appreciate you for staying here joseph garrett you are a champion sir that's right um so what what a time to be alive indeed um, indeed Although i don't even know if i am alive right now. <laughs> oh, yes uh, but oh was, yes you know it's it's interesting because i i i keep coming back to that that original conversation between uh sam harris and jordan peterson all those years yeah. ago i've never found felt like I would be ensconced in one of those conversations myself. And that that's where we were today, I feel. Yeah, it was I, fucking wild. Yeah. I hope that uh I hope he just builds off of that and we can have more discussions. I'm interested in to hear the future. what you guys have to say about that discussion. Indeed. What you took away from it. Um so uh, the next yeah, grab baggy item story. I wanted to bring up. Um first let's let's break it up with a fun one. We saw Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, be quote-unquote arrested after protesting in front of the Supreme Court building this week. And the big news right off the bat was they were being escorted away politely by, the, right. by police officers with their hands behind their back in a completely unnatural fashion. And at one point, you know, at the cameras are on, and so it's circulating around social media. At one point, you know, AOC and Ilhan Omar both go up for a power salute, you know, a, a red salute or whatever at one point, and then come <laughs> back. Salute. And yes, and then that immediately got spread around the internet, and people were instantly jumping on top of this. Look at these people being falsely, you know, they're they're out there trying to play this game. We had visions once again of AOC crying down at the border yes. at an empty parking lot. <gasps> and so they were they were arrested. Right? They were technically arrested. But never they, de- never never actually handcuffed. More detained than arrested, but they yeah. were properly arrested. Never handcuffed. Never handcuffed. But they did they did feign as though handcuffed. Yes. And, and, and originally it was reported they weren't even being arrested. They were just yes. being detained. And then even at that point, yeah. it was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. What do you call that? <laughs> you were picked up and escorted off of the road because they were blocking a road out in front of the Supreme Court building, which, again, I think is hilarious because they're out there abor- you know, um, protesting the, the Dobbs decision on abortion when the Supreme Court isn't even in session. And as legislators, you understand that it's your job to legislate this now because the supreme court said 
it's your job to do that. It's it's up to the state representatives and so on and so forth. So it's up to the, the people's house to do their job now. But apparently they would rather stage a protest out front and, you know, and then faint, you know, foe get arrested. And the, one of the surprising aspects, there's a couple of them here, but um, it's not surprising that they did this because especially AOC has a history of doing this and it's no surprise yes. to anybody. But the biggest surprise was the ABC t uh, wrote a story about it and then published a picture on, you know, with them looking like they were being carted off in handcuffs and never addressed the fact that they weren't. And immediately, I mean, this is well past it circulated through social media. So one has to ask the question, why did they do that? They knew for a fact that it was on social media. Right. They had to because the minute I saw, I mean, I saw it like minutes after it happened. Why is corp, the corporate press defending these people like this? I think the answer is pretty clear because they have an agenda as well. And but there's there's no recourse to it. Corporate press gets to print whatever they want and they don't have to try to justify it. They can put no. a picture out there and say, well, we never said she was in handcuffs. We just put the picture there and it was just a picture of it. So you fucking assholes, quit lying to me about this crap, man. I'm telling you, if you believe, I, 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 again, like I struggle with this. I feel bad for people who believe anything the corporate press puts out nowadays. Right. But again, I also don't feel mad. I, I don't feel bad about it because they are, they're trash. If you believe the corporate press, and that's just you're too lazy to do any due diligence yourself. I also don't feel bad about that. It scares me that those people have power. It's concerning. It is very concerning. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about that, that it, through many, in many different aspects. It's concerning yeah. to see people know that they are not receiving the full truth and still choose to not try and find what the truth might be. Yeah. Um, or anything that, or even pursue anything that might challenge what their, what their assumptions are about a, a given thing, you know, and that's in the, the roots of this show, that's like how it was. Is we're going to yeah. read something, we're going to find something else that counters it, and we're going to figure out what the truth is because yeah. whatever they both say, that's what the truth is. You know, yep. There isn't any reason to not do that. When it's, when it's easier than ever to see and know the bias of given news agencies, even if you don't know them yourself, shit like ground news exists where you mm -hmm. can pay a nominal fee for them to tell you what the bias of this news agency is and then give you access to another article that will help you contextualize yeah. what the, what the truth man. is yeah, it's pretty sad the state of affairs these days man it, it's worrisome and, and you know to kind of towards the piece you released earlier today actually about the the review preview yes. you know right up that you did it just adds fire to that to that building animosity in everybody that's just tearing everybody apart zeke says i have an off-topic question but I am curious how you guys feel about it. Let's Shoot it, it, Zeke. Shoot it out. Let the doggy out. Um, and then something we'll look at. We'll see what Zeke has to say. But uh, I think before we leave, I want to talk about Joe Biden um, <laughs> accidentally saying he has cancer along with millions of other people. And then the next day <laughs> coming out that he had COVID. <laughs> and then I want to talk a little bit about, you know, building off of that, like, the nature of COVID and I think how at this point um, the media is actually asking very interesting questions. 
um, to the press secretary and Joe Biden's doctor now. Um, so let's see. Zeke, how do you guys feel about foreign investors buying oil, buying land and properties in the U in the U.S.? It's an, uh, it's an interesting deal. Off bat, I don't love it. Yeah, I don't love... I don't love it. And I understand... To put it in context, there's a lot of say, multinational companies that are free to buy real estate in the United States. They're free to buy businesses in the United States. There are a multiplicity of medium to small time banking or banks that are bought up by Chinese firms. And that has been happening now for decades. I remember um, growing up, my parents used to bank at a, sp at a specific bank. And then one day, um, you know, it was back in you know the 90s and shit. So like mm -hmm. when people went to go pay their mortgage, they generally drove to the bank and then did the little vacuum tube to deposit the check and shit like that, right? What a fucking time. And, so, and I remember one time, time we didn't go to the usual place because my mom would do it like when she grabbed us to go buy groceries and shit like that, do yeah. it on the way or whatever. And then she said, oh, yeah, we, we changed banks. I was like, well, why? Like, and then my dad, well, the Chinese bought the bank. Like, I'm not doing that. I was oh, like, okay. oh, that's weird. Okay. I didn't understand the context of it until nowadays. But, um, you know, that's mad interesting. It is very interesting because I don't know. Is there, should there be some kind of. Zeke says Chinese investors have dropped $6.1 billion alone in acquiring property in the United States. And from my understanding, a lot of it is like farmland. Okay, so kind this is like, my immediate concern, and maybe this is unfounded, but um, it's off the cuff. Zeke understands. Zeke understands. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love the whole thing. It, there's no animosity. It was just crazy. Yeah. It, it, was, it was insanity, that conversation. Um, my immediate concern, like I said, I don't know whether or not this is valid, is if you have people there and we start – what if people start getting American rights when they're not from here? Because they live in a certain place. I own this land. I, you know, all these things. I don't know how simple that is. Mm -hmm. so you got to be born here to become a citizen. But I don't know. You've landed shit. Yeah. You know? I yeah. What know. are the rights of like a green card holder? Right. I don't know how well that translates. Um, but that's. It's an interesting concept. On a second level, concern for the Civil War. We need that fucking land. We don't need <laughs> to sell it to other people because we're going to have to redistribute it to the different nations that are going to make up the United States when this is done. Yeah. But, I mean, what, yeah, what is the, uh, should there be some kind of, like, you have to be an American citizen to, or at least uh, a green card holder to purchase land or real estate oh, right, in the United States? Right, because they'll be States? paying American taxes, right? Yeah. So, like they'd still what be beholden to it. Influence do they get for paying those taxes? Yeah, is it nothing? Is it only the money, or are there things that even if even if they're not written into the law, is there some legal implications that you can make because you pay taxes here to get more rights than we assume that they're going to have by yeah. owning this property? So they were allowed to buy a property right next to the U.S. military base. <laughs> oh Jesus yeah. fucking Christ! Well, yeah, because if there's I no if there's no if there's no laws that say, you know, foreign nationals can't buy land, then technically, yeah, you can buy any land anywhere, essentially, right. as long as you can afford it and it's for sale. Even if or you offer somebody enough. Military base. Yeah. That's some fucking, you know, nationalistic as it might sound. It's, it seems counterintuitive to allow foreign nationals to purchase stakes in your economy like that. How about that. this? We shouldn't be selling 
American property to anybody who we know has active spies in the nation. <laughs> if we know you have at least one spy here, you can't buy property here. And if you ask us why, we'll tell you. Because you're sus as fuck, and we know that you have someone running around in here, and we're not fucking playing that shit. Yeah, no, it's not... That's not good. That's, if, if the justification for everything we do is national security, why the fuck are we selling things to China yeah. when we're like, the Chinese are going to ruin America. Why are we letting them buy shit here then? If I can't bring a tube of toothpaste yeah, on an airplane care. that's bigger than this. Because they don't care. They then, want the money. Then, yeah. Then I don't want a Chinese national being able to buy a bank. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. I'm not into that concept. That's no good. Uh, I don't know why, Zeke, but I don't feel good about it. Right. <laughs> I, I can't tell you why, but I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> Oh, that's good. And in the realm of human liberty, you're not American, bro. That's all Chinese I'm saying. Chinese are definitely trying to fuck you. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, CCP doesn't like liberty more than I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, we're going to go ahead. I'll just we'll pontificate us on for a second. But when, yeah, Joe Biden was making a speech the other day about some green energy stuff and, and coal plants and how um, oil, this oil plant gate you know he was out there telling some bullshit story about how um the the exhaust and and the the whatever you call it that comes off of a of a factory like that yeah, was the carbon and the emissions yeah it was it was so bad that in the winter time you know when you go to turn you know, when the mom turns the windshield wipers on you had to you know you, you had to spread the oil around you know the oil was spreading on the windshield and you had to get out the and clean oil. it off the oil yeah and yeah because i think this was a some kind of petroleum plant. He was going after green energy shit. It was the same day that he announced to the entire world that he had cancer along with millions of you other know, people. You know, it was just like when I was in the desert during Desert Shield <laughs> and the Saudis lit the oil wells on fire and we had oil rain coming down on top of us. It was just like that. Just like it that. It was the same thing. It was basically jarhead. I was a child and we were in Pennsylvania and... <laughs> I'm scranting. What the fuck, dude? And the best part was he was in like Delaware. That's, I love it so I, much. I don't understand what is. We just let him be a lying sack of shit and no yeah. one cares. We just yeah. let him fucking lie all the time. And everyone's like, oh, it's, doesn't, it's a harmless lie. It's just a personal story to make it more relatable. Oh, oh, yeah. Isn't that good? Right? Because you trust people who lie to you all the time, right? Yes. Then you can trust the things when they say, no, I'm not lying now. I'm of course being not. very fucking serious. That's not a concern at all. That's yeah. not why one lie damages fucking years and years of honesty and truth. It's no concern at all. It's disgusting. Like we are, we know, we know they're liars already. So why do we let someone be there who is showing us they're a liar? At yeah. least fucking try and pretend. It doesn't make me feel more comfortable that you're honest about being deceptive. Exactly. It doesn't make me feel more comfortable about it. Just get the fuck out of here. Yes. Now and everyone's like, let him go again. Do it again. Let him run again. All these fucking Democrats, <laughs> let him go again. If he's he's, he's transitional. Fine. It's transitional fine. president. <laughs> he'll get COVID again, and then he'll die. It's fine. I just don't. I don't see how anyone can justify voting for him. It's a disturbing thing to hear people openly question his ability to serve as president. Be like, but he's got to fucking run again, right? Oh, yeah. He's got to run again. He definitely has to. It's crazy. Yeah, and I don't understand. Like, people make all these weird kind of guesses. Like, well, yeah, you know, they're going to, uh, you know, he'll get really sick or something like that. And Kamala Harris will step into the presidency and then she'll appoint, like, uh, you know, Pete Buttigieg or something like that as, as vice president and stuff like this. I don't, I don't honestly know if that's how that works. I think you have to like, you know, when was, have we ever had up, a, right? have we ever had a president openly resign from office? Uh, yeah. Nixon, 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 Nixon resigned, resigned that's from right. Office. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he was, 
it was like he was going to be out anyway, but he resigned yeah. from office, and then Ford took office and immediately pardoned him, like within days. Mm-hmm. And so but, I think it's just a step up. I think everyone takes one step up. I think Pelosi would become VP. Yeah, it's like I don't think they if, just get to pick the next VP. I no, think everybody moves up. No, I think it. Ju- yeah, I think it just. Yeah. One up. Yeah, and that that batter up that dream of like just being able to do that because then Kamala won't run or something like that, and then people who judge can step up or somebody like I just, I just I don't think that's how any of this thing works, and it just shows. This isn't how any of this works. No, <laughs> and this is how, and it just shows their either lack of understanding or their malicious intent to just say fuck the system. Oh, we we have the no. power. No, I think at this point they're all. Man, I don't have any basis for this. It's all it's all just a nihilistic view that I have on this <laughs> thing. I think they're just searching for any way that they can try and fuck the system up. Anything that we can use as a justification for something else, I'm going to go no. ahead and go for it. And if I think that I can try it, I'm going to try it and try and justify it on the back end. And if not, then I'll fuck with it in, in the meantime, mm-hmm. you know? So I would not put it past them. I don't know exactly what, how that's laid out in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. But... Um, on the topic of the day after he announced he had cancer, he, he came down with COVID, right? COVID. Um, it was your birthday. It was my birthday. I was, yeah, what did I say? I was like, you know what, what I want for my birthday? Oh, man. Yeah, um, I told Jordan that. And she, she heard me listening to the Friday shows today. And oh, yeah. so they were talking about him having COVID. And she's like, she's like is he going to die? And I said, do you know? I said, it happened on Colin's birthday. <laughs> I said, and he said, <laughs> I said, all I want for Christmas is. And then I said to her the same thing I said to you. I said, but we also talked about how fucked up it would be that the leftists would be happier that Kamal Harris was president than yeah. they were sad that he was dead. I said, and that would be fucked up to see. Even though I don't fucking like that guy at all. That would be sad to see. It would. For them to be like, oh, this is tragic, but also, this is lit. Yeah. Like, that would, yeah. that's fucked They'd up. turn him into like a martyr. So like, little oh, Thank you, you, Joe you really Biden. Are. We'll yes. erect a statue in your honor for, yep. for ushering in the first black female president, Kamala Harris. That's what it would say. And then immediately, they go, okay, you can't run, so we're going to pick somebody else. <laughs> and you can't have this next time around. I'm sorry, but we got Michelle Obama in the wings here, okay? We can't. You're you're just terrible it's, at this. And isn't it so almost like scary that you can feel something because yeah. you know how impossible it would be for either Pete Buttigieg or Kamala to to genuinely win that position over Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. Ooh. It genuinely scares me for who they are gonna fucking pull the earth apart. Yeah, just push them up into exaltation of like this is the one because there is nobody (laughs) i can think of like that they could go as like oh yeah the dnc is like yeah this is our this is the one right here we especially because they have all these prerequisites now that they have to meet their their pool of people to pull from is incredibly small now and they're like i don't know at least at least with joe biden i could say at least he's been here for a while, so he knows how shit works. Right? He's that's, so good. I mean, he's learned how to play the system to enrich what himself. Could, yeah. So good. That's what I could give him when he came into office. Mm-hmm. At least he knows what he's doing as far as politics goes. Yeah, until all the that dementia really it, kicked it, in. Obviously, it doesn't fucking matter because nothing happened anyway besides yeah. more money being spent. But that was the one thing that I gave him. There isn't even a person outside of this that's like, well, at least they know the system. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we've got... Uh, that's no longer a benefit. At the time, I thought maybe, maybe this will be a good thing. It's been a long two years, man. Yeah. 
Now this is man, we're coming six twenty. Yep. Let's do let's do this one and we'll see how we feel afterwards. Um let's talk about some green energy stuff, yes. particularly based off of the the exchange we've seen with Thomas Massey towards Pete Buttigieg. Okay. Um regarding the transition to green energy. Yes. Now, I have a clip we could play it. It's like five minutes long, but I don't think we really want to do that. It's I will uh, I'll put it in the show notes. How about that? So go. anybody can watch it. But um, Thomas Massey starts off. He's in some form of uh, a committee hearing and talking about this. And it's he starts off by ensuring that Pete Buttigieg, the Department of Transportation head, understands that. Thomas Massey himself is an off-the-grid guy. He believes heavily. He's very, what do you say, very bearish, very bullish, whatever yeah. the good one is, on this form of technology. He's had solar panels and electric bullish. cars for like 15 years. He's, yes. he's been a believer in his technology for a long time. And he proceeds to just break down by the numbers how much extra energy would be consumed from the average household if Everybody in America, right. because the plan is to the plan he was speaking to was their their plan to essentially have every car manufactured in America after 2035 be 100 percent electric cars. Right. And we've already seen just due to that language, industries adopting that and really, really pushing for that. Everything from Jeep to all the major, you know, GM and Ford and all that right. stuff on top of the one person that has revolutionized the market. They refuse to talk about Tesla. But. Can't talk about Musk. You can't talk about Musk because he's he doesn't align with us, so we can't boost his company up. Plus, now his dad fucks his sister. Oh, bud, that <laughs> that was a whole deal. A second child with his sister-in-law. Jordan's the one that oh. told me that. And I was oh. like, I can't. I can't. Yeah. And I showed, like, you're like, I wonder what that dude looks like. And I showed you the picture of him. Oh, God. Money does strange things to people. But uh, so he, he starts to break down the numbers, right? And he says the equivalent of, you know, he equated it to refrigerators first, and then he equated it to uh, air conditionings, especially considering that's their big hot ticket item right now as well. It's so hot because of climate change. We have to do this right now. We have to do this right now. He says, you know, if you have a family with two cars, because both parents have to work, obviously, so everybody needs to drive. So you need two electric vehicles that you plug in and charge every night. Um, Pete Buttigieg was absolutely unaware of how much energy it actually takes to charge an electric car. Because they don't fucking do shit having to do with transportation. They just yeah. gave him a fucking job. And they're like, here you go. You're yeah. going to be great at it. We need you because you checked our boxes. Yeah. So we have to give you a cabinet position. Was that you were a fucking mayor before this? Sounds good. Yeah. A South Bend, yeah. Indiana, baby. Soldier before that? Great. Yes. Even better. <laughs> and you have a husband? Yeah. Tell, we're in. Tell the buses where to go. Let's do it. <laughs> the fuck are we doing? <laughs> God. So, for <laughs> for two electric vehicles to be charged um, every night would consume the equivalent amount of energy as twenty five air conditionings per household. Ooh, and that should be a lot of energy. That's a lot of energy. Yeah, it's expensive. even even the most energy efficient ones today. And so that right there, you're boosting somebody's power bill at least twenty five times what they're operating off of now. Now, on top of that. You have to concern yourself with, <coughs> when you think about it, that means a 25, roughly a 25% increase in the total amount of energy consumed by every American every single day, every household. So now the nation has a 25% increase 
in overall demand for energy, period. For one, he brings up the fact that our current infrastructure cannot support that. We have rolling blackouts in hot summers in hot states as it is already. They're already shitting on Texas. Yes. Well, yeah, and because Texas isn't a centralized, controlled yeah. market, but California is the same way. The state doesn't have their hands in Texas' yeah. power grid. What are we going to do? Yeah, California starts fucking forest fires every year yes. because their grid every explodes. Every year. Yes. Every year. And they, they can't do anything about it. And they even say it's PG&E's fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they like acknowledge it. And they're like, ah, it's fine. It's fine. Just keep going. You know, that's, that's where the Jewish space lasers came from. That's right. Um, and so Pete Buttigieg's response to this is, well, we can't, we can't get there off the grid of yesterday. But, we, <laughs> but we'll need to get there with the grid of tomorrow. Oh, that's, okay. that's some... That's an inspirational oh, words I'm right there. People. So we're talking Thank about you. Uh, you know, twelve years until this grid has to be completely nationwide, one hundred percent upgraded. How long did it take to build the to build the World Trade Center after after the old one? Oh fuck, a decade? How long Word. did it take? Oh, Word. God. It, I I it took a decade at at the very least. These you people. cannot do that. That is absolutely insane. And to, and to operate off the assumption that these dated technologies, solar power and wind power, which are now getting fucking struck by lightning because nobody has the sense to go, this is the highest thing around. Maybe we should put a fucking lightning rod on it. And then it catches on fire. It's awesome. These people are fucking insane. It's so awesome. There is zero thought behind this. And we're, we're cutting oil back. We're, we're selling off our fucking petroleum reserves so we won't have a goddamn... Don't need we, it. We won't have... A backfall when the system collapses. Western Europe is going to be in complete collapse. They're already restarting these ancient ass fucking coal plants and shit like that because they cannot operate from where they're at. And they're going to have oil problems already this wintertime. If these people are allowed to continue down this road, people are going to die. And there's no two ways around it. If you start to limit our ability to power our homes, to fuel our vehicles, to continue, which makes the economy work, by the way, the entire system collapses. Right. And not in a, not in a long, drawn-out process. So I don't understand the end goal here because there is, there's no place to land, yet we're cutting back on all of these things already. There's no place, there's no safety net to land. This is either going to lead to collapse 100% or... Somebody's going to have to get an off and say, this is all fucking insane. We're getting back on here. Let's fire. Let's get some more nuclear plants going on. The, I, I still don't understand how nuclear energy isn't green energy at this point. <laughs> I don't think there is a justification for it. They, I think they the never talk about the it. the only thing that they can write up to it, yeah. which seems ignorant because, as we've talked about times before, all this technology that we're running now is like 1970s technology. Yeah. So if you make it better... Then it will be uh, better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it will be better. I don't what, know, like we're better at science and just general technology manufacturing than we yeah. were in 1970. So what did I, I ask you the other day? How it could possibly be the same scenario now? Not mm -hmm. that the danger is not there, mm -hmm. but that the danger factor is not greatly reduced now yeah. compared to when we first built these reactors. Yeah. So the other day I was asking you this and I said, you know what? When you really come down to think about nuclear energy, that we have a massive, massive use of nuclear energy going on right now. 
and it is in our aircraft carriers and our nuclear fucking submarines. They're not nuclear submarines because they carry nukes. They do that, but they run off of a nuclear engine, right? That's some kind of nuclear fusion or fission or whatever the hell. I'm not a scientist, but how many of those things do you see melting down every day? No one and no one concerns themselves with it. No, it's not a second thought, even of like, oh well, we put fucking soldiers, mm-hmm. you know, navy sailors on these boats and put them under the water, yeah. all of the time, and we don't worry about it, yeah. right? There, are, so if we're not concerned about their level of radiation exposure in the same vessel as the nuclear core, then what? What are we really concerned about? Yes. You know, it seems like if you ask me, and maybe this is conspiratorial, there's only so much money to be made in the implementation of nuclear energy. And it seems like largely it's in the construction of the facility. After that, it seems like it's a pretty low level yeah. of maintenance and it doesn't, there's not a whole lot of money to be made because there's really not that much shit that goes into it besides a fuckload of water. Yeah. So that's about it. That's about it. And I don't... Whoever makes the uranium rods that you swap out fucking every five years or however long they last. Because yeah. they last a real long goddamn time. Yep. So, I yeah, it, it, it... And not it has to be. It is difficult to see anything... It being anything other than an incentive structure based in finances. That there isn't as much money to be made by these things because the, the yeah. level of inherent danger is no longer excusable, as you said, because we have people in them literally under All the, the water for thousands of now. feet and we don't yeah. even th- care about it you nope. know we're we don't happy. think about we, it we we pride ourselves on it because we're like look at this fucking shit yeah. that runs off of water in the water isn't that sick <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy you know so yeah, yeah there's it, um and it's just think people don't think about that if you don't like if you don't know someone who's on a sub you might not even know that they're nuclear power oh, yeah. boats you know you might not even yeah know that's that. all that diesel yeah no when man. you hear that someone is a nuclear technician you're like oh yeah we have nuclear bombs someone has to be a technician for nuclear shit like, no, no 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 i make the boat go that, <laughs> that's the thing is that i make sure the boat keeps going i'm not here for the missiles i'm here for the boat i make go. the boat yeah go. <laughs> that's why i'm here People don't know that, you know. I make the boat go. That's my new favorite thing. It wasn't until my neighbor, Charlie Made Chief, that I realized he was a nuke, that that is what he did. I I used to think the same thing. It's like, oh, fucking missiles, right? You just have all the missiles. And they're like, fuck no. He's like, that's stupid. I make the boat go. Why would we have a nuclear bomb just in the middle of the water with a bunch of people next to it? That's stupid. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, we, we might put one on there for a reason. It's like, we don't just keep them on there just for fun. You know? It's like, no, it's like, this is like, it's, we, we use a nuclear engine yeah. to propel the boat. It's like, that just blew my fucking uh-huh. mind. Because you don't, first of all, it's difficult to conceptualize a submarine as it is. Yeah. You know, because you, few people ever be in spaces as confined as that and as compact as that where people live their lives for months at a time it's it's a deal the whole thing is difficult to conceptualize if you don't do it yourself yeah you know that's true then you see people like michael you know my brother-in-law who's yeah. just as tall as you are was on a, was on a fucking boat like yep. you're telling me that you get into a metal submersible and you're you live in there it's like, yeah yeah fucking hundreds of us <laughs> like, it's it sounds made up it sounds like a fictional yeah. thing so it's unless so, you're somebody that's already like initiated into that system yes it's so easy to remove yourself from it and be mm-hmm. like but the oil derricks in the water though them things are fucking pumping liquid gold yeah <laughs> your simple brain yeah the, yeah the monkey brain aspect of it of uh, you know i have nothing to do with science so of course we burn oil and that's how things work why would water yeah it's people yeah. just don't and now i have a because i've been doing some thinking on on this for a while now there's a there was a guy i was following for a while who was i think his name's michael Sh- 
Schollenberger, Schonenberger. He was running for um, governor in California and unfortunately lost. But he's a huge, he's big, big lefty progressive, but he's a huge proponent of nuclear energy and stuff like this. And um, listening to some of the stuff he, he talks about, it got me thinking. Another reason I think that the establishment would not necessarily push for that would be the simple fact that if we start to justify this beautiful clean energy known as nuclear, we have to allow other nations around the world to have the ability to do the same right. thing. But right along with that, yeah. yeah, along with that comes, you know, you're just a, you're a parallel step away from also nuclear weapons. Right. And so that's why, like, the Iran nuclear treaty and all that they, stuff. Yeah, that's why they got dicks so hard. Yeah, so I could see that being a thing because if we're able to, like, start powering the entire nation off of a handful of modern-day nuclear sites, the rest of the world will be real, real pissed off about that when we say, yeah, no, you can't do that. Right. Or you can't do that. We don't, we're not going to allow that. But I don't I, – I don't, that's the only justification I can have to something why they might just be purposely quashing that. And it would defeat other forms of new green energy that they're pumping oh, out yeah. there. So the the money that's in that is immediately washed yeah. out if nuclear becomes progressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not very good. interesting. It is not awesome. Oh. Anyways, yeah. I think that's that feels yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We um, got about an hour in that one. Yeah, with that, you know, um I don't have a reading for today. I thought they had one, but I don't, so it's okay. I didn't have one last week either. Yeah. Um, so with that, I want to thank everybody, obviously, for being here today. You guys are fantastic. Yeah. Zeke, Joseph, Bilbo, Deborah, everybody that was here. Thank you yeah. again. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jake Lines, for coming on the show, for having the conversation with us. It was crazy as fuck. Um, so thank you. And uh, it will probably have them back in the future yeah. to... To, to try and parse that out a little bit more and see if there's some more to it. Um, I, I think, think it would be good to give him some some offline conversations to help build up his ability to have those conversations at that kind of level. Yeah, you know what I mean. You can just you can tell he was pretty inexperienced about that. He said this is the first time he's ever been on a podcast and yeah, being you know I don't want to brag too much, but we do kind of operate on certain levels. That we not be everybody does. You yeah, know? we do be balling. That oh. is for sure. So, yeah. uh, yes, thank you, Zeke. Thank you again, Joseph. Everybody, everybody who's here today, yeah. I want to thank Fantastic. you for the million time at least. You've been watching us here on our YouTube, Salt of the Streets. We also have our Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, everything at Salt of the Streets. Of course, go there to the Patreon, sign up, subscribe, help us make more better content just like this, like the newsletter, the book club, the beer shows, all those things. We also have our own personal social media. I am at Salt of the Street on Twitter and at Alpaca underscore Donovan on Instagram, Collins big bird Alfium, both of those things you can find all of this on salt of the again like subscribe share this with your friends so that we can make better content for you guys right. and also make a fuckload of money boom thank you guys have a fantastic week we'll see you in two weeks goodbye boom. everybody welcome to the salt of the streets coming at you every week with this food for thought hope you're ready to eat every